we want to do a show? Well, yeah. I mean, you're wrecking our professional beginnings because I think it cut off the first part of your question. But do you want to do a show? Oh, yeah. Uh, poof. No. All right. Yeah, let's, let's... In three. Let's do in it. In two... All right. I started your favorite music, so here we go. Okay. This is good that I don't wear the headphones anymore, I think. I don't know. You know, we got to figure that out. That's just me being lazy. Oh, it's really? not a control freak thing. It's just me being lazy of having to set up extra headphones for everybody because some of the guests, uh, I notice they struggle with that because they don't know where to talk with the microphone. And how would you? We all talk with our hands, it turns out. Uh-huh. I'm just, and so sometimes uh, the mic goes away from them, so then i got to change the post. See, there you go. Now, now you're at a normal level. Like no, you, I, I got excited before. That's why oh, I had nothing get, to do with the song. You get the song, it gets you all jazzed up. And I also told you that if you listen to these episodes, you say that I'm yelling, it's not. And I'm not messing, I'm not uh, changing the volume on it or anything like that. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I am um, non-loud and angry Brian Irwin. I'm John Huck. So uh, we were talking off air about um, superhero stuff, and you since you just recently watched The Hulk? I recently rewatched The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> it's on Hulu. All the episodes are on Hulu. Okay. Um, and I was like, oh, that's great. I Because I was... Really into that show, like I, I loved it. You know what I mean? I like the. I, I don't know if I like the fact that he was roaming town to town because it was kind of like that's what you liked about it. Later not the superhero on, aspect, just the fact that he liked well, to go town he to traveled. town. He traveled. He wanted on, to know America. Later on, when I got into the A team, one of my favorite things is they were in a different place every week. So was, basically, those shows were your travel channel before the travel channel. Exactly. That's how you got to know America. Sure. The I highways don't know. and byways of America. I don't know if I got to know any highways or byways. <laughs> But on the on the pilot for the episode, oh, I just of, pull that down really quick. Now you missed a really bad. I just yanked on the music, but that probably would have get you excited. Oh you that. yeah, I won't yell though. But I watched the, the pilot for the Incredible Hulk. Is, um, uh, it's a it's like an hour, right? Okay. Um, None maybe, of, nobody that made the more. show is listening, so I feel like you're being a little bit apprehensive. You're well, no, you're just, it somebody. just seems like when you watch that pilot, it seems like the last thing they cared about was the acting. <laughs> It's like they went after every. They were like, "Okay, we're gonna make this thing. It's gonna be great." And okay, uh, are we ready to go? We don't have any. We don't have any actors. Ah, can you just go outside and grab like seven people off the street and just have them? Now, now Bill Bixby was talented. He came from other shows. He'd been acting a long time. He probably took the Hulk thing as like, "Yeah, I'll do your dumb thing, and we'll be canceled in a week." But Is that your take on all uh, good actors in television back in the 70s? They reluctantly took jobs. By the time it came to, like, now you're going to be playing, you know, David Banner, he, he was like, uh, I am Eddie's father uh, from the courtship of Eddie's father. So Humble brag. Yeah, I guess I'll, I guess I'll do your Incredible Hulk thing. But what, what was hilarious to me is that the, the best actress in the whole pilot they killed 20 minutes in, and then when the first transformation happens, when he becomes the Incredible Hulk, and he's outside, he's trying to change the tire in the rain, and he, Jack gets all bent out of shape, and he hurts his hand, and his eyes... One of the greatest moments in television. Right, his eyes continue. go wide, and you see, the, you see the contact lens, you're like, oh my God, he's turning, he's changing. And then he changes into Lou Ferrigno, the Incredible Hulk, who is like 5'8", maybe? He's and not that small. I've, I've met him. He's about 6'2". Okay, six foot two, six okay six two. he's as tall as my dad. Yeah. And 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 shorter than me. <laughs> and he barely like is able to see over the top of this car and then he's like having struggles lifting it to throw it to toss it. It was just very funny. It became comical when you see what they've done with the Hulk and how he can throw anything wherever and it's the, they like like we they were saying They didn't have the technology back they then were, to throw a car across They were the the 
they worked within the constraints of the special effects that they could make. And the money they're willing to put into a television show. Sure. Okay. That they, at that time, they had no idea how long it was going to run. They were like, we could be canceled in a day. The one thing that now that I look back and I'm going back to what you're talking about, about special effects, is that for some reason, if you were a superhero or you were super strong, whether it was a $6 million man or the bionic woman or the Incredible Hulk or whatever... When it was time to do something, they were like, just uh, put it all in slow motion. Slow motion, and then, <laughs> slow motion <laughs> means <was> strength. <laughs> means much strength. Apparently, you could get away with that. You could do anything. You could knock down a wall, but they needed to do it in slow motion, and so you couldn't tell that it was all styrofoam. Right. Is that why they did that, yeah, probably? That's probably exactly why they did it. And then they put that music <laughs> over it that was almost yes. the same every time, which was like the ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and you're like, uh, I guess something's about to happen. And then, yeah, they would push through a wall that was... Probably cardboard blocks or whatever. And the other thing that people forget, I, I I couldn't sleep last night, and I think this may be where the genesis of our conversation started. And uh, I saw the trailer for the new Shazam movie, and then I was like, oh, I remember Shazam when I was a kid. It wasn't out for a long time, and, and it wasn't uh, well done. Yeah, again, it was a 1970s yeah. kids show. So right. again, that's the other thing. I think they're like, well, it's for the kids. You don't have to try that hard, right? You don't put, right. don't put too much effort. The kids in. are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> And then the other one was ISIS before, obviously, ISIS became an evil name, so that you're never going to see a new ISIS movie. But that, for this thing, ISIS was this woman, finds a thing in Egypt, it puts it on, and she's now a superhero, right? But in the pilot episode, because I couldn't sleep, so I thought maybe if I just watch this bad pilot episode from the 70s, I'll fall asleep, which I did, but it took me almost the whole show. Um, this kid gets really upset. Because he didn't win the science competition with his ham radio, which he said it's not ham radio, it's real, it's real radio. And ham radio is real radio. And he, did, he didn't get picked, so he gets in his car and speeds off and pouts and then starts driving down a hill and is going to fall, right? So she comes to save him, and the way she saves him is she goes, wind, blow him back up. Now, this is what I love about TV back then. They just they showed it in reverse. They didn't care. No, no. Even worse, they didn't care. They didn't, first off, they didn't have green screen, blue screen, whatever they use in television back then. She to show him going back, you can see the cable tow truck pulling the, the car back up. They're not even out of. They're not even just just put it out of frame. Literally, just move the camera Wind, a little bit to the left. And also, crew guy. <laughs> Make him go back up. Win by the power of wind and grips. And grips and a winch <laughs> and a semi. Yeah, that's hilarious, but, man. But I think also, I notice it now, but I bet you back then if I watched it, I wouldn't have cared. I would have been like, well, no, no. I, somehow or another, you could put blinders on to stuff that you knew for a fact. I mean, of course, first off, we also know for a fact wind is not blowing it back up and she's right. not real. Right. So I think that was their attitude was like, no, no, no. Now people would lose their minds on the internet. Well, it would just be highlighted and, and, and you know, uh, circled and put out. And like, <laughs> yeah. look at this shitty effect and like, how crappy is this movie? And everyone becomes this harsh critic. Whereas back then we were like, oh, cool. They made a movie. Let's see it. And, it, and people were a lot less judgmental like you didn't just could if you wa you walked away from a movie not liking something in the 80s and 90s you were like yeah no nah, that movie was dumb i didn't like it and that's literally the end of it you didn't go get on a message board and go here's why i could make a better movie like well, first off what would a message board have been back then uh just running around the streets yelling at people i mean well you know what i mean there wasn't any of that like there wasn't right. internet type Leave a note at the library. Yeah, that's it. You're, 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 all, you can, all you can do <laughs> is look at the guy who took your ticket at the movie theater and go, that movie sucked. And yeah. you can go, yeah, man, I know. And then you walk away. But there was never like a, let's go commiserate about how yes, bad this yes. thing yeah, is. Yeah, look at the guy who worked at a movie theater. He's like, dude, I'm making $2.40 an hour. I yeah, really let me tell care. you what sucks. My pay. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But we we should. I don't want to. I don't want to waste too much time. I want to bring in our guests because mm-hmm. I feel like we've got we've got a lot to get to today, and um, yeah, our guest today, very talented uh, actor, well, guy writer. Said otherwise, we couldn't have filmmaker on the show. Hoyt Richards is is has joined us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Hoyt. Happy to be here. <laughs> I feel I uh, feel left out on that conversation I just heard. My well, God. why? What? what do you what have? A, you, do you have a well, favorite I mean, superhero? I re- What's your take? I, I remember Almighty Isis, and I remember you know the Hulk. I mean that was that, that was for my formative years. I mean, and they the were super, the superhero thing. It's it's so interesting because I I don't have kids, but I've got. You know, 16 nieces and nephews, and Good I watched God. that. Do you know all their names, by the way? I do. Okay, congratulations. <laughs> You're one I, of the I rare do. ones. I don't know all their birthdays. My, that's my, my, hey, my brother, my That's what Facebook's that. for. Yeah, yeah. But uh, 13 boys out of the... Wow, okay, 16. so you have the heavy male gene in your... Right, so I've watched... I, 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 first of all, I went through my superhero phase where I actually created my own superhero. Oh, please. What was his, what was, which, yeah, tell which us about in, him. In retrospect, was not very politically correct, but, you know, because all I had access to, like, I, I used to love Lost in Space, so I would create, I'd glue two bowls together, and that was a Jupiter 2, and I created the whole, you know, basement became, you know, my spaceship. And then I, um, Created my own superhero, which I had my tidy whities and a white T-shirt and oh a God. white towel. You weren't white man, were white you? Man. <laughs> First off, it's that that makes sense. <laughs> when you were like, "It's not politically correct," I'm like, "Oh my God, please tell me he wasn't like." And then I wore blackface to do the. But no, white man. No, but white that's but man. that's such a kid thing, right? Oh. Like I asked I mean, my kid, that's, I gave that's all I had access dude, to. Dude, you're white. Your clothes were white. Wait, your cape was well, white. It wasn't even thinking. I, I, I just everything I'm wearing is white. You know, that's all. That's all. That's wow, like, but that's, that's such God. kid logic. That's I'm really telling you, that'd be though. like giving yeah. you a puppy and be like, "What should we name the puppy?" Uh puppy. Dog. Like, no, no. Let's just name it what it is. No, that makes sense. Fascinating is watching my nephews go through that. There's that superhero phase. I'd say it's maybe like four to seven to eight, you know, where they're really into this, like, I can run as fast as Flash or I can, I'm the strongest yes, Superman. Yeah. And, and they start wearing the costumes and they're watching the shows. And, and I really um, commemorate my, uh, my older brother, Rory, who his oldest son, Matthew, went through this phase where he wanted to be Flash. But before he even got to that phase, he had already identified that Batman and Superman wear their underpants on the, on the outside, outside of their. So he tights. started wearing underpants over his pants. Okay. And they let him do it, and he'd go out in public, and people were like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I'm a superhero," and he was very comfortable with it. So they let that roll for a while, but then he said, "At a certain age, yeah, yeah." Well, no, they were like, "This is getting a little." So he, there's like, which superhero do you really like? And he said, "Flash." So they actually got him a Flash. Costume outfit, yeah, of which he wore for seven months every day. Now, they would only take it off to wash it at night, he'd take it off to go to sleep, put it on the next day, go to school. He was flashed for seven months. Wow, so there's a couple things in that story. First off, you got it, you have to commend the teachers and everybody around him for just allowing it totally. to play itself out. Because I got to be honest with you, growing up, they'd have been like, Listen, yeah. Get it off. Yeah, right. your child's a distraction, or your child's got mental school. problems, and you need to right. like they, they over to- they just the way absolute, they would treat it. Totally. Now people are like, who cares? Yeah, yeah. He'll we, work out we, of it. We, we, yeah, it's it's not like he's going to be thirty going where yeah. ma where's well, my flash outfit or maybe he is, and he wasn't know. wearing an ISIS outfit either. Right. <laughs> right. So that made it simple. Right. This <laughs> you know that name ISIS is like um, Archer on that show Archer. Oh on yeah, FX. right. The uh, the, the, the comic. Yeah. The, yeah. The animated. Yeah. It's the 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 spy organization yeah. is called ISIS. 
Um, there's a, a porn actress named Isis. Like this all before Isis as we know it today. Just ruined that. So name. yeah, they're just like, oh man. Well, that you can go all the way back to there. I still uh, to this day, I still remember watching commercials where there was a a, um, a, a, a weight loss supplement called AIDS. Oh, oh wow! And they used to, God, and it, I, that went away real quick oh, when man. that name came oh, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. God, I've been taking AIDS to lose yeah. <laughs> weight. Like, hey man, that can kill you. You know that, right? Don't <laughs> yeah. do that anymore. But yeah, so the, yeah, the superhero stuff growing up, I, I loved it. I, we, yeah. I he, I was telling him, I'm a huge fan of uh, the Greatest American Hero, and I, oh, I, and yeah, I understand yeah, yeah. that. Yes. Oh, yeah, that when you look at that stuff now, yes, there are cheesy elements to all that stuff because they were limited as what they could do. But I was obsessed with that stuff growing up. Absolutely. And for me. It was like, it didn't matter what they did. It didn't matter, you know, when the superheroes showed up on screen, I was just more excited of the fact that they were wearing their costume versus what they were actually doing in the costume. Right. Like, that's how, that's how much grace I gave yeah. them oh, as a child. No, yeah. absolutely. No, it's true. And, and it is interesting now that we're in modern day, and now it's having to usually make an alteration to the costume to make it more believable. Right. You know, which like, it's like, oh, so it's totally believable the person has superpowers, but it's not believable what the, they would actually be that's wearing. That's what he's wearing, yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Superman's <laughs> not going to wear this I can suspend rayon. my belief enough to believe that, that you can run faster than, you know, to be like, but what are you actually wearing? Yeah, but you're going to have to wear like yeah. a suit that would it's allow your be body like to... leather, right? Or it's got to be something <laughs> like, it can't, can't be... Yeah, it's no more. Yeah, no more. No more underwear. Basically, <laughs> yeah. They've, they've moved yeah. But but the funny thing is to, to, to turn it all the way to my kids. My kids now. You, you were talking about off air about um, uh, Endgame and Infinity War. My kids now, when they watch superhero movies, they're like, "How long are these guys going to talk with these costumes on before everybody starts beating each other up?" Like yeah. they they have the exact opposite. They need action, man. Like wow. they don't wow. they don't want to see Captain America getting introspective for too long because <laughs> oh, they need. Yeah. Somebody they needs to punch need, somebody. They don't need the, yeah, the, the character <laughs> flaw that he's dramatically plagued by uh, yeah. 70 years in an icicle. Yeah, it's like, I don't, I don't yeah, just want to see him. I want to throw the shield, ass. man. Come throw on. the shield. <laughs> how, long, how long were you white man? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I don't know. If, you know, it's, You're it's, still, Are you still wearing tidy whiteys under well, there right no, now? I have left. I've, I've now moved into boxer briefs. Oh, yes. Yeah, you know. During my modeling days, the tidy whities was still kind of in. That was kind of the thing. Yeah, you modeled Cause, cause, in the 80s. Yeah, so, I did. Right? Uh, yeah. Uh, like, I, I graduated college in 85, and I got into modeling around then. And that's kind of when Calvin Klein... Like Calvin Klein kind of emerged around that point, And the Calvin Klein underwear Everything which became the best-selling thing by far that he ever made. Did you, uh, did you model Calvin Klein I, underwear? I actually didn't. Okay. Um, but you were you. But, I mean, your I, modeling career was pretty yeah, extensive. I did. I mean, I did underwear modeling. Actually, my my first job, which I would remember being extremely excited about, um, was an underwear ad for Bonjour jeans. You know, I had come out with an underwear line, and so I was, you know, thought that's great. You know, because I was an ex football player, and I thought, like, oh, yeah, I think my body's pretty good. Whatever. Yeah, six and, pack know. going on. So yeah, you're, exactly. oh, I mean, dude. I kind of yeah, I thought I had it going on, but that way. So then I get there and find out that it's actually just my crotch. Oh, oh. There, no, no, there, no interest in anything other than just. But I got a like, good smile and white yeah, teeth. Like and, we don't care. Then, we need then, a bulge then, in your. And then your to Johnson make there. matters worse, um, the. Uh, Stylist who was clearly gay, very friendly and nice. He's like, "Well, you know, we have to stuff you for the shot." And I'm like, "So football didn't prepare you for that second phase." So you weren't yeah, doing well, any, you weren't I, lifting weights with your dick. No, is what you were clearly. Saying. <laughs> I was like, um, "Okay," uh, and he was very professional, but just like taking tissue, 
making this perfect mound. So do you have to do that for the and, rest of your life to and, live up to uh, that? Well, no. Then we get <laughs> okay. on set. Luckily, it's a female photographer. She's like, what did you do to this guy's crotch? <laughs> you know, because I, you know, I looked like Long Dong Silver. I mean, it, you really, I looked enhanced. That yeah. was my superpower at that yeah, moment. Yeah. <laughs> so so luckily, she took out all the stuffing, and what appeared on the buses was actually all I had to offer. Oh, yeah. so you're a, le- you're a legit penis under yes, your yeah. legit yeah. So I have, a, I have a legit question to all that silliness, though. Was the attitude, and you may not, may or not remember this, was the attitude of like... Don't make it so unrealistic that people are like, well, I'm never going to look like that in a pair of pants. I mean, it's not, it's not the I, whole point to sell. In theory, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, I was just going to do whatever I was no, told. No, for her, yeah, I'm wondering, yeah. for her, but, she's but probably for thinking. Her, the woman just said, yeah. She's like, that looks stupid. Yeah. You know? No one's going to buy it, these. They're just yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's like, the, these underwear will hide your you know, anaconda. It's like, it's like with, you know, the, the the people in the ballet wear that that little whatever. I don't oh, know the, what that the, uh, is. They call them dance belts, yeah. but it's like a dick. Yeah, it's it's Guard like it's like, a, it's like what Batman where you know the the uh, oh there's the, actually the codpiece, piece. Cod piece. Yeah, the cod piece. Piece. I didn't yeah. know that. There's actually a guard in there, like a cup, oh, if you will. Well, there's just something to create a perfect shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. So that you're not looking at because they yeah. wear like oh. like tights, tights. So yeah. Um, yeah, I I, they, I worked on a hidden camera have movie. Free Willy running around, you know, jumping <laughs> <Free while you're laughs> Willy, can't have Willy free. Yeah, I worked on a hidden camera movie where a guy had to do some nudity, and right. the, and the legal team was like, "Well, he can't be naked. We're in public, so they gave him like a dance belt, and he wore that. It kind of like okay. W- well, I, I mean, I've, I've done nude scenes, and basically they usually just give you like a. I'll never forget it because I, I the first time I did it, I you know they just is a bathrobe. And then there's this legs knee high wrapped over this. I'm like, what is this? You know, it's just like a like a nylon sock. Yeah, it's a little and tiny one that a little you tiny. Just yeah, and and uh, and the actress who I was doing this scene with um, was like cock and balls. She put the whole thing in. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, She's already been through this. Yeah, I've been through this. So, Lydia, you just wadded the pat- your junk in there and then kind of wadded around, and that's all you that's wear. It. That's it. She puts on like a a large band aid that kind of covers her lips, you know, and that's it. And that's it. And was were you simulating? Is that was it was a simulated? Yeah, sex I mean, scene? It's a, it, was yeah, it? It, was, it, was, it was basically like a lovemaking scene, and okay. you know, it's this type of thing where that you they obviously want you to appear naked, and they want to be able to do like the the side shot where it looks like you're like naked. you're humping, yeah, yeah. It's always you know, see that side butt, side butt, little side boob, you know, yeah. all that. So side boob is great. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And do they do they do that because they they don't want? I mean, I'm assuming that, uh, also they have to be careful for any accidental penetration and stuff like well, that. Well, it's that, not it's that... not even so much that. Just it, if you turned a certain way, where the package would become you know no, but visible. For the woman, but for the, the woman the, though, this way. Well, sure. Yeah, but I'm just saying it, it's more from the point of view that you know you your genitals won't be revealed even if you know if you make a move and, and it's and, and they decide to take that part of the edit you're like wait a second so all they're going to see is some wrapped you know little elephant sock right, right what is that like i mean how what is that is it uncomfortable well it's very you choreograph it basically because it is uncomfortable because you know you've got it's not Sexy because you've no, got you've no, got a, a crew that you looks know, like me watching crew, you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but how do you? And, so how and, do you guys? How do you? How did you and the woman that you were doing with it at the at the time? Uh, how did you guys work through it? Did you? Did you guys try to talk talk about yeah, it beforehand? Because exactly. it's it, totally. It's no matter kinda, how it's, great an act you are, this is different, like, right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to put my hand here. I'm going to do this. You know, you try to uh, best to choreograph, and, and you learn pretty quickly that you don't resort to 
the same old, same old that you do on your private. Like, that doesn't look like the, the, the normal, like, chewing someone's face off does not look very good on camera. Right. Even right. though when we we're making it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just you like, get into it. Yeah, right. You're all into it. But boy, does that does not look good. So, so it's like, you, it's like you a, learn pretty quickly that it's this kind of passion, but a lot of like su- more subtle kissing and more attitude and movement rather than just you know chewing each other's faces. But it's yeah. got to take way more psyching up to get going for this, right? I would imagine for e- b- both of you guys, it, when when the t- when when the first time you did it, and it's t- it's go time, right? And it's like, all right, let's disrobe and let's let's do this. There's got to be a different mental preparation for this than any yeah, other thing that you've done yeah. for acting at this no, point, No, definitely, because you can't really train for that. You know, the, 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 But I will say I did get some comfortability in it from when I did model because I constantly had to be like in my underwear disrobing in front of like people yeah. all the time. You were used so, to that so was, aspect and, and of it. Exactly, and I spent a lot of time in Europe, and they're more comfortable with nudity. So once... Once you're over that part of it, because I think that's probably the most traumatizing, like, oh, I'm here kind of naked. But I'd kind of been you know, an exhibitionist by the nature of the job of being a print model. So that wasn't too much. It was more the concern, like, I don't want to in any way be, come off as unprofessional with, right. with the girl. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, how, I but like how do you get be, through that, though? So was that through just basic well, we, conversation with up, that? I ended up marrying that girl. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> So that's what always happens then? Well, yeah, well, okay. I don't... Every time I, you yeah, see two yeah, people yeah. in a, a sex they're married scene, now. They they're married now. So I can tell that to my kids when they first yeah, started watching sex scenes. Well, it's okay, boys. Yeah, they're probably going to get married. Yeah, don't worry about it. Get married, so, did yeah. you really? Did you really? I did. Yeah, oh, that's... It, it didn't last too long, but yeah. That, that. So how did you... When you... you were, <laughs> you were When did you start modeling? So I started modeling uh, uh, the around my junior year of college because I was having problems playing... Uh, Football, my shoulders kept popping out. I had what position stuff. did you play? I played free safety, but I oh. I had been recruited as a kind of flanker, wide receiver, even running. I was more of a running back in college, in high school, but when I came into college, I saw myself more as a receiver, just because You're tall, probably. Yeah, lanky. it's kind of more lanky, kind of you know. Yeah. I really and and uh, but the I mean Princeton's not some football powerhouse but but there were two guys who were just a year ahead of me who were all American like they were they weren't real big they're about 5'10 but they caught everything and they were amazing and actually they both got tryouts with the pros which is you know pretty impressive yeah and uh so the opportunity to play did not look bright and they were like you know what about and I played some defense you know and, and cuz uh, uh when I had been in high school I went to a smaller high school and you play both ways, so it's yeah. kind of that type of thing. So um, I'm like, oh, I can play defense, and I so they put me to free safety because that kind of used my speed a little bit. And then I just bulked up, you know. I kind of put, you know, went from like 185 up to about 210. Okay, you know, and That's a bulk. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I force fed myself. I mean, my roommate I was going to say was a, a linebacker who was considered undersized. So you guys just two, ate. Oh my god, it's like you, we would literally have eating competitions every day. At, at lunch or breakfast, whatever. I mean, I would have a dozen eggs for breakfast, you know, and then I would always make like two peanut butter jelly sandwiches that I would take with me in between classes that continue <laughs> the eating process. Yeah, you ate all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, just. But your metabolism, but, you're young, you know what I mean? Like, it, it was, oh, it was yeah. one of those that's things. What, like, that's what it was. Because you say that's a big bulk up. I say I could do that in a sitting right <laughs> now. Hilarious. Yeah, you know you're describing middle, middle age right now at <laughs> yeah, uh, the yeah, same right. time. It's yeah. I could go from, yeah, if I was 185, I could easily get to 220 By in next an afternoon, week. you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Are you an East Coaster? Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So, when you said Princeton, so you, you went to high school, where'd you grow up? Outside of Philly. Outside of Philly. Die hard okay. Eagles fan. I believe okay. green. We are. Uh, 
the ex-world champions. The only former. one almost got there. A missed yeah. pass. Former. Yeah. Former. Yeah. I mean, could be there again. Much, much better Super Bowl than it was, you know, this year. Oh, absolutely. You and know, I, and I'll say that I say this every time we have somebody. We've had a lot of people from Philly on this show. I always, for the longest time, I gave the fan base for all their organizations. The thumbs down. They were garbage people as far as I was concerned. Like, <laughs> Flyers fans can eat it, Eagles fans, <laughs> Phillies fans. I, and and the, we wear that with pride, you know. Well, yeah. But the whole thing is, like, everybody I know from Philly is a genuinely good person. Yeah. It's like, I've, I don't have, a, I'm thinking, like, Steve Simone, Sean Green, Hoyt. There's, like, a, a bunch of people that are Phillies fans that I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Good for you guys. Right. Like great speech, but now let's ask the real somebody who's from there. There's some jerks too, correct? Of course, okay, of course. No, well, but but uh, but I'll say I'll, I'll, the, <laughs> for the most part, they're educated jerks. Like, Are they the only ones oh, that get on TV? You know, and and, and I'm, what I mean by educated, not necessarily scholastically, but they know the sport, so they're not yeah. just randomly saying, you know, you suck because you know uh, you tripped or something. It's like right. They I know, know I know what play you should have called. I know what you're supposed to do on that play, or you know I know like they're very kind of pointed and why you know, and, and from the educated point of the sport yeah, that's where the criticism is coming from i was just saying, so that, why do you but maybe, why do you think that philly fans more so than most other cities even surprisingly more than new york and, and many occasions they take way more grief why do you think that is well i i think a lot of it is because we're loud first yep. of all like they, they they're the the, the philly mentality is to be passionate and really just, you know, let everybody know that you care. And so, <laughs> All the time. and I mean, I, I've watched myself, like I can watch a football game and be very civilized. The Eagles are on. I can't stop myself from yelling. I, it's like, it's, it's an uncontrollable urge that must've started in childhood. Yeah. You learned and, it from your you family know, yeah, and, yeah, and, and, and you want the, and you love it when they win and you it, want them to win. And, and my childhood was watching them, you know, and, think, and thinking like, yeah, will we win three games or four games this year? Like yeah. that was my outlook. Like that, but I was still steadfast. Yeah. And then you know, then the the big change was when Andy Reid came in, and that was really exciting. You know, because also we started. Well, actually, it was Dick Vermeil first. Dick Vermeil was the you know the 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 one that kind of started. You know, we got to the Super but Bowl. But he kind of laid the groundwork for Andy Reid to come exactly. in because Vermeil wasn't there that long, was he? No, it? no, he got he got us to the Super Bowl and then he, and then he retired just, immediately. He burned right? out because he he was. Oh my just God, was that stop. against the Patriots? In no, 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 no it was no, against no. the Vermeil Raiders. Was we were yeah. favored, and oh. Jim Plunkett, who was kind of a backup, I think it was kind of like a Nick Foles thing where Plunkett had come in the second half of the season, and then he just they beat us like twenty seven ten. Ron Jaworski. Tanked. Wow. You know, he just jaw he had, he had an epic season and just tanked in the Super Bowl. And that's why the that's why the Nick Foles story. I mean, Nick Foles will never buy a beer or a cheesesteak ever again. No, yeah. He eats for free, I mean, drinks for free in Philly I for mean, as long it as is he is such he's a alive. quintessential Philly story of someone coming off the bench and then playing better than anyone has ever played in the playoffs. Okay, so I have two questions. One, you were saying that you've been a Philly fan ever since childhood, so I just want to make sure that you still to this day don't wear uh, Captain White at, when you watch uh, games. Uh, no, right? mi- uh, no. Uh, wait. White, white man, man? White man. man. You're not yeah. white man. You don't dress Captain up as white, white. man. <laughs> Captain White. Hi, I'm yeah. Captain well, White. I, 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 you know, it's funny. I, when I uh, uh, I came to L.A., I was in an acting class, and we had, did some sort of exercise where we had to kind of like tell a secret or something, and I, I divulged the fact that I had been white man. Which was very popular, and then uh, at the class costume, you know, Halloween party, I came as, as white, white man. man. <laughs> Dude, 
everybody, so, I'm assuming so, everybody got the joke. Yes, everyone yeah, yeah. got the joke. So my yeah. second thing is, do you really truly believe that if Nick Foles does not stay with the Eagles, he goes and plays against a rival and he comes back, that the fans will still not still will always buy him? Yes, I do. I actually do. And this is where the Philly fans are loyal to. I mean, the fact that he brought us the one championship we may never have again. But I mean, the one championship, yeah, he'll be forever beloved. Because I look at like Dick Verbeel never won a Super Bowl. He does endorsements out the wazoo. But what about Ron Jaworski? Same yeah. sort of thing. But I like, thought they ran Donovan really. McNabb out of town. Yeah, well, well, Donovan, I'll tell you, Donovan's an interesting thing because. Donovan Copton attitude, and that doesn't, and, and that's not Philly. Okay, like like, it's okay to be a little cocky, but you can't be a dick. And Donovan could be a dick, you know, and um, and that was just his way to handle stuff. And he also he would get really cavalier about things, like he'd throw an interception and he'd go walk off, kind of laughing to the sidelines. That's not no, you don't something. Wanna... That's that's you know it's, it's, it's on one Jake thing to sh- it's one thing to just shake it off and just get back into the game, but don't be like it doesn't matter you know it's like yeah it matters bro. it matters <laughs> so stuff like it he he, he I mean it, it, we don't hate Donovan McNabb but he's not enshrined in our hearts yeah because, he's because he's because buying his own beers yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly so did you you played a lot of did you, football only only football or were you a multi sport oh no kid? I did multi sports yeah I mean uh, I went to a school called Haverford School where you were required to play three sports okay keep you out of I'd trouble originally, I'd originally gone to public school and then uh, I transferred to private school because my older brother had gone uh, to private school for his very last year of high school. And then he got, he got into Princeton, and my mom was like, oh, that's the formula. That's and the path. I, and I was doing very well at the the because he was kind of a procrastinator, and so he would struggle. But he was clearly the brainiest one of the family. I one of six kids, and we're all kind of bright. I mean, we got we got a good gene pool, and there's a lot of pressure. You know, it's like I come home with a 95, and I was like, why didn't you get a hundred? That's, that's what thing. I grew yeah. up with, you know. So, yeah. but not malicious. It was just that was the expectation, and and uh, so yeah. So I went from kind of a bigger high school into the small private school, all boys, which I was not thrilled about either <laughs> as a spawning sixteen year old. Yeah, right. hormones raging. But uh, uh, but I got to be kind of a bigger fish in a small pond, which okay. was fun. And then so I played also uh, basketball, and I played. Uh, I ran track, and I uh, but because I had run track. At the other school, I had to sit out, and I did lacrosse for a year. But yeah, I did. Um, I did. Yeah, I did. I did. I did a lot of sports. You know, I wasn't great at baseball player. Did you really. think with football that you had a shot? Were you were you, were you still uh, in, in the mind in, of like, in, uh, even though my, I'm going to Princeton, in, I might still go to the ba- the, in the NFL? My delusional moments, I would say yes, but that was never real. Okay, so when you go, you went to school. You went to school for what? Well, actually, what was the agenda? Actually, then? to be very honest, that that was one of the reasons. Uh, yeah, th- uh, there was a, a, a delay before I went to Princeton. I actually went to school in England for a year because I did have that mindset. I thought I might, you know, uh, UVA had said I could walk on. You know, the, the ACC had, had, had just a couple of lower down tier schools that showed some lukewarm interest. So, But I had those delusions, so I'm kind of like, oh, maybe I want to go to a, a football school. My, and my mother's like, no, Ivy League, Ivy League, Ivy League. So because of that impasse, I ended up actually going to school in England for a year, this program that kind of took Americans over to English schools for a year, and my first time out of the country, and it completely transformed my perspective. You know, being American and being outside the borders and seeing, I went all through Europe, 
And that's when I was, when I was like, yeah, maybe football's not everything. Maybe so is there's still high more. school. There's yeah, more. maybe I should like focus on the, you know, play the the odds of the education is probably a better card to play. But was this is this your first year of college or is this your senior year well, in high school? No, it was after my. It's like a PG year because, um, and if I had not gone to an Ivy League school, I think I could have probably gotten the credit for that as a freshman year because you you over in England you do these things called A levels. Which are called you know the advanced levels. Basically, at 16 you do your O levels, the ordinary levels, like 10 subjects, and then out of that you con- you contract your syllabus like three, and then you do those three, and then you go to university for whatever you. Want. So you you have to kind of figure out what you want to do much earlier, which I disagree with. I think you know, it doesn't allow for the late bloomer very well. <laughs> and I was clearly a you know, much more late bloomer in that sense. Uh, and like you said, you're figuring it out. You, yeah. you use your first time out of America, you're seeing the world. Um, and, and you're and, like, you know what? Football yeah, is fun, but yeah. it might not be what and, defines me and, as a human and, being. And it also altered my perspective of America and Americans. Because Oh, yeah. You know, until you get outside the borders and realize... Number one, what the perception of our country is, and why that perception <laughs> is what it is, and it's largely justified. Yeah, you fat McDonald's yeah, yeah, yeah. motherfuckers, I mean, like, and, and and it's this John. type of thing that, on some level, which we'll get into later, you know, it, you you start to recognize that there's a form of brainwashing that goes on in this country by not going outside the borders of the American way is the only way is yep. the best way, the best, and all that the sort best. of stuff. It's taught in schools, and, and that's clearly sounds great, but that's. That's an ignorant point of view from the the mass of our country that's never been outside the borders. I think it's less than five percent of Americans own a passport, and and of that five percent, more than half have only been to Mexico or Canada. Whoa, is that true? Yeah, that's true. So so we are a, a nation that really knows nothing about the world. About the world. So when you like to me, that was the best education I could have gotten. And then when I became a model and traveled nonstop for fifteen years all over the world. That I mean, we can poke fun at the modeling business for all the right reasons, but the education you get from being in other countries and seeing it through the people who live there, because you're working for an Italian client, you're working for a French client, and so they're showing you their country through their eyes. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that to kind of just deprogram this this you know this kind of brainwashing you get as an American. You start to go. There's lots of ways to do things, and there's lots of things like like when I got over there and found out that Italy takes August off. First, I was like. That's bullshit. No country can take a, a month, month off. off. Oh yeah, they take a month off. Yeah, other than the service, and sh- they all take a month off. Okay. And and then you and then you watch it, and you're like, actually, that's genius because you completely kind of unwind and recharge in the middle of the year, what is, pretty what much mean? too. Like, what, they all take private August, businesses. They take August off, so they have to they have to basically button up the, the yep. and, and and know that it's got everything. A lot of business is going to go dark yeah, for a month. Go dark for a month. So it's other than like hotel service, you know, and you know, kind of you know seaports and all that sort of stuff. Yep. To this day, they still do. Still do. And and, and why do why Fran- do we not? Why am I just finding about this now? I, because you don't get outside the country. Because if you, you have been out the country, started, started, how can we don't hear about this though? That's the interesting I, thing. Well, Even I, if you don't, we're going to want to do it. Yeah, we're going to want. But, uh, I mean, August and just, June. Just consider that, and then the average American gets what two weeks, like a week at Christmas and yep. a week one other time. Barely. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, do you could you even possibly unwind the moment you get somewhere and you're only there for a week? You're you know you only get the first couple of days where you're kind of unwinding, and then you got to think about getting back home again. Yeah, there is there is definitely something to the the American this grinder attitude yeah. of like yeah. you're almost seen like you're weak if, if you're you want to take time, time off. Yeah. 
And it's just like, so basically, and, and the, the, I, I remember very, when I was very young, the, the, the mentality was like, no, no, no. You bust your ass until you're 65, and then you get some time off. And then you hear about right. all these people that are dropping well, dead two years later, and you're like, well, that seems like yeah, a great that's plan. that's a well, shitty yeah, idea. Great plan, right? Yeah. And actually, that that psychology you're talking about was very much played into, which we'll talk about later, the cult mentality I got involved with. You know, I didn't have a vacation for 15 years because I got involved with this group that, you know, had a doomsday scenario. So it's like, you're not going to take time for yourself when the end of the world's coming. It's coming. Yeah, you know, it's coming. It's, it's like, around the corner. You're not going to get involved romantically with anyone when the end of the world's coming. So they had this, yeah. it was the same. Yeah, but it's that same, like, and, and it was this type of thing in the group where, well, sleeping is for pussies. Like, oh my God. you have to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. Like, oh, yeah. you, you have to sleeping sleep now? rests like, your brain. Oh. They don't want that. No. Yeah, it's one of the most effective ways to control someone. Yeah, it's keep, sleep, sleep, sleep deprivation. deprivation. Well, it's also but, you know, but, but it lack of it, facts. But it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, but it also follows in that whole American, like you know, I'm gonna just grind, 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 and the and the European mentality and sensibility is much more. You know, I work so I can live my life. Yeah, Not your I life is my first. Life but my life to work is me- is American mentality, like. That is my, and then if I can squeeze in a vacation here, then but I'm here to work. Yeah, there's it's, a weird it's, it's pride. It's a weird, thing. yeah, it's a weird dynamic. So you 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 realize football might not be your answer. You get into modeling. Well, no, um, but you still, but you said you came back and still. Yeah, so I came back to Princeton. I started, you know, I I, I was you still played ball. playing football, you know, uh, yeah, and so I played freshman football. Then I was. On the varsity for because you uh, now it's four years for you know for varsity, but then you had to do freshman football, which was great. I mean, we got we it was like, you're like a pack, you know, the freshman guys all come in. You, you're it was an unbelievably fun situation, and then then you play varsity your your next three years, and uh, but you do go on the scout team, and now the the big guys just beat the Pummel shit out of you. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, why yeah, I stopped exactly. playing in high school. I was yeah, like, <laughs> yeah it's like, uh, that looks real crappy. I'm not doing you're, that anymore. You're a tackling dummy. I mean, I'll never forget. My coach one time saying um, we were, you know, we were being the scout team for the uh, the varsity, and uh, you know, a ball came and I t- and I batted it away, and he's like, "God damn it, Hoyt, you're a fucking cone! Don't touch the ball! You're a fucking cone!" <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, like, I mean." That's yeah, what, yeah, yeah. Like, which okay. is removing You're all your instincts. So, so yeah, so we called ourselves the Cone Squad. I mean, that's, that's what we became known as. So we're cones. Yeah. So, so how did the modeling thing come up then? So, so obviously, so, you're going there for yeah, football. Yeah. So basically, yeah, I started having issues with my shoulder. The trainer basically said it's not looking great. And um, was, was that someone was on it? Like before junior year, where where really I was in line to be the starter. You know, uh, and uh, at that point, it was kind of like. In the the spring of sophomore year, and I was just like jumping rope, and my shoulders were popping out. I'm like, this is not good. Oh, so I man. went to see the trainer, and he's like, because I'd done a lot of uh, gymnastics when I was younger, and so I'd stretched my ligaments. I, I can partially dislocate my right. shoulders. Yeah, don't. Yeah, they're all <laughs> showing them right now. Yeah, don't. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and you do that when you do the rings, but when I oh, so when I played offense, shit. it wasn't an issue. But when I was tackling. I would put that arm in that position, and my whole arm would go numb. And I'd be in the huddle trying to shake the life before the next play, and, and I was like, this is not good. So the, the doctor basically said, you know, I think maybe it's it's time. Now, all my roommates are football players. All you know, the sort Your of, life has been football yeah, to that and, point, yeah. And, uh, so I go up to New York for a second opinion, and that's where um, I had actually uh, connected with 
a guy I had met through some mutual friends who was just a commercial actor. And he was, you know, so I had lunch with him and he's like, listen, I got to stop by my agent's office, you know, after lunch, you know, why don't you just, you can just wait for me because we were going to go do something else. So I'm just sitting in the lobby, you know, and he they goes were like, in, hello, and then, handsome. And then, and then one of the agents like, so uh, are you here to see me? I'm like, no, I'm just with my friend. You know, waiting for my buddy. He's like, so are you an actor? And I'm like, no. <laughs> he's like, you ever thought about being an actor? I'm like, no. So nothing had yeah, 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 crossed no, your yeah. mind. I mean, I mean, I I'd done plays in high school, but I'm like, you know, I'm in New York City. Like, I'm like, no. I, yeah. So then he's like, come and talk to me for a little. You know, so I go in there, and, and he's like, you know, kind of saying, yeah, yeah, you have you, you do this, and and then I'll never forget this because he's like, look, here, let me have you read something, and <laughs> and I remember sixth grade, whenever I had to do a speech. I was so petrified. Like uh, I would get so nervous. Speaking. And, yeah, and, and so I'd feel this surge of like blood coming up through my chest, and it would get to my neck, and then my Hot. ears would go bing, bing, red, and it would, I would just go completely red. So I had not felt that for a good 10 years at this point until I'm in that room, and, he's, and he starts asking me to read this thing, and the exact same wow. thing happens. And he looks at me, he goes, yeah, that need a little work, but you got a great look. And I think, you know, a yeah. lot of times you never have to say anything in a commercial. And I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, sometimes they're magazine yeah, ads. Yeah. And so that's how it started, uh, that randomly. That and is it, crazy. That's I, what we call failing forward. Yeah, because so you know. I had gone to see a, this shoulder specialist, and he said, listen, I can operate. You know, we'd have to tighten up this, uh, this ligament of yours on both sides. He goes, I can't guarantee full mobility, though. So there yeah, was, even if you and had I'm like, the and, surgery, and I'm like, I gotta like get, I gotta yeah, stretch my be, arms. I can't, can't be a, a, a deep John back only arms. here, you yeah. know. So so I went, as I went through this life crisis, I'm like, and this is when you know this is when we can segue into the cult story, um, where this guy who had been you know someone who I had been in my life since I was 16, uh, he's like, listen, you can come to New York, you can stay at my place. Uh, he goes, I'm gonna be gone all summer. Stay at my place for free and just you know see if you want to do this you know model. give it a shot. This, when you said this model. guy, this was uh, a friend from high school. He, no, this well the the guy the guy who I went on the uh, uh, who was doing the commercials was affiliated with this guy the, whose name was Freddie. Uh, his real name was Freddie Myers from Brooklyn. Somewhere along the way, he decided he was actually not Jewish, but he was from Dutch descent. He became Frederick von Meers, okay. which is who I met. That, and he was an actor that you, or not no, even? No, no, no. He was, this is, this is the guy who was a cult leader. I mean, okay. And, and, and but I mean, what was wait, his, what was his connection to everybody? To, to, whoa, 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 I'm sorry. One yeah. second, one second. So, so you, your friend, you go to the audition with your friend, this guy sees you, he's like, you got a good look. And then this dude, Freddie Myers, who Frederick von, yeah, Frederick von Meers, Meers, yeah. Now, so so, so what he what, says, you can stay at my place. Yeah, because what? Because this guy, the other guy who I had gone to the commercial, this guy John was kind of this was Freddie's protege. He was kind of a, you know, like the work in progress kind of. He's going to be the next great spiritual leader type thing. Okay, so your friend was already kind of tied yeah, into yeah. it. Yeah, and, and I had known, and I had known this guy since I was sixteen because my my family goes up to Nantucket every summer, and I don't know if you know Cape Cod, but Nantucket is like. There's two islands off Cape Cod. There's Nantucket and, and Martha's Vineyard. They're both like super preppy. Yeah. Super white. Yeah. You white know, man like, would have like, fit in really yeah, well there. White man would fit in perfectly there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's getting a, a little more diverse, but I mean, it, that's just what it was for a long time. It's kind of, but it wasn't really. 
I wouldn't say it was elitist. That was just kind of the way it was, you know. And uh, it was it, uh, Nantucket in particular has a, a whaling history, and so you got cobblestone streets. It couldn't be more picturesque. But for my family, my dad had gone on his third date with my mom up visiting her up there and proposed to her up there on that third date. So that that area and meant a lot. It meant a lot. And she said, I will marry you on the condition that we come back here every summer. And my dad has fulfilled that. Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so we ultimately ended up, uh, we'd go there every summer and we had a house and, you know, um, so that's, and we still go there this summer. You know, I'll be there again this summer. So uh, the only time I didn't was when I got involved in the cult for, you know, like I, there's a good, Almost twenty year chunk in there that I disappeared. Huh. Jesus. And so, but the, the the point being that you don't think you're going to meet a cult leader on Nantucket. Like it's it, if I had one word to describe the place, it would be safe. Like right, you, you, there's only one little town. I mean, it, it's yeah, got no about one locks like, their doors. It's got about seven or eight thousand people. You know, off season, and then it comes to like eighty, ninety thousand wow. in season. Okay. So just like it, the, you know, the, the people just you know deluge onto the island. And there's not a traffic light in the entire place, so people are on like cars, bikes, you know, and um, and in that way, like if you're eight, nine, ten, eleven, your kid, your parents will just let you roam Go in crazy. town because there's nothing you can do. You can't get into trouble. Yeah. And so as a kid, we loved it because we had such independence. You know, you basically had your bike; you could go anywhere on the island, you know, on your bike. And then when you're even out with the family, you let loose in town. You know, yeah. you hang out in the candy store and just you know. Try to you know steal you know, little bits of uh, you know <laughs> chocolate and stuff, but uh, I mean it was great. So so, and when I met him, it was very very relaxed, and it wasn't one of these kind of full court press like oh you know, but I had heard about him through some my peer group of friends. I was sixteen at the time, and uh, I said uh, I said oh there's this guy he's really into astrology and Eastern philosophy and he loves. Uh, you know, kind of these, uh, the ancient mysteries. And, you know, and I always like had an interest in that stuff, but not something that I tell my football How buddies. How much older than you guys? He was, he? so he was like, uh, he was probably mid thirties. So okay. he's like 20 years older. But I remember very distinctly cause he just put his towel down next to me this one day on the beach and just started the conversation and kind of started down this path into this philosophical thing. I'm like, Oh, this must be that guy that I've heard about. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just him now. So and you've heard about him on the, on I'd heard about it from my friends and then, you know, I kind of had the meeting with them and I, and his, one of his, you know, uh, one of his talents was to talk to you very, very bluntly. And like, I was an adult and I really appreciated that. And, and he used a very effective technique that I've learned. You know, he's like, well, you're very smart, so you understand this. And he'll, you know, and the preface something like that, it's like, what are you going to say after that? It's like, well, uh, I don't what? get it. I'm yeah, an yeah, idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't know what you're talking about. You know, so, uh, and it was that type of thing of where he just kind of intrigued me with certain things he did, uh, was talking about that made sense. But again, it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't feel any pressure. And, and I would just see him around the aisle. Like once I had identified him, then he was kind of one of the, you know, people you would see, but on and the island, did no, none of the parents and the parents were fine with this older dude yeah, because talking there, to there kids, was, and he was, was not I mean, known as a cult guy. No, because okay. the thing that's interesting is if I if I tracked through it, I basically got involved in a startup that was a cult. But at so that time, it at was at that not. time it was really just a narcissist with kind of an entourage. But when you come to Nantucket, he didn't have this this kind of big entourage. Okay, it was more in New York, so he was coming there for the summer. He would have people visiting him at his you know the house that he rented. And he would throw parties all the time. And so for me, at 16, I just saw this as an opportunity for free beer. Because he'd okay. be like, oh, come and get to the parties. It'd be fabulous. You know, yeah. and he would, it'd be people with like 16 <clears throat> to 80 at this party. And, and you know, the, 
the guy who was um, uh, what's his name Bob something who Bob Coachella he he was running a interview magazine like he'd be there like there were you know this kind of New York society people okay. yeah, I didn't know from Adam you know, right. I, was, I was a kid but but it was just type of weird thing that we would go there and just score the free beer and go on somewhere else so okay. it was very casual but when yeah. I when he found out I was going to Princeton. Which you know happened, uh, you know, from eighteen to nineteen. I came back from that year in England, and he's like, "Whoa, you know, you're only an hour outside of New York. Come up to New York," and um, he goes, "You know, meet my friends, and we go to the clubs. You know, we go to Studio Fifty Four a lot." I'm like, "Awesome, I can go to Studio Fifty Four. You know, I'm eighteen, nineteen years old. I'm like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You'll love it. You'll love it." I'm like, "Awesome." So I'm kind of thinking I'm working him in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And he thinks you're just a smart, cool guy, and you're yeah, like, man, this yeah. guy's got, he's you know, this guy my end of the parties. It, and, and he was clearly gay, but he was, he was, it was not making passes. He claimed to be kind of like past all of that. He was, yeah. ace, ace, I am, not, yeah, not that I we don't really have had a, a lot of conversation, but it was very clear he wasn't hitting you didn't, on you me. Didn't, he, didn't, yeah. he didn't feel threatened in that. Exactly. And, and, and when I would go up there with my buddies, we would literally just sleep on a mat. It was like an ashram. Like we'd roll out these one-inch foam rat, mats, and it was, and and he had the bedroom, and there'd be like anywhere from five to six of us just out in the living room on a mat. It's like the beginning of Fight Club. Yeah, well, <laughs> and we go to Studio Fifty Four, and and so you did go to Studio Fifty Four. Yeah, 54. man, I uh, the first time I went, you know, like I said, I was eighteen, nineteen, I was greeted by this girl wearing nothing but scotch tape, like she had scotch tape on her top and like a little scotch tape diaper, and I'm thinking like. I don't want to leave. Like, yeah, like you can. And I'm home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and people are fucking on the dance floor, and and cocaine and is raining cocaine, from the yeah, ceiling. I mean, I, and... I met Truman Capote. I met you know um, uh, Andy Warhol. I had dinner with Andy Warhol like three or four times. Jesus. And uh, so I it was, <laughs> you had yeah, it dinner was, with Andy Warhol. What was that? Well, like? that was after I became a model, and and he he had some affiliation with. I was with Ford Models, and so you know, at one point they had some dinner because they announced he was joining them and they knew he liked blonde. So I was kind of just stereotypically sat in your next eye to candy. Him. Yeah. yeah. So I get that. And then we got along fine. And it, you know, again, again, it wasn't anything of him making a pass at me, but he, liked but I mean, me. he just and seemed like such an, uh, an odd person. He, he had the original Botox face. Yeah. You know, like just, oh, really? Yeah. No expression. Yeah. Just, yeah. Right. Just, wow. Yeah. And, and he seemed to know a little bit about everything and not a lot in depth about anything right yeah that's that was, the master that conversation right just and, to, and i actually there, there there you know someone who read his diary said oh yeah there's a there's a diary of, of the night he met you at that at that club he talked about you know this model with you know these uh, blue eyes and you know the, talking about crystals and gems because that you know, was part of the cult story. you're in andy warhol's I, diary yes there you go what I, the I, fuck? I have officially made it. That's I wasn't insane, named. Though. I wasn't named. But if you knew me and knew the situation, you're like everybody knows. That's me. It, he probably wrote HH, handsome <laughs> Hoyt. Um, yeah, so that, so, so you're living it up. So, I mean, so that, that again. So this doesn't. You know, this doesn't send off radar. Like, I, you know, a lot of the work I do now in the community of what I'd call cult survivors or cult awareness uh-huh. is to try to illuminate the people that. Cults are so multivaried that because we all have a very uh, limited, and I'd say you know borderline ignorant, you know understanding of it, that we 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 sit in a very un, uh, comfortable place, which is inaccurate. That it would never happen to me. Well, that's because we're yeah. thinking Waco, we're thinking Jonestown, we're thinking the Mansons, and you know it's kind of like oh, well, I would recognize Hitler the moment I saw him. 
Well, it's it's never like that. Yeah, you know, he doesn't it come started, up there with the mustache. Started, exactly, he grew that later. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and meeting this guy on the beach very casually is is really how it starts. You know. So do you and think and also, this other stuff? Sorry, John, real yeah. quick. So this other stuff you're talking about, like the meeting Truman Capote, Studio Fifty Four, Andy Warhol, and all this stuff. Do you think all of that was part of the soft yeah, sell to come I, in, or were those well, all secondary well, no, things uh, that just well, happened no, to happen? I, 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 it's a great question, and I would say. Is it, it all part of the big sell? It, it is from the point of view that all they're trying to sell is that their life is a life that you, that want. you want. Yeah. Look what I'm doing. Right. Exactly. Don't you want in on this? Because you're dealing with a narcissist. So they're basically saying, so it's not this like, oh, I'm going to get them to, you know, like, you know, figure out that, that my life is the best. You know, they just kind of show you like what your life could be like, look at my life. What do you want? And, and like, you could be this way too. And, and as I say to people, if you... If you haven't found the passion and you don't really have a game plan and you feel like you'd like to and you feel like you'd want some sort of purpose uh, and if you're at any point in your life where you're kind of asking some of those questions, well, well, what should I do with my life and what's life about and whatever they want, uh, then you're potentially vulnerable. And, and, and if you don't have a game plan and you meet someone who's really excited about their game plan and it certainly sounds better than your on, yeah. no plan. Yeah. You're like, oh, let me hear about it. And if it resonates with you on any level, then you have potentially some danger. Because in a, in a healthy relationship, if I found you very engaging and you're saying, you know, and we're talking and everything, and then maybe I say something that, you know, that, that Brian, you go, oh my God, oh, I never thought about that. Like, like you connect a couple dots just based on our conversation. And I'd be like, well, Brian, you know, you should, you know, read this book I read. That's where I learned that. Or I went through this class or I had this life experience or, you know, some, on some level I would, kind of diminish that I had given you anything because that's just kind of how we do as humans. In the unhealthy relationship, it's like, well, if you have any more questions, you know, let me let me help you yeah. out because I really care about you. I want you to learn. And I set up this dynamic now. Okay. Where you're coming to, come to you. you. Yeah, I'm the teacher, you're the <laughs> student kind of, and 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 you're like, oh that's great. That's awesome. So it's a it's it's an unhealthy dynamic because it's the type of thing I want more and and you seem to be giving me answers to the questions I'm seeking. And yet, I'm psychologically, unconsciously accruing some debt here. Like, yeah. Well, what am what I owe you because you've given me all this information. Exactly. You helped me find my life path. Exactly. But so here's where here's where I'm I'm trying to see how the two worlds didn't collide. And because you know I, I'm gonna play the stupid American. Well, I love what you're that. talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. when it comes to cults. Right. You're all in. That means you've you're just going to some place and you're doing it. But here you are talking about like. I continued my career in modeling, but yet I was also in a cult simultaneously, but I was also not visiting my family. So that's, those are well, three different pieces right. where a lot of times you hear this, like I remember I had somebody in my family, and then I'll, I'll leave yeah. it to you, but I, I had somebody in my family that was in the Moonies, and we mm -hmm. all, the way we talked about the Moonies back then and my family was like, they're in the Moonies. Where are they? We don't know. Right. They're gone. All they do is moony things. And so you assume when someone's in a cult, all they do is cult things. They stop working. They stop communicating with everybody. But it doesn't sound like that's right. the path. It, it, that and, 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 and one of my great mentors is, is uh, an ex-Mooney, so I know about that. But yes, you're, that, that is the ones that we, we uh, immediately identify that we'll think we'll see out of the blocks, oh, this is what it is, so I would just avoid that. And the point I'm making is there's so many more varied you know, because 
there's about 10,000 cults that they know of that are active in America today. Jesus. And they're as different as the personalities of each person driving them. And know? so for yours, how? so you just, did it start when you started staying with him? Is that yeah, where it started? They, I'll tell you, basically, when, 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 the, when the injury kind of became you know, clear and then I started making frequent trips into New York, that's when the hooks went in. Because that's when I was most, I kind of went through an identity crisis. Yeah, you've been a really, football, you know, player a football player your whole player. life. Like, like, if you had met me, at that time, I would have been like, oh, I'm a football player from Princeton. You know, like, that's how I would have called myself. So all of a sudden, I, I'm not a football player. I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. And so, and, and on top of it, you know, I'm in New York, staying at his place. He had a, a roommate, this guy who was um, a designer for Brooks Brothers. And he basically paid for all the food. I had no money, though. So I had a bicycle. You so know? you weren't modeling yet. You just, I just okay. got, came in to try it. Okay. And, and I, I played the starving actor thing like all summer. In the end of that summer, it was summer of 84. Uh, I want to see. Yeah, I think it was 83, 84. Anyway, the Olympics were coming out. And, and do you remember Steve Lundquist? Um, um, the big blonde swimmer. He's like from Texas. So anyway, he, I kind of looked like his type. And so at the very end of summer, they were doing some 7-Eleven Olympic commercial and they wanted the swimmer. And I remember because I had had a frustrating summer and I hadn't really gotten a lot of work. And, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can make this thing. And I was starving and, you know, I was having fun, but, you know, I wasn't feeling like I was having any kind of success. And I remember, you know, you go to these auditions and you can hear through the door like people yeah. talking, which is the worst, right? So I hear this guy in front of me talking. He's like, well, it's Captain Swim Team. And I, you know, this set the state record of this. And I'm thinking to myself, First of all, they're not timing me in a commercial. Yeah, you're not. You're not going to be doing any swimming. Yeah, you're going you know, to Seven Eleven. Like, like, I am not going to lose this <clears throat> to this guy because he's you know state champion of yeah. whatever. So I go in there and lie through my fucking teeth about how I'm state champion and I did this and I was captain. And yeah, 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 yeah. Pre Google, pre Google. Yeah, right. First exactly. of all, yeah, yeah, you can't check it out. And who's going to lie about yeah, that? I mean, I was just like because I was just desperate, and then I, and I booked the commercial. And then I remember saying to them, um, "They didn't push you in the water. You didn't start no, screaming help immediately." No, they did I was, I was like, okay. I was like, and I felt like you know, I could, I'm like, I'm like anything other than, than butterfly. You know, I'll be fine. And of course, I get there like, so, so you're gonna be doing butterfly, right? And I'm like, <laughs> and my butterfly was like a wounded duck. Yeah, it's like, right? like, like, like around like, over there for. So, so I said, I think it's better if we start in the shallow end. You know, and, and they're like putting the underwater equipment. Like, I hear this guy's really fast, man. We got to loop, you know, make sure this thing's really like lubricated. Oh, they got a fucking slider underwater. Like, we got to yeah, be able yeah. to follow yeah, this yeah, guy. Yeah, He's like yeah, a dolphin. And, and so, literally, I was pushing my feet off, off the, the floor so I could do that big, yeah, that. And that's ended up being the shot they took. But that, so I go back to college. And then the checks start arriving. And then I'm like, oh, this is a f- oh, fucking awesome is job. Like, this is like, yeah. And I actually got, I made enough money to actually pay for my last year at Princeton. Which, and, by the way, everyone who's listening, that's how commercials used to be. You yeah. could do one, yeah. pay off a year of college, <laughs> yeah. buy a house, get a new car. It was yeah. insane. Yeah, because they turned it into like four commercials. Like, it, yeah. was, it was amazing. And it was a national yeah. spot. And, like, yeah, I mean, I, and I, I was in it for maybe a second or two. Yep, uh, doesn't matter. It didn't matter. Now I can so, be in a commercial for yeah. 10 minutes yeah. and it pays a dollar. Yeah. And you're it, still here on my couch. And I'm yeah, still right. doing this podcast. Yeah, yeah so, that's, <laughs> so that's where I started to kind of go all in. And then I was going up to New York a lot. Okay, so you were, and, you were not and, living there doing this no, work. No, no, yeah, I was just, and I started, but I was literally mentally leaving college at that point and moving okay. into that sensibility. And, and then I was getting to know the whole entourage he had around him. And the reason I say it shifted is like, you know, the startup to becoming a real cult, because 
you have a lot of narcissistic personalities that will kind of always want to have some sort of group around them. They just, you know, starving for attention. But to really become a cult, usually something has to be a catalyst to kind of give you, make you a bigger deal, you know. Um, and for his situation, the sidekick guy, uh, who was the one who had introduced you to the commercial agent, um, was like this scholar, and he could, he could, he had, uh, he could just memorize like pages of scripture, and he had read all the the Hindu Vedas, and he could like he had memorized the Bible and all this stuff. So very impressive guy from that point of view. And he had reached out to this metaphysical writer, this woman named Ruth Montgomery, and Ruth Montgomery had been a legitimate press journalist for like six presidents, like press attaché to six presidents, and um, in her later years had come across this guy. I think his name was. Walter Ford or something. His last name was Ford, but he was a medium. So she kind of got introduced that there was another side, you know, like kind of a okay. metaphysical thing. So, but it was a fairly brief relationship and that guy died. And then shortly thereafter, she would get to her typewriter and she'd kind of go into this trance and then she'd start typing. And all of a sudden these, you know, these words would be coming out of her and then she would kind of come out of it and look at this like, what the hell is this? And then she would kind of take her investigative journalistic approach and go through it, and she's like, wow, this is actually seems to be legit. And it comes to, uh, to, to her awareness through doing this process that this guy, Ford, you know, the, the medium, was on the other side with other people, and they were feeding her information. She called it automatic typing. And she oh had boy. written like nine books. Oh, boy. You know, all from this guy. All different, yeah, subjects using her guides. So sidekick John reaches out to Ruth Montgomery and says, oh, my, I've got this amazing teacher. You should hear about him. You should ask your guides about him. He's, you know, and, and Freddie had had a whole shtick about, you know, what he is pitching, you know, as far as the end of the world and all these different things happening. And so... Um, so she, he was already kind of a doomsday sort of guy. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't something that, that was in the first conference. And that's, a, that's, a, that's another great point is that those things are not the opening argument. It's right, kind of, right. They're right. not like, by the way, it's world's not like, ending oh, on by May the way, 12th. You know, uh, you know, you're probably an alien and the end of the world's coming and spaceships are coming. and Yeah, you, gotta, you can't start yeah, with that. No, no. You, can, you scare everybody away. Yeah, it doesn't work. Like, right? All right, nutbag. I'll yeah, see you yeah, later. Yeah, all right, you, Dianetics. You, you, yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, you start, yeah. you start with, um, you know, oh, you've got such potential. I see like, you're you know, smart. you're so, yeah, you're very smart and, you're, you know, you don't, you're not like your friends. Yeah, you're immature friends. Yeah, exactly. All that sort of stuff. And it's called love bombing. That's the initial phase, right? You know, but then ultimately, that's all to seduce you into finally jumping on board. It's kind of you know the. But this is all happening in simultaneously. Are you starting to see success in modeling? Yes, and that's and that's what's interesting about it. Because this, is that technically kind of in conflict? Because you were talking about like really finding your voice, and or did it kind of seem that they were in well, concert, and that's well, what well, kept I, you in? I, I thought I was basically thought and taught that. Freddie was the conduit to any of that happening. You know, it's like okay. I couldn't take credit for any success because he had laid the on. It was his friend who had introduced me to the commercial agent. You were coming downstairs. You know, I was him. coming in to stay with him. Everything all was of that. Like, him. you know, so if, if I took any ownership, boy, I got crushed. Okay. So it, it happened yeah. pretty much simultaneously. Yeah. And, okay. and then. Even though they're not responsible for your looks. Right. And that so, is so why so you were basically, booking. what ended up happening, this woman writes four chapters in her next book, which was appropriately called Aliens Among Us. Perfect. And uh, and that gave him street cred. So now we're getting letters from all over the world because she's like published in 50 countries. Oh, wow. And so we had to set up a business. You know, we start 
uh, selling books. We're doing audio tapes. We're doing seminars. We've got a radio show, a TV show. I got 40 hours of him on TV being cult leader guy. Wow. You know, so when, when my docuseries comes out, it'll be interesting. To, I mean, uh, you, you can't put that much in it because after you... You see him and you're like, oh God, I get it. Like I, I <laughs> like like I remember first time I looked at this footage after years and years because I avoided it for a long oh, time. Oh, I'm sure it must have been. And hard. then I finally, you know, it's like, okay, I need to tell this story. And I'm going back and looking at the footage, and I was like, Man, I, I thought he was much better than that. The guy's like a walking red flag. Yeah. So he's like what we were talking about with superhero movies. We yeah, gave, we we gave, we cut right, him a lot of slack. Ex- exactly. Because of that, the time. Because of the time, right? And, and and, and, and a lot of the, the cultic relationship, and this is a point I'd love to make to you guys, like one of the misconceptions of cult is that, you know, like, I, and I'll say this probably many times, is it can't happen to me. I wouldn't be like... Dude, so, I was going to say, you're an educated person. You came up with a loving family. You weren't yeah. neglected, abused. You exactly. Were, and, you and, were, and, you, and that, you and that profile is exactly that either people consciously or unconsciously hold. And, and, the, and that's a defense mechanism to say, like, this is not something I need to worry about. Like on my list of things to worry about in life, like Being, I might get yeah. hit by a truck or, yeah. you know, I could have a terrible illness. Herpes. Or, you know, yeah, or, yeah, exactly. yeah. It's like, oh, I could fall on a cult. It's like, dude, not even on my radar. Yes. Are you kidding me? Like no. not a chance. And the truth is a cultic relationship by definition, and that's a clinical term, is any relationship we get ourselves in where the person we're seeking approval or love from uh, or want their, you know, kind of attention you know, we're, we give away our power enough that they can now control and abuse us in some way. Now, I don't know who hasn't had that relationship. Right. You know, that is part of the human condition. It could be a coach, a teacher, a parent, a lover, whatever. We get ourselves you know, in those relationships where no matter what we do, it's never good enough. No matter how hard we try, we should have done better. No matter, you know, you know, what we said could have been said a different way. Yeah. And that is a cultic relationship. So the cult is that dynamic Add in the peer pressure, you know, group element of other believers or other yeah, people so, who so see it this what way. What that does is, as you're going through your doubts, you're looking around, going, "Well, no one else seems to have a problem with this. Like, it must so be must be okay." Me. <laughs> That's you know? huge and peer it, pressure, right? I mean, and and it's a, and it's also the type of thing. Like in the beginning, they'll 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 put up with a few of your questions because you're you're noticing like what you're because the other part of it is a lot of the information you're getting exposed to is totally legitimate. Now, the behavior of the group is maybe and almost always not congruent with what those philosophies are. It seems are. a little bit off. It seems a little bit off, right? And it might be outwardly contradictory sometimes. So you're just trying to say, well, it seems like this. And, and, and so you'll ask these questions, and they'll tolerate it for a short time. And then it's kind of like, listen, asshole. Yeah. You know, look at all these other people been here a lot longer than you. They're not asking questions. Like, basically, are you in or are you out? Like, are you part of the problem? Are you part of the solution? But they like, don't want you to leave, though. So how? Are yeah, they... but it's a very good st- strategy at that point. Like, you know, it's like, do you, are you know, do you believe or don't you? Like, you know, there there comes a time where you gotta basically say, I'm in or I'm out. And, you know, if they played their cards right, which you know, you they everyone gets better at doing over time, you say, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, and then. The game changes. Now, is it you're in? Is it fear of missing out? Is it is it just yeah, like I, I, all I, these other people I'm friends with are doing it? it, it right. Seems well, like they, and again, it's also there's a cause now. There's a purpose. We're here to help save the world on some level. I want to become more self realized. I want to help the planet. Help my fellow man. Just like not be the selfish asshole. You're telling me that if I don't get involved in this, I'll just be a another you know Ivy League self consumed materialistic asshole. Now. 
I want to say that I feel that a lot of people reach a point in their life where they're like, because it happened to me. It was like, uh, okay, my options are continue along the same path. Be kind of this selfish piece of shit who's really just only out for himself. And, you know, it, and that hasn't worked out to this point for me. Yeah, Dr. Phil will say, so how's that working for you? Exactly, right. <laughs> so, so, Or I can change and be more accepting and more open-minded and, and, and believe that, and, and, and never, like, you know, go against other people's success or get angry right, at, at right, other right. people for succeeding and just, like, accept what comes and just be open to it and realizing that, you know, and, the and moment then, and, is... And, and then imagine you've got a group totally supporting you in that. Like, dude, we want to do the same thing, and we'll look out for each other. Yeah. We'll support it each other. It sounds we'll, so... It sounds great. It sounds You're awesome. like, yeah, man, yeah. you look out for me, I look out for yeah, you. totally, right? And we'll become, we'll become we'll, better we'll together. We'll become stuff. Like, we'll, we'll be spiritual warriors, man. It'll be great. It's yeah. awesome. You know, it's like, now I got a game plan. Yeah, you now know? I have and, a direction. And, and, and I'm in an industry that's the epitome of materialism, and I can function in it because... I've got a secret plan at work. No one has yeah. to know about. That. So that so that was all, I guess, Oof. in your mind, pre-approved by the boss man. Yeah, so it's totally he had, okay. He had actually been a model, so he was very much. Okay. He knew your world. He was, and and he knew about the money that I could make and all that. So you know, so is money a big part of this too? By always, the way? yeah. The the two the two biggest things are control and cash for okay. sure. It's the you CNC, know? yeah, music factory. And you are not allowed to question where the cash goes. Correct? Well, or, yeah, uh, exactly. I mean. Ultimately, if you move your yourself up the food chain, it's like the mob. You know, you, you get moved up if you kind of earn earn it. You know, but you ha- you basically have to become a tyrant to do it. And I was not great at that, so I I pretty much stayed in the pussy quality you know category of you know the followers and just shut up and, and follow along because you really had to to move up the food chain. You had to be telling people they're full of shit all the time and you know that you know what they're doing and. And you know, confronting them all the time, and I, you know, I was like Rodney King. Can't we all just get along? Right, yeah, because that's who you yeah, are. Right, exactly, Deep down, right, you're just right, a yeah. nice guy. Yeah. So it's like that was, you know, I mean, it's one of the things. You know, we can circle it back to Hollywood. You know, I, I've had to learn that that my kind of innate kind naturedness is perceived as weakness in this town. <sighs> yeah, and that has pissed me off more times than I could say. It's ridiculous. You know, it's like. It's like what the fact that I want to treat you with decency and humanity. Get a load of this you, pussy. You, you think <laughs> I'm weak. Now. Yeah. Well, and you know the the big yeah. one that everybody always says is, well, you know, the, the difference between you and a lot of these people is they they have no shame. You have shame, <laughs> right? And, and you look at it like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I have shame. I'm <laughs> sorry that I I feel bad if I behave like a douchebag. Yeah. And it's it's weird to me that that's kind of part of the thing of they see that as yeah. like a good badge of honor. To be yeah. shameless, because then you can just storm through anything. It's like we're not at war with anything here. And, and also, like, I guess you got to be decided at a certain point. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Right. Yeah. You, right. you don't have that long on Earth with your body. Why not just be someone that when you are gone, people are like, dude, that guy was all right. Not yeah. Ugh, ugh. Yeah, no one's right. mourning no. this dude. Yeah, and and that's ultimately the big hook is, you know, you're you're joining these groups thinking I'm going to leave a positive footprint behind. You know, I, w- with this group, with what we're trying to do, we're going to try to make a difference. Make things and, better than we and, found them. And, and, and then, you know, and then the, you know, and there's lots of techniques involved with, you know, they're, they're in essence trying to eliminate your pre-personality to the group. You know, they, you know the clinical term is, is like, you know, take your former personality and start building up the cult personality. So they have to, you know, the, the argument you're being presented with is, well, all your brainwashing happened before you met us. Like we're trying, that was we're, we're, we're like, unbrainwashing. We, we, we literally you. have to pull you out of the matrix. Yeah, you know. So we're pulling you out of the matrix, which is why 
your family and friends unconsciously, listen, they're all nice, you know, but they're kind of sheep. They don't understand. They're stuck in the matrix. They're going to unconsciously try to pull you off your path because you're now aligned with with the forces of light and they're still stuck in the dark. And that's the excommunication, basically. Yeah. That's how they that's do it. That's how they do it. You, 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 you're allowed to maybe initially test the waters to see if you might be able to recruit someone in, but if that's not really happening, then basically... You, and, and, and it's tied in a nice bow from the point of view of saying, I don't know, anyone doesn't have some kind of issue with their family. And this gives you this kind of point of view to say... Well, I'm on the spiritual journey that it's, you'll never it's understand. Them, not me. And therefore, you know, I have to separate. And when you cross over to the other side, you'll understand really the valiant work that I've been doing. Oh, yeah. You know? At what <laughs> point were you also sold on the end of days? Well, at this point, well, even when you're though, at, at your this point, at this stuff, point you... I was, you know, and, 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 you know, and part of it, this is, where, this is where it gets into the sci fi element because he was, I was in college. And I remember when not only was he saying, you know, that because his whole thing was uh, this thing called the pole shift. <laughs> I can laugh about this stuff now. <laughs> so the pole shift is basically the north and south pole, like within six hours, go like side. The whole planet goes like sideways and then realigns. So you can imagine it just land and see everything gets all commingled. Sure. And like 99 percent of the population get wiped out. And uh, so he claimed he knew that that was happening and where the safe places would be, which is why we ultimately moved from New York to North Carolina. That was one of the safe places in the Blue Ridge Mountains, which was going to be beachfront property. Okay. So, so there's a real estate element yeah, yeah. to this too. Okay, there's got there. it. And, and I remember him also saying, but if we keep on track, you know, the space people will come lift us out. And, and no one raised their hand at that point and was like, well, I was, in the, I was in the UFO club at eight years old. So I'm like, Oh, space people. Space people. Nice. Now, 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 you would have thought I might have said, like, well, how do we know they're the good space people? Or how do they, like, some sort of inquisition. No, no, the fact that they're real and they're going to come get us, I'm in. Like, I literally did not investigate any further than that. And I look back at this, like, how did that happen? Like, like I, I got off the phone one time. I was the senior year in college. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And my, my college roommate's looking at me like, dude, what, what what's going on? Like, I'm like, the Ashtar command, they're outside, they're outside, you know, just out near the galaxy. They're going to come get us, you know, and he's looking at me like, what? Dude, I'm going to call the school nurse, yeah. buddy. And they, and they actually did. And they, you know, and, you know, people were just very ill-equipped in those days. They were like, well, he's going into this Eastern philosophy thing that you guys don't quite understand it. He's just kind of more spiritually driven at an earlier age. And uh, he's fine. He's fine. They didn't, did nothing to know what to look for. My, me and my parents tried to do kind of a quasi-intervention, we called it. The meeting of the minds where like three guys from the cult came down to, to college and we had this meeting and nothing got accomplished. But I mean, there were you know, no one had she went to her church. They didn't really know what the science to look for. And it was just, you know, it was, it was a perfect storm from all these points of view. Yeah. Which and is kind of what it takes. It does. It's, that's what I try to tell people. I go, I go, it can happen to anyone, but there is does have to be a perfect storm. You've got to be at a, some sort of transition in your life where you're kind of seeking something. Yeah. So you're kind of receptive to checking. Because if, you, yeah. if you've got a game plan, you're not looking. Yeah, out right? of the way, like, guy. Like, I'm moving forward. But if forward. you're like, I don't know what I want to do, and boy, this guy you know, or girl seems really, really focused and you know, excited, like, oh, I wish I had that. That's how it starts. And, and you know, I mean, the, the ludicrous thing that you ask about the end times, like, I remember, you know, the, this is the late 80s. Everyone was using the tanning salons and everything. You know, that was kind of a big thing back then. Using what? Tanning salons. Oh, like yeah, the, yeah. The cult leader was very tan. <laughs> very tan. 
So, guys, so, end of the world's coming. Also, how do I look? Yeah. Oh, I mean, very vain, very yeah, tan. That's yeah. hilarious. And so, so we all were very tan. That was kind of a you know kind of. <laughs> you and, see the and, tan cult? Yeah. yeah and 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 I had you know I had other models saying, dude, you you're like you're always so tan. Are you worried about your skin? And in my mind, I'm like, I have no idea. I'm hitting the rejuvenation chamber in the spaceship at the turn of the century while you guys are all fucking wiped out. Wiped out. Yeah. And and I literally thought that. As embarrassing as that is to admit. No, but look, the, I mean I was like I was like, I got that handled. No, I can be in the tanning salon all day. And I don't I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to oh throw out any and spoilers. That's, and that was the choice. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna tan, you guys. Let's go tan. <laughs> Dude, this cult seems all right. I am pretty fucking tan. Yeah. Um I don't want to throw a spoiler, but at one point you were the first male to have the label supermodel. Yeah. Yeah. So and, where and, Well, where, that was another perfect storm, really. I mean, because the, the, if you if you consider it like a, a, a class that you come into university with, when I entered the business, I came in the same time with Cindy Crawford, Christy Turlington, Claudia I'm going to pause this for one sec, because there's a uh, compressor that's right on the other side of the wall. Okay. okay. Pause. Just because I think it's you're the closest to it, and I... Okay, and it just go. stopped. Okay, all right. there we go. But I'll, but I do want to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, all right. So I'm sorry. So go ahead. No, no, so, 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 so these are the women that we know as right. The exactly. First supermodels. Well, that's right. I mean, so so when that thing evolved, when these girls all became the supermodels, and that became this thing, right? Um, at a certain point, people were like, well, isn't there a male supermodel? <laughs> right. Like you know. Because yeah, men I, don't I, have. I, enough. And then you I, walked well, in the room well, on accident well, again. No, I mean, I I tell women all the time, like, listen. I'm one of the few men that walk the planet that know what it feels like to be sexually discriminated against. Because for 15 years, I did a woman's job where I got paid sometimes one hundredth of what they got paid. That's hilarious. I said, yeah. so I feel your pain. So, the, if, you know? so it's, it's, it's yeah. actually reverse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pay, yeah. I okay. mean, I mean, because less listen, people want to look at like, men. I, I, was, I, get, I get that. I, I just was wasn't, very yeah. fortunate. Like at my peak earning, you know, I was kind of making around a million a year. <laughs> but, but. You know, and that was like just a four or five year period. Oh. But 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 the uh, okay. But Let me tell you how many years oh, I've made a million dollars and, and and gave it all to the cult. So God uh, damn it, Hoyt! <laughs> we could be on my yacht right yeah, now. We could be doing this podcast from outer space. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It sucks, Fuck. but you know, school of hard knocks, man. It's costly, yeah. costly. Look, and also in, in the in the long run. Fucking who cares about the money? Yeah, exactly. You're exactly. Uh, uh, you're tan uh, and you're, you're tan. You got a good. Who cares about the money? Yeah. You're tan, dude. That was all I was going to say. When you're tan, it all works. I was like, dude, you look great. So th that's but, what. But that, that but, but that supermodel but, but, thing but, coincides yeah. with. Yeah. Then the money's coming in, and then the cult guy is like, hey. Yeah, yeah. And, and all of this, just so I'm assuming that the supermodel probably came in and after a couple of years of remodeling. But you also said that you were nowhere near these people for a long period of time. So I'm just curious if you're if you're traveling the world. Modeling. How are they? Because this is pre-cell phones. This is right. pre-internet. Well, yeah. How are they keeping a, gra a hold of you? Great question. Or are you so brainwashed? At this point doesn't well, matter. Well, it, it's it's a combo of that. No, one, I had to check in every day. You did. Yeah, I had that to must check in. no matter where you were. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, if 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 I was in Africa, I might get a whole yeah, pass. But isn't you know, that like, expensive? Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I've, I, I believe. Right. If you had seen my phone bills, because we had the credit card phone bills. Remember, then you you had the credit card call, <laughs> yes. and, you, and you get like. Oh, we got this number from Nigeria. And you're, everyone's like using it. Like they're calling their brothers and sisters and, and aunts yeah. and uncles until it finally stops working, right? Remember that? <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I would have to call in and um, 
and that would be one aspect of it. But, but And the thing that's interesting about that is when you're on your own as much as I was, because at the peak of my career, it's probably on the road 300 days a year. So, you are tra- so you're not traveling with groups of people. You're no, traveling No, well, yourself. yeah, I'm traveling solo, but you know, you're in your hotel room and that sort of thing. But I'm with a team in the sense that we're, we're, it's doing, a production. we're, doing, yeah, we're doing a shoot. But it's just one of these things of where because the principles have been laid out for you, you, know, you kind of become your own worst prison guard because you know what you're supposed to be doing okay. and you know realistically you're failing because it's unrealistic what they're asking you. You have to become this like perfect human that you know any opportunity you kind of make the right choice. And, that, that, and again, that's very cultic thinking, the black and white, like at any moment I can make a right or wrong decision. I, I have learned huh. in my life that you make choices, any choice you're going to make, you're going to learn from. So can you really categorize it as right or wrong? Like we're all a work in progress, trying the best we can do, and we're just making choices and learning from them. So this whole idea, and when someone starts telling you like, oh, that was wrong, that's not someone you want in your life. No, because and because wrong just means, look, you made, so you're you made a mistake. So you're talking about Twitter. Yeah. Exactly. And you Stay can grow Twitter. from it. Yeah. You can learn from that yeah. thing. And you made that mistake maybe for a reason. Yeah. Maybe that reason is so well, the next it, time. It, you can basically say there are no mistakes. There's only lessons, right? Yeah. I mean, really. So. You can you can frame whatever, but when but in these groups, it's all very much like like I was saying earlier, this is the way you're doing it, and you did it wrong. You know, ninety five percent of the time, you're going to be wrong. And so that, that helps control you too, as well. Oh right? yeah, and, yeah, but yeah. I'm saying you also control yourself. So when I would make that call in, I'm kind of spin doctoring how the events of the day gone. So I'm not going to totally reveal like kind of how many flaws I did. Right. Well, I have to admit a few. To seem but not human. Be, yeah, to seem, you know, to be, you know, semi honest. But, you know, this is where I really kind of suffered with this double life of. So I wasn't really being honest with them, you know, because I'd, I'd be out there and I was kind of, you know, I had friends and relationships, whether from college or in the industry, that I actually got to care about. And you were not supposed to really associate with anyone outside the circle. So you would not. So let me ask you a question. Did you not talk about this stuff with certain yeah, people? You know, is and, that, and, and, and is that, was and, that allowed? And, and, you, you're spo- you would you would test the waters to see if you know because you were I was always kind of a recruiter so I would kind of I would talk about things in 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 a certain way kind of an ideology and that might foster a conversation where I'm like oh well, if you want but you know, if I blew you off then what right, you still then, talk then, to me no 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 I it was I was never the hardcore press type of person but so you could still fight so because you have to function with those yeah, people that totally, you work with yeah. right otherwise but but then you know, remember it's it's the it's the late '80s, '90s. All that new age stuff was exploding. Yeah, like it was, it was everyone super, was kind of I mean, into all. Dianetics that. Yeah. was literally they had advertisements yeah. for so, that book so on TV. So it was all very kosher from a certain point of view, and you were just trying to see if there was a connection, and if there was, it might lead to you actually meeting the cult leader. And I recruited in a few models, and you know, I recruited in some people from my college, you know, and, and that's part of the tough stage of the recovery is, is having to take ownership of that. Now, I, at the time, I thought I was doing everyone a solid. Right. How many you know? people would you say you recruited? Um, yeah, a dozen, 15, you know, probably, wow. you know, but then also I was a poster child. I mean, who knows who else? Like I was constantly put into position kind of like a Tom Cruise does with, with Scientology. It's like, don't you want that life? Don't yeah. you want to be like him? He's traveling the world, like, modeling with he, Christy, you know, Chrissy you know, Turlington. Yeah. So, so I, you know, and that, and that bought me certain privileges from a certain point because I wasn't there all the time. But like I said, be, by being your own worst prison guard, that's, its own little pathology and the fact that I couldn't be honest with the people really on the outside, really what I was involved with. I didn't know either, but I mean, it wasn't, it was, that would have been a betrayal of kind of the inner circle secrets. I yeah. Think. I would never do that. And likewise, when I'm calling in, I'm not really being totally transparent with them either. 
So I felt like I was lying to everyone all the time. Which so is that's my next like question. A, Were you enjoying like, this? That's, yeah, that's like a little <laughs> Pac-Man eating at your soul. So no, yeah. I was in turmoil. And I'm also having this you know, towering career that the group is telling me, well, that's great from the point of view that you're earning money, but you're, the fact that people are paying you because you inherited a genetic code that people consider to be beneficial to, to their eyes you know, basically describes how full of shit the whole world is. So the fact that, you know, that <sighs> you can make money this way is ludicrous, but the fact that you're so full of shit and you actually like it and you seem to get along with all those idiot people out there, the least you can do is do it and let us do something good with the money because what are you going to do when you're here other than clean toilets? Oh. And that was kind of the way. So. Yeah, and that's, yeah, I'm like, uh, so like. You people, were far gone so, if that, yeah. if you were like, you know what? You're right. I yeah, should get back uh, to no, clean some that, toilets. Because all, all they're all they're doing is really trying to uh, uh, you know uh, erode your critical thinking, and yeah. so you're you feel very very diminished in, in the way that you know you kind of your self image and the way you look at you know you know uh, yourself and the and the way that you know your your any of your your hopes dreams ambitions well that's selfish. You know it's all about the cause. You know it's all about that. So it really becomes this situation of you're fighting your own inner demons and all of that process is like, oh, the dark forces are trying to get me and if I could just get past myself, I'd be fine. Did you so, ever have experiences when you were talking about all this stuff with people? Because you said you kind of test waters with people that we'll call them the normals, right? People that are not, right, right. they're part of normal society, right, they're not in right. your thing. And you, do you remember looks from people that you're like, oh my God, this person thinks I am batshit crazy? Y yeah, and, yeah. And did you ever have friends that you look back on now that were like, dude, you're crazy. I am done with you. And and how and when you look back on it now, like I'm sure you had a different perspective at the time they said it to you, versus how you look back on it now. Do you have those experiences yeah, that you remember? I mean, I, I mean, maybe not to that extreme of of of. Uh, well, they certainly would not verbalize that. Okay. But but I did have I, I did get looks, and I did I did have people, you know, who close to me saying you know, with again not knowing much more than than I did, as far as you know the idea of a cult. Like, are you sure this isn't a cult? And my reaction would be like. Fuck you. You think I would join a cult? Like, really? So you never even looked at it that way. Oh, no. No way. Because cults are for weirdos. Yeah. And you guys were trying Again, to save I the world. I thought at some point everybody that's in a cult knows they're in a cult. Abs nope. That is that is absolutely yeah, incorrect. That's the, the So they that never is, acknowledged that part of it. No. I, I can tell you what oh, happened. I just the, thought they the, just accepted oh, it. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, okay. no, no. Cults are bad. Yeah. Even when so, you're in a cult. Like, we... We would look at Scientology and the moon's like, oh my God, those are cults. Like people are that's awful. Like if we could only help those people, if they could be with us, they'd be fine. But yeah. they're in like dangerous situations. They're in a cult. We're in a they're, group. Yeah. And and it even got to the <laughs> it even got to the point where Is it a Yahoo group? Yeah. Where uh the cult leader it's a long story, but the circumstance the cult leader died and there was a Vanity Fair article that came out simultaneously exposing the group. As a cult, like we, your we, group, yeah. Even though we were a small group, we were less than maybe even a hundred at our max. Oh, okay, okay. You know, but we had like a a, a, a mailing list of like forty five thousand. So, so we you had, were communicating with right, outside but, people, right? But your actual only a hundred of you actually went to the yeah, compound. like 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 we yeah to the yeah we we would have dinners and okay. events and sort of things. And Got I it. lived in the we had like nine apartments in my the apartment building I lived in. <laughs> you know, it's like. And, and Freddie would it's say, a mini business. They're, they're like chambers in the pyramid. You yeah. Know, all this bullshit. So, okay. so we were all there, but then it's this type of thing of where um, this article comes out and says it's a cult. And to get to this point, you know, I actually got a book on cults. 
after you saw this article. No, after this article, because the leader was w- w- was dead at this point, and I was the closest thing to a public figure. So I got like Phil Donahue, Oprah calling me, like, "We want to have you on and talk about this." And, and you like, did or did not do him? Like, no okay. fucking chance. Yeah. Like, there's no way. And uh, and so. Yeah, like even the Phil Donahue letters, like, so we hear you're now in control of this group, and we went, I'm like, <laughs> fucking chance. Who was? I am. Uh, that was that became a whole power struggle. We'll get oh, into okay. that. All right. But but the you know, I got this book, and I'm reading some of the tenets that they talk about cults, and I'm like, you know, we do do some. I, I'm so, but I'm so sure we're not a cult. I'm like, these are I, similar. I can see why people maybe think we were one. Yeah. So we would have these conversations going, you know, we need to minimize this cult-like behavior because otherwise people are going to think we're a cult. We know we're not. And this is the way you the denial plays out. Like, you know, and, and when someone would be behaving in that way, it's like, you're acting like a cult, baby. What the fuck are you doing? Like, that is how we would yeah. talk. Wow. So that's how deep the denial is. Uh, and again, okay. that denial is only fed purely by ignorance. And that's why... You know, when I, when I, you know, because I, I bring the subject matter up all the time. Man. I'm, you know, I'm never boring at a cocktail party. I can drop the cult bomb. Dude, I was going to say. <laughs> at like, any moment, it's like small talk, leaves the building. Yeah. And some guy's like. I'm over here talking to the cult, dude. Dude, dude, did that guy just say he was in a cult? I mean, it's Do you feel yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. a unicorn sometimes when you say Because a lot of people, well, again. Well, I do. I, I do. I, I've, I've gotten better at it because I, I find a way to introduce it in a very um, kind of very light and easy almost you know um uh throwaway manner you know it'd be like like we were talking kind of the way i introduced it in this conversation you know we were talking about a certain kind of behavior i'm like oh well you know that reminds you of some things that we did in the cult we know we used to do this and then person's like um but rewind that you said you were in a cult you know and i'm like yeah yeah and they're like are you okay talking about it? i'm like well i've been on national tv talking about (laughs) yeah what what would you like to talk about because i've learned it, it not only heals me, but I want to give people the opportunity to get the information. Because if you, if you get the information, it'll make sense to you. But if you stay so-called in the dark, you're vulnerable, yeah. like I was. You know, so I just, you know, my whole work in this area is, is recognizing, like, you can't help or save anybody. People help and save themselves. And one of the primary ways they do that is information. But they have to have access to it. So if I can facilitate getting access because of the crazy scenario that I came from, which from a certain point of view is the anti-cult profile, it's a very powerful story to engage. It's certainly face-to-face at a a cocktail party or some event where someone's just kind of honestly saying, yeah, this is what happened, and I'm okay talking about it. Because, again, it goes back to a, a point you made earlier. Carrying shame is one of the most toxic things that we can do in our lives. And so... There's a great author, um, Brene Brown, that talks a lot about this. And, you know, she's like, the only real antidote to shame is vulnerability. And the best means of vulnerability is to own your story, be transparent, and you'll quickly identify from a certain point of view who you want in your life or not. Because when you are honest and and transparent about your story and take ownership of it in a way of saying, yeah, listen, this is what happened. This is what I learned. This is, you know, this is part of my biography it's not that which defines me but it is part of who i am and i'm okay with it because it's taught me things that i'm grateful for and if someone has issues with that that says more about them than it says about me and generally what the reaction is when i volunteer something like that someone's like 
God, you know, I've got this part of my life I never talk about. Like this guy's talking about. It's called, I could, and then we have these, they they will divulge some of their kind of demons they don't normally talk about. And we have these great conversations. And you realize that this is a potential foray into some healing for everybody. Right. And, and it's, like I said, everyone's had a cultic relationship. I've just gone through the extreme version. And that's why potentially it's a teaching tool. Right. So I just try to make it accessible and try to encourage my friends and family to have those conversations because, you know, that's the hardest part about once you figure it out and once you like and get away, like I had to escape and all that. But, you know, as I tell people all the time, I go, as shitty as cult life was, putting your life back together is a fuck of a lot harder. Yeah. Because in the cult, you kind of like hear the rules, you got to follow them or you're in trouble. It's your right, trying to stay out of trouble. You're going through all your mental torture, but things are fairly simplified. Identifying that it was a cult and realizing that you've, avoided that and didn't learn that. And you basically have to, like in my case, reframe 20 years of your life going back to that moment on the beach and going, I was being manipulated starting then and have to go back and reframe all those next two decades and kind of go like, all right, this stuff I got exposed to, I actually believe, you know, my life's actually supported that. This stuff, total bullshit. This was really manipulative this was really toxic this was actually liberating you know like you yet it's, it's a lot of shades of gray through that whole product that is really really tough and then you have to develop the communication skills to relay this experience in a very user-friendly way to all the people who went un, you know un, involuntarily on that journey with you all your friends and family anyone cared about you got sucked on that journey with you who are now looking at you because you're like okay i was in a cult because they're all looking like Dude, what the fuck happened? Yeah, we and, know and, you. Yeah, yeah, and you and I want to be able to give them some information to understand. So because most people get in that place, and I'm sure it's like when you're when you know someone who's an addict, where you're like, was there something I could have said? Could I have done something? Like like they torture themselves. Yeah, they we, wonder we if we as humans always somehow feel like, their I fault. I, exactly, that's yeah. what we do. We, and so these conversations potentially foster that kind of healing. So I've learned like it's that's the critical critical thing. Like own the story, talk about it, get, and you get better at it as you do it. So I had brought it up in all these kind of environments, so I've gotten better at it. It's like doing a comedy act, right? You know, you, you start to learn how to play the audience, like, what are they drawn to? Because what ends up happening, and this I never expected. At first, I'm like, listen, I'm just going to be honest, because I spent so many years living this double life and feeling like I was lying to everyone. I mean, Liddy, and they talk about this in, like, addiction recovery. You go through the confession pit, you know, stage where... You, know, you finally take ownership, like, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict, whatever. And you, you're virtually telling everybody. And, and I went through that. I would, I would literally get in a cab, and I'm like, oh, I need to go to 34th and, and, and 2nd. Just got out of a cult. Yeah. <laughs> Did I tell you I was in a cult? No, 15 years, really. Just going to the Walgreens yeah, up yeah, there. I was yeah. in a cult. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, it was, like, compulsive, you know? Well, so, I, uh, but I will say th there is, like, I, your openness to talking about it, I definitely appreciate. And I, we did a movie together, uh, Dumbbells, that you wrote and, uh, you know, right. fucking edited. Produced, starred. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and in that movie, like, when I got the script, I read the script. And I was like, holy shit, there's this whole thing about, it, it's a comedy. It's a comedy. <laughs> it's about a gym. It's a comedy. It, and and it's like, there's this whole thing about a cult coming back to capture this guy. And in my head, I'm like, oh, man, this is great crazy shit like this is funny <laughs> nonsense and then i get on set and someone's like well you know hoyt was in a cult i go that fucking model over there i go that guy wasn't in a cult don't give don't be ridiculous and then like from that and just yeah. getting to know you and learning about it i was like 
holy shit, like, th- this real, like, it's not like you have to prey on the ugly or the fucking fat or no. whatever. <laughs> it's like, this is a guy on a beach who probably looked better than everybody on that beach that day. And it's like, he'd probably fake tan that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was a real tan. That yeah, was yeah, before yeah, he got yeah. off. That, that was before oh, the tan. That was baby yeah. oil. That was, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. straight yeah, up yeah, tan. Exactly, the baby oil. Exactly. To, to understand that, that it, it, it's something that can happen to anybody is. And, and, I mean, and that's the crux of the matter. Like, like to me, when, when I've seen, uh, and this is where I'm moving into this space, like, I'm always going to want to make the movies I'm doing. I love all that. I love, I mean, living this life, you can imagine, turned me into a storyteller. Because like, right. yeah, how, how how could it not, right? And and they talk about that in the recovery process. Like the creative arts is the best way to rebuild your self esteem, because you know you you have a lens now wherever you whatever way you want to call it. And part of that's obviously based on your biography. Of which part is this thing that you may be wanting to hide from? When you start to realize that this lens you have actually gives you this unique perspective that others seem to appreciate, you start going, oh, okay, actually there's a method to the madness here. Yeah. Like, so that, that's really, really been cool. But you know, the, the, the big issue I've had with the way culture dealt with in general in the media is from a storytelling point of view, they focus on the antagonist. Let's talk about the psychopathic, evil fucking cult leader. Yeah. You know, and all the people's lives he fucked up and all the weird shit they got into. And then we can also like train wreck television, like, oh, Got to be an idiot to do that. Thank God that'll never happen to me. Next program. I mean, you know? what you saw, and, Big Country or Wild yeah, Country, yeah, Wild and Wild exactly. Country, and that and that fell prey to that that problem because that was a great telling of if I live in bumfuck Oregon and a cult moves in the door next door, what would that be like? Yeah, right. They handle that, but as far as making me understand, like, well, why did people join this? Group? Why were like, people like, there? What did it stand for? Yeah, like and 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 feel some empathy for the people who were even in it. It didn't do that. It focused on the cult leader and the sidekick, you know, yeah, the, the woman. Who was essentially became the and, leader. And you don't even have any of the former members ever going, you know, this was a cult. It was dangerous. And they, we did control our lives. No one said, so there's there's no healing process. And and I think that's one of the other big, so normally the, do they not only just focus on the antagonist, the other underlying, if, you know, if spoken but largely unspoken attitude is, well, once it's over, you're fine. Like you go back to your life. Not a chance. Like I'm telling you, the, the recovery is period harder. is much harder. It's, it's it's like coming back from Vietnam, you know, and, Adjusting. The, and you're, ha- you're having a drink at the bar with your your army buddy, and he's ha- he's having a rough time. And you're like, dude, there's no bullets going off. Relax, everything's cool. What's your problem? Yeah. He's like, dude, you have no idea. no idea what I've gone through. Yeah. And I can't even tell you. Like, and and that's the work you have to do. It's like I need to do the work so I can tell you about it because. If you don't understand, it's not going to do me any good. And if I can't tell you, it's not going to do me any good either. You know? oh, well, also, and by you telling it shows that you understand, because if you didn't understand, then it's right. all a wash. Right. And, and, and by me explaining it, I'm basically giving permission to say, listen, there's nothing you could have done. You didn't know what you were up against. I didn't know what I was up yeah. against. No fault on anybody here. You know, let's learn from this. This yeah, happened. Yeah. You move forward. Right. But, but, but the key is to pass on the information so that. Other people like us might have the information and maybe be faced with circumstances like I did might make a different choice yeah. based on the fact that they have information. And never once during all of your, I mean, I guess it makes sense because you believe that it all, it all centers on, on what your belief system is. There was never moments, even though you knew that you, you assumed there was a direct connect between the people that you knew, the guy that you knew, and your success. Like John yeah. was talking about, and by the way, you were a supermodel, and, and when we'll try to figure out work on how you actually went from being a model into act into actual like acting acting but 
It, it, were there ever moments, though, where that be, just became more appealing and, and you questioned the whole, even though it was a, it was a lifestyle um, and, a, and a belief system? Did, did, did that success ever cause you to, to just that part of it to just get out and just go live that success life? You, you know, it... Uh, because at the end of the day, right? End of days. Who gives a shit? Well, yeah, right? the, yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, I'll I'll put it this way. I I certainly was conflicted, and there were times like you know when I'm being invited to go to the weekend with Madonna. I'm like, well, that sounds kind of fun, but I was like, the group will never let me do that. You know, you and couldn't go out uh, for a weekend to hang out with Madonna yeah. because the group was not going to like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right there, I'd be like, I need a new fucking group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and 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 I also thought about you know I could stash like. 100k in Switzerland, you know, just in case. I had those thoughts, never did it, you know. So you I did go through that process a bit and and after the cult leader died and we went through this kind of transition in the group and uh a much uh more inexperienced and in a, a less effective cult leader took over. Um that's yeah. th- that for me was actually the more difficult time cuz the cult leader really treated me with kick gloves. Like he had me he had me kind of wow wound in a great web where I was just passing on the cash and he'd be like, Oh dear, you're fabulous. And you know, all, you know, cause he and, was benefiting greatly. Right. From you. And, yeah. and, but what it did, it created a lot of resentment within the group. So when he died, all of a sudden I got this wave of payback because I had been kind of the golden goose for a long time. Now they still needed the cash, <laughs> but they were, you know, they were starting to really work me over and kind of like, you're going to eat a few shit burgers like we've been eating over yeah. the last few years. And so it was a few years. So the cult leader died. So the cult, the, like, if I, for 15. How, yeah, when so did he five, die? He that? died after five. And the next 10, we, oh. we moved down to North Carolina. And that's where we became like very, because at that point, no access to the space people. Cult leader died. Do you know space people? I don't. Do you know him? Are you talking to him? How no. did it not? Di- so that's <laughs> Only the cult leader knew the Only space people. Only the cult people knew the space So we're like, okay, we got to prepare for the end of the world. So we have four years of stored food. We have guns. We have bunkers. We're like, we're-, we're Who are you shooting? What's that? No, it's protection. Well, I mean, protection, you know, because um, we're going to be fighting for crumbs. You know, the oh, world's going to okay. collapse, and, and there's only going to be a few of us left, and, you know, people are going to be freaked out, and, you know, you know, this is our penance. Basically, we t- we we it got spin doctored like because we were also full of shit. The cult leader died before his time. Our karma killed him. That's what you guys believe. Now he died of AIDS. Okay. So, yeah. You know, but because again, like uh, like I said earlier, he had claimed to be asexual, but uh, <laughs> you know, here I'm living in the apartment with him, like like three or four other people. Like I said, he'd be in the bedroom. The rest of I mean, I'm literally getting off the Concord, come back to the little apartment, sleep on my mat. I've got maybe a four-by-four four space in the closet that's mine. Everything else is communal. And wow. I'm, and I'm Johnny. This is these, this, yeah. five, this five years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, and, you're that the, and you're the only, are you the only one who's like a supermodel? Well, there were a couple other models, but no one's having the success, success that I was. But, but yeah. yeah, I mean, so it was a really odd kind of, but it, yeah, I felt like it grounded me on some level, you know. And, and you, I can certainly say, in retrospect, it probably kept me out of a lot of trouble because I had access to a lot, like McDonald's yeah. parties and you know yes. whatever you know yeah. all sorts of th- you know things I could have gotten myself into, uh, and but it was this type of, of thing of where he seemed to have this point of view that he would look at everyone as the same. Like he he was all into high society and, and he had he had hit the his phone book was a social register, which I didn't even know there was a social register until I met this guy. And he was all into like Prince this one and Duchess this and Duke that. And I'm like, 
I don't really care. But he's like, oh, this one, this arch party. And I'm like, whatever. So that was one part of his life. And he used to do the whole high society thing. But you couldn't. No, no. I, I, listen, I met Alice Tully. You know, Alice Tully Hall, you know, in, in, in Lincoln Center. Like, you know, I met oh. some amazing people through him. But you yeah. said you wouldn't do things... Well, uh, because no, just, the group no, would not approve it, but he did this stuff. Well, so it, no, he, we would do things as a group oh, with him. Okay. And his point of view was like, he was like, "Dear, I want you to see everything, so you can just see it's nothing." Oh, okay. That was kind of the approach, and I'm like, "Well, can I go to the Madonna party and see it's nothing?" Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> How about I do all this you know, cocaine like, and take know, all this like, money and see yeah, that it's yeah. nothing, and you then bang all these like, other like, ladies, you know, and it's, it's like, nothing? It didn't seem to work that way. But he would have, he would be like really friendly to like street people and that sort of thing. So it seemed like, oh, this guy doesn't see differences. He's an uh, evolved leader. And he would have these uh, Hispanic and African-American guys come by and, you know, you know, uh, and um, he'd be like, oh, Lord H. That was my, my, my nickname. He was like, Lord H, this one's had trouble with his wife and his family and the kids. And look, he's been shot twice. And the guy who pulled the shirt, he's got a couple bullets. And, uh, uh, and then they go in the back room, and this is what he would always, you know, like kind of go give them a session with, you know, like he'd do a, with he'd his do dick a astrological, you know, readings. But yeah. he was actually getting, banging them, banging them, and you know, get getting banged or whatever, yeah. you know. But he that's how he tran- transacted AIDS. So we all think he's like beyond all that. So you know, when this is all coming out, we're like, well, that's all lies. The media, it's all twisted. It's all wrong. You know, it's, you know, he was a saint and all sort of thing. Until finally, one of the guys in the group's like, oh, no, he was like, he put me in the closet one time to watch him just to, to show me that, you know, this is, you know, none of this matters. I'm like, you've watched him, like, get hammered? He's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, what? oh. So we were just oblivious. So, okay. So then when that next period took over, um, the br- group kind of fractured. There was kind of a power struggle. At one point, there was this German guy who was a peer of Freddie, and he had kind of taken over, but he didn't have any of the charisma, and he was super disciplined and too too strict. And literally, after six months, we're all like, it feels like we're in a cult. we got to get rid of Fritz. He's awful. Like, it feels wow. like we're in a cult. And we have this mutiny, and we kick him out. You know, it was a huge plan, kick him out. And, and I was one of the three guys who led this charge. And... We kick him out, and now the three of us are kind of in charge. This is where now? This is down this in is, North Carolina? No, this is still in New York, but we're, we're kind of moving oh, towards okay. North Carolina. So this is like early 90s, and we're transitioning to North Carolina. So for a good six months, I was kind of in a leadership position. But again, like I said, I you didn't want it at that, and, and I couldn't be tyrannical. So I was quickly demoted. And then these two guys kind of battled it out for a while, and then eventually the one guy kind of With surfaced. swords or? Uh, yeah, yeah, what, yeah. What? yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, there, yeah, it, it was, it was a, there, there wasn't, this wasn't one of these crazy sex cults, you know. It was one of these, you know, people were always curious about that. It was because he had been gay. There was a lot of ideology based on the fact, like that was the higher evolution, and and, and he really fucked with, you know, all the straight men in in the group of like. Oh, he actually incorporated that into his. Yeah, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like. You, you'll get to the point where you don't care about anything, but you yeah, first okay. have the highest, you know, you, you, once you realize, it was kind of like if the food chain was homosexual man, homosexual woman, heterosexual man, heterosexual woman. So if you if you had a vagina, you were, you know, in heterosexual, you were a low, low person on the Okay, vagina. good. So he kept the women uh, at where most uh, religions do, at yeah, the bottom. Exactly. At the bottom. So okay, there's definitely it. a misogynistic vibe, and, and, 
and the girls really got mistreated from that point of view. Shocking. They, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and but being one of the guys, it was always this kind of thing of like, well, you're actually gay or you're actually homosexual you're just too repressed to admit it which is a really fucked up thing to tell a kid because it's like i'm like well no i'm just not wired that way like and i'm I have nothing against homosexuality but it's like because believe me i was given plenty of opportunity you know even though like that wasn't a driving force it was this whole thing of, like be liberated whatever and you know the fact that i wasn't wired that way you know i was being painted like i was just repressed and that really fucked with my head for a long time you know, and I know I wasn't the only one. You know, that's that, that's just. A, but when you try to control the sexual nature of someone, it really, really is a nasty thing. Well, I mean, and look also, what's, look what's going on in the Catholic Church. They're trying it, to control the. They're trying yeah. to control the sexual habits of yeah. men who work there, and that the men are raping children. Yeah. They're raping nuns. Yeah. They're like, oh, I know. It, it's as old as time. You it, can't. It's awful. You can't cut off sex. You can't. It doesn't and, make and 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 people are predisposed to whatever turns them on. Like yeah, like, you can't control that. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that. Yeah. That's also what feeds into homophobia as yeah, well. Right. That they're oh, they're just trying to get you. Yeah. They're everything. Or, or, everything they're after or, me. Or, yeah. Well, yeah. They're trying to. Tr- yeah. They're you're, well, they're crafty or, or, or folk. Or it's this idea. Oh, it's a choice. It's like no, actually, I see a dude and my dick gets hard. Like like yeah. That's not a choice. Like that's an involuntary act. It's like as we all know, like. You know, when you get in that situation with the girl, it's like you start thinking, "Oh my God, I need to have a boner." Well, then you can't get a boner. Right? It's like you know, it's like you get in your own way. If you have, if you make I it a choice, a, I should, it ain't gonna work. Yeah, Give me right, my dad's yeah. favorite part of the show. Right. Hey, could I uh, ask you a uh, a question? Because uh, again, you know, it goes to those things about questioning. Sometimes when you hear stuff and how they justify it, if based on what he's saying, then you guys no longer procreate. Right. So, well, so the, basically, are you wiping yourselves out? I don't. I, so well, I'm well, trying no, to understand the, well, how that I, I, oh, the, idea, the logic. I yeah, guess he, of the, 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 lo- the logic the, worked like this: food uh, romantic love was the downfall of mankind. Okay. Sure. And and yeah, exactly. And then the <laughs> idea with, with the timeline of being around the turn of the century was when the the shit was going to hit the fan with the pole shift. All right. Um, so 2000 was right 2000 around. 2000 was when it's all going to go down. Okay. And then the the idea is, you know. We're going to rebuild the planet. Then we can start, you know, procreating because it's necessary. But until then, you would not want infants around when the shit's about to hit the fan. Okay. You're having to fight for food and all sort of things. So that was that was a longer goal type of thing. You know, the procreation thing would be a second tier. The first thing is like get through the, the you know, the the storm that's coming. And then we can work about, you know, kind of rebuilding the planet. Can, can I honestly say that that is, sounds like a very intelligent path? Because I'm watching Walking Dead, and these idiots keep having fucking babies. Right. And I'm like, hey, you're living in a zombie apocalypse, dude. You don't want a crying baby yeah, yeah. when you're on the run from yeah, zombies. Right. John just joined Thank a cult. You. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Thank I'm, I'm no, the cult of the AMC Sunday night hit show, <laughs> The Walking Dead. No, but right. No, but, but yeah. I mean, it's it's not rocket. It doesn't take rocket science to figure no, that out. Yeah, when well, the I mean, shit's going down, well, you don't like want to have to deal with children. A quiet place. It's like, really, you want to have... Let's get a child in, yeah. in a place where animals, you know, these creatures, go Maul by sound. Maul you like, if you yeah, make a yeah, noise. That, yeah. No, it's crazy. Like, but anyway, so that's the <laughs> smartest thing the cult had going. Wow. One of the smarter things. Well, you know, I it, still it, question that's actually, it's actually a good point because, like I said, the recovery process is, is, is piecing together the things that were valid, you know, because like, like most of the groups use... I would say out of the 10,000 cults, probably 80% of them use the Bible. So you can't say the Bible is the issue. <laughs> you know? Well, you I could. Mean, yeah. You, yeah. you, could, you could point towards it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but I'm just saying that you, you've got legitimate texts that... You know, right. Like, that we, other people that aren't in cults uh, listen to and, 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 and abide by. And it's the type by. of thing, that's something that, what, that people draw inspiration from. 
right? right? Now, how you choose to interpret and then behave based on that interpretation is completely subjective. But this idea that they're just lying to you all the time isn't actually accurate. You actually get exposed to information, but then you realize it gets manipulated. And so that is one of the challenges of the recovery process. Like, you just can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, I will say I do have a reticence for group spiritual activity after going through something like this you know uh, I, I think, oh. well just i just feel like i i don't i'm not really comfortable like going to church or these type of things because you know it's like i it's it's we all know like in a group dynamic like even if you go to a sporting event there's this thing that takes over and i realize how that can manipulate you so having been on inside of that for a long time in my life I prefer not to be in that. I mean, I love going to the link or something that, you know, see the Eagles play. I was going to say, you but know. do you think, like, like when you say, like, like sporting events, like when uh, Eagles fans threw snowballs at Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, which we're right? never going to live down. No, you, you can't. <laughs> you whip snowballs at Santa Claus. But, like, ever, people started doing it. Other people started doing it. Right. It was, like, that mentality exactly. of, like, hey, it's okay to spit on babies because no, we're, that, the fucking that, that, White that, Sox are that, losing or whatever. Categorically, that is exactly what I'm talking about. And yeah. they're, they're great... Um, uh, a researcher, this guy um, uh, Cialdini, he's out of uh, Arizona State. Sounds like a made up. Sounds thing. completely made yeah. up, but yeah. yeah. Cialdini, it's this book called he's a magician? Influence, influence and Persuasion. He talks all about these influence techniques of how we're predisposed to make certain choices based on our cultural upbringing because we just naturally do shortcuts. So the, one of the examples he gives is, you know, um, the fact of reciprocity is one of the laws that he talks about. So if someone seems to be doing something kind for you, you feel an indebtedness to do something Reciprocate that kindness. Right, exactly. So one of the things he says, he goes, if you have a question that you kind of want answered a certain way, what's more important is the question you ask before the question you want answered a certain way because it changes the temperature. It's kind of like if I put one hand in cold water and one hand in warm water and then they both go to room temperature, this hand thinks it's hot, this hand thinks it's cold. The water temperature is the same. So the example he made was there was a, a small community where they had a juvenile delinquent program. So they went out to the people and said, we've got this issue. You know, you know, we'd wonder if maybe you could take the kids to the zoo one weekend and help out and kind of give them some guidance. And people were like, uh, very low, low response rate. And then they went back uh, to that community like a month later, but I asked them two questions this time. I said, listen, you know, we've got this juvenile delinquent issue. And... Um, we're wondering, we're, putting together, we're thinking about putting together a board. You know, they meet like maybe once a month, you know, for a couple of years, and we kind of come up with some programs to help these kids out. Two years, every month, no, come on, I can't, you know, I don't even know where I'm going to be in two years. Well, then could you take the kids to the zoo maybe one weekend? Now six times as many people say yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I don't want to be involved for yeah. a lengthy, th- but one weekend I yeah, can give you. exactly. So, and and that's an unconscious response. Like, like we don't know why we feel like, oh, but it's this less, it's less law. work. It's, it's, well, less it's this law of reciprocity. Like they've made, they've asked me. I've kind of used up my no. Now they've come back with something very reasonable. Wow. Yeah. So I just unconsciously feel like, oh, well, I guess I should work with this. You so know? let me let me try it right now. Um, <laughs> hey Brian, uh, so we'll record the podcast next week. Is that cool with you? Yeah, we know. Can I have a million dollars? Oh, oh. <laughs> you need to talk to Holly no, about that. Right but yeah, I, I he's I, got I, it buried somewhere but, in but North Carolina is, with some weapons. That's like psychological. I mean, that's psychology. That's like the the, the basic. But that's uh, but that's a course that you could teach thirteen year olds. Yeah, you know, and give like like how sales work and why like 
you know, it's it's the same dynamic when the Boy Scout comes and says, oh, we're putting out a play. You know, we want to buy a ticket for thirty five dollars. Uh, I don't really think. Well, we got candy bars for four dollars. Okay. Oh give yeah, me, yeah. Give, give me, me thirty five dollars worth of candy bars. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I just don't want to yeah, come to your stupid yeah, play. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's and the exactly. whole point was to sell the candy bars. Right. Bar right. Yeah. Time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah that's a good. That's what I'm saying. It is if we were just kind of taught these things, you know, it's it's kind of like a common sense class, but because we don't know that the way we're we're brought up in a society that we just kind of unconsciously do things kind of because you can't analyze every situation thoroughly you never get through the day so we do shortcuts you know it's it's the same reason why if you if you're selling something and you say like there's only a few left well more people want it now yeah, yeah scarcity yeah. is a big thing so, oh uh, there's only you know all those qvc things like two minutes left they're all going oh, yeah. oh, i gotta I go order i gotta there. order yeah and, and we don't know that there's actual reasons why we feel that way yeah and that these unconscious drivers end up creating our situation so like that's why i hate like, my parents <laughs> they were they were career volunteer people and i grew up learning that you if somebody asks you to help you help yeah well listen, i don't hate them i'm just kidding no, but but that's but yeah, it's, no, it's, it's right. ingrained in me no, listen i, I saw it firsthand my parents were believers and if someone genuinely needs help you don't turn your back on them you assist as much as you can and then you move on it's like and and it's it's something that i it's a burden sometimes well, that sure. i carry with me because i feel bad if i was to ever say no I feel horrible inside, even though I may genuinely have something else to do. I will change my whole day I, Brian, to help that I, person, yeah, I, and I can't yeah, explain I, why I, I do I, it. I'm similar. It's, it's like the people-pleasing thing, you yeah. know? But, you know, the thing that's so remarkable about that, and I'm sure you'll identify with this, if you reverse the roles, like if I'm doing something, I got something involved, and someone calls and says, you know, I can't make it, I'm like, oh, okay, fine, dude, it's no problem. Now, why can't I reverse the tables and, like, do that for me? It's like, no. I gave my word. I got to. I got to. I said I was going to go. Like oh, I'm exhausted. I don't know. I gave my word. I got to go. I got to go. Like you know. Like, I, well, I because can, you I know. can one up you on that. <laughs> I won't even call anybody to help me. I'm like I'm just going to have to take this whole thing down myself. <laughs> if you look at anything in this house, there's three levels of this right. house. My shoulder will tell you how many things I should have probably called people called for because I help. did it by myself. And my wife would come home and go. How did you get that cabinet from yeah. the kids' room all the way down to the basement? I'm well, like, I slipped I the disc, <laughs> and uh... yeah. because right, I don't want to put anybody out. And yet, if they called you, you'd be like, oh, "I'll be there in a second. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like it's like it's it's one of the most fascinating dynamics. Like, if we could all treat ourselves with the same kindness and grace that we instinctively feel we have to do to everybody else, <laughs> our lives would there, be very different. There is a lot <laughs> to be said for that, though. Right. There are a lot of people that do are not kind to themselves yeah. in ways that they are kind to other people. Like I, you know, in and in, you see it a lot in acting in Hollywood. Like I have friends, like, oh man, I didn't do good in this movie. I didn't do good in this performance. Like, hey man, you did great, dude. It was impressive. I enjoyed it. You were fantastic. Meanwhile, everything I look at myself and I'm like, you are a piece of shit. Right. You need to take like right. ninety hours worth of acting classes. Like, and then they try to come back with, oh no, you were great. Yeah, I'm awful. You're great. I'm bad. Like, there is, there's, you got to be nicer to yourself. It's, it's a battle it really yeah. is but but a lot of learning this stuff like i've learned helps that it helps it helps encourage the self-love you know and therapy is a great tool for that you know i'm a huge advocate i wouldn't have gotten through this if i you know but yeah, you i was know, gonna but, ask you so you did seek yeah because you know it's one of those things i mean have you ever done therapy have you I not not in that sense. No, yeah, because no. I, I encourage anyone because he goes to weed shops. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Calms that's, him down. That's, that's, a, really that's a form of a. I'm bit, a self therapist, but, but it, it's one of these situations of where because you're paying someone to listen to you. Yeah, 
it's a different dynamic than you'll ever experience with anyone else you talk to because you have a, some sort of relationship. Unless, unless maybe you're in an airport because I've had some crazy conversations <laughs> with people. <laughs> right? They don't no, think they're going to no, see you no again. You're so never like... going to see that person again. You can have these crazy conversations sometimes. You can be. You're like a Forrest Gump at an airport. Yeah, you, you can sit be down so honest about. Yeah, to, but barring that, the, the room with this, you know, you, you're paying usually like a couple hundred bucks. So. Why not unfold what's in your head? Everything like, you got. And, and so much of it, I've discovered, when kept up in the record you're hearing in your head versus when you actually articulate it out loud, sometimes just even saying it out loud because you've created the forum in this situation to do that, you're like, wow, is that really what? Did I, I just hear that? that? Is, yeah. And that and, but you just would not get that experience in any other environment. So that's why that process of self-discovery to me it's the greatest act of self-love and it's a tool that i think everyone can benefit by now obviously you have to find a good therapist well that's not the right there are good we there are, are also pre-pro i'm from the midwest yeah. it's an embarrassment well to, that's if what you I was ever say, said the word out loud i'm going to see a therapist you are a weak man yeah but also when you, you look at the way man. society right. not, not so, even so, drink it off <laughs> yeah, right. go to the bar ignore your family yeah. you and walk drink off, it off right. like every other good midwestern <laughs> man would have you done you walk off your pain when you're a kid and you drink off your pain when you're an adult right and you don't need to tell anyone your promise now that stems like like even in you look at the movies like analyze this with like right. that like what what they, what eventually gave us the sopranos was a, a strong man who's in charge of killing people can't get a grip on his own feelings and so he had to go to therapy like a fucking pussy and then it turns <laughs> out that therapy helped him become a better person but like in the scheme of things when you can talk to someone like I have really good friends that I can tell just about anything to but what you said you don't want to, and who we are, I don't want to unload every piece of, of garbage yeah. from my brain onto another human being. But if I'm paying somebody, <laughs> yeah. hey, right. your job is to take all this yeah, garbage exactly. and make sense of it. Like there, There's no other dynamic like it. And, yeah. and until you do it, it's like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is kind of cool, actually. This yeah. is, and a lot of it is just that. I mean, you know, they're, they're, and sometimes it's just the person reflecting back to you going, you did hear what you just said, right? Right, yeah. right. Yeah, you know, and and, and like you and said, saying it out loud. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's remarkable. It can really be a game is. changer. Yeah, it really is. So that so that did help a lot, you know. And um, was but, that immediate when you? How did you? How did you get out of the? So yeah, so that's well, that's that's an interesting part. So basically, the the the. The millennium's coming, right? Yeah, the, the this is, ticking, are we like, like, oh, is this Y two K? Are we talking yeah, about Y two K? Yeah, well, it's around then. So yeah, the the millennium was approaching. And um, oh, when you say pro- we're talking 98, 99. Yeah. Yeah. So and at this point, the group has been moved down to North Carolina. We kind of have a compound built down there. We're building houses as a business. We have a couple businesses down there. So you're in. Uh, con- so construction. Yeah. Construction and that sort of thing. And it all failed miserably because yeah, everyone, nobody was good. <laughs> well, no, it's not that it was tr- trying to. We thought like, oh, we're going to build these houses with the spiritual principles. So, you know, like someone's sanding the wall for. 16 hours when it's fine, you know, and the, and, and so the, the actual man hours going in to build any of these homes was like three times. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, well, they're just going to feel the, the difference when they walk yeah, in. Like, and nope, you're like, why would unfinished. I pay three times for the house that's right next door? It looks the same to me. So it was all catastrophe. But uh, And were you still modeling? Yeah, I was still modeling. Okay, and, so and that's so still would, lucrative for you. Yeah, actually, the, the crazy thing is after the Vanity Fair and all this thing, that's when my car- career really exploded because, you know, the business loves the drama. And I went from being Princeton guy, show up on time, 
very, very professional to being to like a cult leader in his underwear. Yeah. <laughs> this guy thinks he's from like a star or something. Like what what is going because that's the other thing. We the cult leader had claimed, this is you know, for the audience that'll love all these things, but um it wasn't that he was into astrology and he claimed that uh, in between earthly incarnations, we went to other places. And, you know, we weren't limited in the universe. Like, you don't just go to Earth. So that's not like a huge reach. Now, what he said was his home was the star Octurus, which just conveniently happened to be the spiritual center of the universe. You know, by the way, John owns a star. I don't think it's as important <laughs> as Octurus, but he does have it in his bathroom. Well, he doesn't have the star in his bathroom. I, I'm impressed. But I mean, I, I don't. I'm not, he, I don't claim to be from there. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't know exactly, but I don't know if you saw that movie Passengers. Yes, uh, I, did, I saw. It. I did not. So they just happened to be slingshotting around the star Octurus. I'm like, uh, really? Out of all the stars in the universe, you pick a, the you one pick, my friend is from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> from. I'm like, motherfuckers, really? I'm like, who's laughing at me now? <laughs> so so the idea was that we had all incarnated on Arcturus at one point. Okay. And Freddie was there. You have as well. Oh yeah. And this was this is one of the big kind of entry points was um you would the story was you know, kind of became the urban legend that you know, he was from Octurus, and that's why the book was called Aliens Among Us, because he considered that to be his home. So it wasn't like he was saying, I'm an alien and not anyone else is. It's like, we're all aliens, but, you know, this is where my, you know, this is what I consider to be my home. You know, his we're, origin we're, we're, story. Where we, exactly, where we had hydrogen light bodies. Okay. Yeah. Well, so when we're in our hydrogen light bodies on Octurus, hanging with Freddie, we look at Earth, and we say, that's having some problems. We should go down there, incarnate, and help out. Now, the catch was going to be only Freddie was going to remember. So we're going to come back, and then Freddie's going to gather us all up, and then we're going to fulfill our mission. So as you met Freddie and kind of moved through the kind of indoctrination process, there was always this whole thing. Like, at one point, was he going to declare that you're Octorian as well? Because that was a big day when it's like, oh, yeah, you're part of the team. So he tells you. Oh, yeah. If he feels you're going to go along with it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're definitely not Arcturian and yeah. you can go get well, fucked. Clearly, yeah. Yeah. But that, yeah. you know, because I have people saying, so you thought you were from a star. I'm like, oh, no, I wanted to be from the star because that was the cool group. Yeah. You know, those are the ones here. to. So it's amazing how your perspective gets twisted, right? And and this leads us up to kind of, so cut to now, you know, almost 15 years later and the group's been down in North Carolina. I'm still traveling around the world. They're kind of burrowing. We've moved from being a typical cult where there was a lot of recruitment. We did a lot of media. Now we're kind of underground. We're like a bad, dysfunctional family. There's only about 20 of us left. All the girls have left. So it's just a bunch of dudes, and we're, they got doing construction. And they're really like in a bubble, and they're getting into all the kind of like uh, the patriot you know, stuff of, you know, like all the government's evil and, you yeah. know, and all that sort of stuff, New World Order and, you know, that and all the conspiracy theories are kind of taking over the group mentality. Meanwhile, I'm, John, you know, Johnny Supermodel running around, you know, in a Get different world jets to and, go to and on some level keeping you know, a toe in reality, right? So, which there's other people weren't, right? No, they weren't. And, and this is the problem because 
the paradigm the cult leader had left was, you know, as we were moving to the end times, we were going to start seeing the storms and the hurricanes and the earthquakes, okay. governments collapsing, economies. So going. far, so good. So, so yeah. <laughs> Sounds so, like what's going on yeah. now. Sounds so, like Hoyt's back in. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I would be in London, Paris. I'm looking around going, it looks okay here. You know, I don't really... See too much. Everyone seems all right. Yeah. Yeah. So was but was there so was there supposed to be a specific time frame though, which is what it also was, caused it, it you was, to believe that it wasn't that. a specific date, but it was around the millennium. That was kind of what no he, matter what, it was supposed to happen around that well, time, and you're not seeing them. anything. Yeah. Basically. Well, I mean, I mean no, no, but you can go again. You can spin anything. You can go on these websites like, oh my god, the Pacific Rim. There's more 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 hurricanes than there's ever been. Like you can do all that. You can yeah. get into that. But I, I I will tell you, I I didn't buy into any of that stuff, but. That being said, I could see how the majority of people, however, were scared of Y2K. Every news report, there was like, what's going to happen when 2000 hits? So there, there was at there was least enough there was enough panic on, on, in the, with, uh, as we talked earlier, in the normals. Right. No, exactly. For you to go, well, yeah, know, exactly. I'm not so it, far off. But, but the thing that was interesting was I, my critical thinking was starting to kick back in again because I was kind of outside all of them in the, in the, in the bubble. And, you know, so I started to voice some of my concerns, which was a really Ooh, big mistake. Yeah. No one likes now your, it's kind uh, of a blasphemer, thinking. you know, and a heretic. It's like kind of going against it. Cause I'm like, guys, I'm looking out there. there it's, it's not collapsing. Like everything's <laughs> pretty good. Like, and the, and, and the more I'm thinking about it, why would they want it to collapse? Because the, if there is a new world order, they're making shit tons of money. Why would they want it to stop? Yeah. Like none of it makes sense. Like I'm starting to think again, you know? So that's when they's like, oh, we got to like, he's, he's, we're losing him. We're losing. I got to pull him back. So um, I basically get handed my um, retirement paper saying, you know, you got to stop modeling because, you know, you're clearly, you know, you're getting too sucked into the, you know, the, the world and, you know, the normals, they're pulling, you're being pulled back into the matrix. Because yeah, there's so yeah. many normal people yeah. in the yeah, world of right. fashion modeling. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm resistant to that. You know, because well, because it's fun. Yeah, exactly. And I can't admit that, but you're exactly right. Yeah. Oh, I, I you're, can, I can go to France so, and bang ladies, or come back and build houses with you, nerds. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what, building and, houses is okay. Yeah. <laughs> but for those who build houses, that's yes. not what I mean. <laughs> but you know, when when compared to like uh, you know making out with Claudia Schiffer and getting paid fifteen grand. Yeah. Please I tell me you did that. I did that. Oh, God, Why would I he make you. that up? He doesn't need know. to make anything so up at this point. I think so. So what ends up happening, I get the dictate that I have to quit and be moved down to North Carolina. They will shave my head so I can't model. So all temptation oh. is gone. And I will become the bald housefrau where it will be my duty to be the first one up, the last one to bed, and do every type of slave-like labor to teach me humility because clearly I am losing my marbles. Good sales yeah, pitch, guys. Yeah. So, so, and so, <laughs> so when that date comes, I renege and I bolt to the West Coast and hang with Fabio for about three months. Okay. Fabio, yeah. Because and the reason is, uh, this is initially. So wait, is Fabio one of the? Does, is is he a secret guy that goes around and saves people from cults? Um, and that we didn't know he this. He could, he could, he could be, but he he. But didn't. he was just a, fr a friend. You he knew was a from friend. Modeling. He was a friend. Yeah, one of my first friends in the modeling business. You know, old old time friend. You know? Okay, all right. So, so it would have been better if he had a secret life. Yeah, as a guy it would have been great. It's like <laughs> that would have. 
He's got he's got many secrets, but that's not that's one not of them. One of them? <laughs> that's not he's one not of driving them. a car. Yeah, like, around the world. I know Fabio a long time. He uh, he cracks me up. He, there's not a more loyal, kind natured guy. He's you know, and, and I you know everyone thinks Fabio's Fabio's like you know uh, monosyllabic, you know, in the way he talks. And uh, I mean, dinner with Fabio is four hours. Like he is chatty Cathy. Yeah, and he's got stories like you can't imagine. Like one of them is you probably showing up. Yeah. At his house. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, we, so, so so that's the thing. So, so, so initially, I did that just because I couldn't handle the, the 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 you know the kind of um sentence I was being ushered. Yeah. Right. So then at one point, are I you got hiding? A, I'm kind of hiding. I'm hiding, but I haven't left. Okay. So I'm hiding, and then I then I get a job back in New York, and somehow I I must have made a mistake because I was semi communicated with him because I was so guilt ridden. I'm like, I just got to get tea some time. I'm, I'll, you know, I got I'll come down to North Carolina when I'm ready. You know, and then they figured out I was in New York, and they caught me. And that's well, when. What does that consist of? Yeah. Well, they just found I was in. The, I, I had the apartment there, and they had keys to it, so they they figured out I was there, and and I, I, a couple of guys meet me there, and then it's this type of thing of people like, so what? You just went with them, and I go, well, you know, it's kind of like the the junkyard dog that's been beaten so many times you, you're kind of expecting to get caught you know Can I ask some you something level. if they don't want you to make money anymore what's your value to them why would they even bother well, catching at you at this point they're all kind of playing this, like we have to save our brother oh, like they would okay. definitely you know you know they're definitely and again we're 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 about a year away from the end time so it's oh, like okay. money's not as crucial as it once was okay <laughs> and there was another player in the group who was involved with the big Texas oil family that was claiming he was going to make money so there was there's potentially another money source, and you were just a body. You were, yeah, you were. so it's you know it, it's just you know we have to, we have to you know they would like the money, but you know they had to go kind of take the higher road on this. So I get, and they're like, listen, you don't we won't shave your head, you know, but you have to come down. You know, you're really kind of losing your marbles, and so I, I I'm like, okay, I'll go down. Two days there, shave my head. You did shit. You did. They did. Oh, I didn't. They did it. I didn't. I didn't they hold it. you they, down. They, or? Well, they you know they just kind of like. Again, it's this kind of mental control. Like, got it, got so, what are you yeah. gonna fight us? Yeah. Are you gonna physically fight us, dude? We're your spiritual brothers. Like, really? We're doing this for you. Yeah, we're yeah. doing this for you. Like, okay. like, like for this you. is this is to try to stop you from destroying yourself. Like, this is where we always get in that thing, and this is where I think we probably learned more and more about this over the last twenty years than ever in in, in our personal history is the fact that. Um, we've dismissed. We think that all all of this is always based on physicality, and so much more of it is it's psychological. Almost, it's, oh, almost absolutely. absolutely. And you know, that, and what I mean by that yeah. is, look at look at how many decades that people accused women of. Why couldn't you get out? He wasn't hitting you. Why didn't you get out? And they're yeah, like, no, they, he was psychologically destroying me. And they're like, what? Yeah. Like people would just dismiss Verbal that. And again, and, and, and again, is that is a cultic relation. That, that is exactly it. That is exactly what we're we're talking about here. And that's why I'm saying these are these are much more universal tales than people realize. And because that hasn't been diagnosed or labeled correctly, a lot of times the healing doesn't occur, and those things tend to repeat themselves, like anything, right? So. The whole point of getting these stories told is because I'm, I'm actually going to be doing my own podcast series. We're going to be interviewing cult survivors. Good God. Start well, telling to that. the stories of the people who went through this, got out of it, put their lives back together because there's great lessons learned. And you need to start putting a face and a personality and a name to people who've gone through this and start realizing, oh, it is someone like could have been my neighbor or my brother or my postman or yeah, someone you know, I could know and like and store, be whatever, friends yeah. with and... And and the only way is to start telling those stories because, like I said, the, the old paradigm of focus on the cult leader doesn't teach anybody anything. No, again, because we dismiss mental right. abuse. And it's 
train wreck television. It's yeah. like it's like watching. Yeah. yeah, it's like oh, another psychopath fucked over someone else. And, yeah. that, and that's and then people see that as a way to the, then they build themselves up. Like I'm not that I'm not that person. That guy's an it, idiot. Like exactly. it's, I'm it's, smarter than Hoyt. Hoyt it, was in a cult for exactly. twenty fucking years. Exactly. Like, no, that's exactly because I remember when I first came to L.A. You know, after I finally escaped. You know, we'll get back to all that, but I, I, uh, I'd gotten in touch with an old friend of mine who had tried to do an intervention at one point with my brother. And he, now that I was out and I was talking, he's like, well, you got to talk to this friend of mine who's an agent at CAA. And, um, so I go in and meet with the guy. You joined and, a new cult. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Acting. Yeah. And, well, no, I, he was like the lit agent. And, um, and I have like a three hour conversation with telling the whole story. He's like, Oh my God, he goes, you got to make this movie. Like you got to meet Michael Mann. You got to meet like, you know, uh, Alan Parker and all these people. And I'm like, well, maybe, you know, I guess maybe, you know, maybe there'll be something good that comes out of this. And then I remember saying to him at the time, I go, but I just want to tell you, um, as far as I know, and I, you know, I said, you probably know this, but I said, I, I'm under the understanding that there's a few Scientologists in this, you know, organization. And, I just want to tell you that you don't need to sidestep around them because they don't know they're in a, cult. a group like this, a cult. And so you don't, you know, feel, you know, they'll actually think a story about a cult might be useful. So you, he's a Scientologist. You know, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, no, I know he wasn't. Oh. Oh, he wasn't. Okay. He wasn't, but he's looking at me and going like, and kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever, cult kid. You know, like, and which I didn't pick up at first, but then, you know, three weeks pass and, um, the email started to drop off, and I'm like, "Am I meeting um, Alan? Michael Mann? Yeah. What are we doing here?" Yeah, yeah, and and uh, he's like, "Yeah, remember that conversation we had about you know, uh, you know, the Scientology thing?" And you said, "You know, that you should probably." He goes, "I didn't follow your advice. Yeah, we're gonna have to pass on this." And I was like, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah." And then the other thing he goes, "I pitched it in a room, and everyone's like, what, a male model in a cult?'" Well, of course, he's a fucking male model. Like, I have no. Oh, empathy. so you're a mimbo. I, I, I have I have no empathy. Like, why would I want to hear the story? Well, yeah. So if you were hideous, yeah, ugly mutant from who lives under a bridge <laughs> was in a mean, cult. Again, this goes back to it your point. It makes it even more like, compelling that well, you were yeah, a fucking. But, but so yeah, model. but a lot of people have that thing, like you know, like when you talk about yeah. I made millions and I lost millions. People are gonna go, oh well, you know what? That's your problem, yeah, man. I don't totally. care about you. Yeah. You had it. Yeah, you had it. Dude. You had it. Being had it. That's yeah, so right. bizarre. Because to me, it would be like, look at this guy. He came from a life of privilege, and and, and then uh, again, though. But you're. But he, if you break it down to the basics right, for right. a lot of people, yeah. they go, I have no pity for that exactly, person. Exactly. Exactly. None. No, that's exactly right. Huh. And so, so what ends up happening is I get down there. I'm miserable. You know, Shave your head. I, I've got. I've got. Yeah. You know, every week the head gets shaved. Keep it short so that it can't, it's never growing back. And. Uh, and I last about <coughs> nine weeks, you know, and I make a break. When so, you say make a break, so you walk were, us through how you decided to get okay, out. So, and what, wh so, so basically, it's kind of like this, you know, I'm... <laughs> I'm doing my chores, you know. So they, that's we, what they we, had you doing, like we, just cleaning toilets. And yeah, cleaning toilets and like you know, just anything that no one wanted to do you became to my do job, right? And yeah. by the way, you are are you in a civilized area? Or are you guys in the mountains? By we're, we're in the mountains by a lake. I mean, it's civilized, but but it, are you isolated or there's other people? I'm, uh, yeah, around? I, I'm. The only time I'm really seeing people, I go to the grocery store, kind of run an errand. You know, I'm kind of sequestered to the lake house compound kind of thing. Okay, so you're a little bit off the beaten path. Yeah, but not yeah, too much. and and but you know, I, the way I always describe it, like I'm looking in the mirror. I look like a convict. I'm thinking to myself, I could be in Paris right now, like literally kissing Sidney Crawford or yeah. Yeah, whatever and making tons of money. Instead, I'm cleaning the toilet. I guess I'm not spiritual because I would really rather be there. And they've been telling me for years how full of shit I am. And I guess it's true because I don't want to be here. 
So I'm deeply conflicted. And what this leads to is, and I'm not exaggerating here for those nine weeks, every night, and this is a technique we did throughout the whole time when we were in the group, it was a thing called the hot seat. And if someone was misbehaving, there would be a group kind of focus, like, oh, this person's doing something, and you kind of you know, talk amongst yourselves. And at some point, it would lead to an event where you sit the person down, and it's like a verbal firing squad that would go on sometimes for two hours, sometimes for 15 hours. Wow. You know, now, during this nine-week period, that happened to me every single night. So they were really trying to... Because I was not going through my chores with my smile and spiritual attitude. Because they were like, you're resentful, you're resistant. And I'm like... Yeah, remember when I was modeling and traveling? Yeah, so so it was really, really rough. But the, the... So, basically... I like I can't handle this. Um, I still haven't identified them as being the problem, but I just I had to leave. You know, I was like I I need more time, so I escaped. I still had driving privileges at that point, so I went to the airport, went crack of dawn one morning, got on the flight and left. Went back to Fabio's and out, out here West Coast. Yeah, out, yeah. out here at okay. Fabio's on the West Coast. No, then, no, Fabio lived next door. Yeah, Fabio. Well, no, I mean she might have been in. Yeah, I'm no, just you're right. Or, Thank no, you for no, confirming right. that was, I was being and, sarcastic. And and, uh, and so. Then there was there was one other time where they um, again I don't know because I was still guilt ridden so I was communicating they figured out I was back in New York again and I thought I was just going in for a day and they got me again I was God. like mother this is and, and pre Instagram and too this time this time I didn't want to go I really was clear that I needed to figure stuff out and, and one of the guys actually slept in the doorway of the apartment building oh, so nice. I knew I couldn't leave. You know, like I couldn't sneak out in the middle of the night. I, and it's, it's a fourth-story apartment building. I remember looking down out the window, and I'm like, looking at the cars, I'm like, might break my legs, but I think I'd survive. And I thought about jumping. Like, I was that freaked out. But I went down again. I, you know, I, I just you sucked went back it up to North went Carolina. back to North Carolina. And this time I lasted oh, maybe... Uh, five weeks, six weeks. Good, good. Same thing every night yeah, with yeah, the yeah. Same thing every night. Shaving of the head, and then you know, at this point, you know, I just said, my epiphany was, and this is where the, like the human spirit finds some way to get you out of a fucked up situation. I twisted it this way. I go, clearly they're not going to stop. Like they're the truth seekers. They get it. They're exposing day after day how full of shit I am and what a hopeless cause I am. I'm basically. A lost cause, and the least I could do to benefit them is get out because they're spending so much time on something that's never going to change, and that's me. So I'm going to leave and make sure there's no coming back this time. And I didn't go to New York, you know. Uh, when you say you go to New York, you're going to a place where they, yeah, the, part, the apartment where I, you know, because you guys still owned that, yeah, exactly. Okay. And and so, so I. But basically, this this thought of you never being spiritual enough to be with these people right. drove you to go. I should cut ties with them because I'm the problem. Yeah, they're better off without me. Yeah, I'm dead can, weight. They can take that time and do something much more constructive than dealing with a loser. But like that me. was your way of telling this getting yourself way, out. The, so you yeah, won't this come is back. where I would yeah. say your your the human spirit finds so, as convoluted as it is, it yeah. gets you out the fucking door, something. right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and then I went into PTSD, and you know, so I I um I went and saw my parents for about a week. And how and long had it been since you'd seen them? Twelve years. God damn, you didn't see it for twelve years. Yeah, and then of course no one talked about anything because it's like it's like 
They were terrified. They were terrified, and the, I think I think he might have left the cult, you know. But you know, and it, it wasn't really. I didn't really identify it because I, then I, I moved back in with Fabio. I lived with him for about a year. Was going through my PTSD, you know, post traumatic stress disorder, de- fighting depression. And he he knows, right? You've obviously no, he no, he didn't know. He didn't. It's so fascinating, you know. He knew something was up, but again, so you would never tell him when you come to stay with him. You really want to tell him you were trying to get away from something. No, no, oh, no, okay. Because no. I wasn't ready to deal with any of that. Oh, and, and, okay. one of the, and one of the benefits of of being with Fabio because he was so busy and so you know, bless his heart, self involved, so much going on, and uh, that. He never stopped and said, dude, what are you doing here? Why do you have a shit? <laughs> like, never. You know, he was like a perfect incubator of someone's like, dude, just hang out as long as you want, whatever. It's rent-free. And I was I was, I was renting a car, and he's like, uh, he's like, oh, you know, why are you renting a car? You can take one of mine. Because he's got seven cars in the driveway. He's got the Bentley, the Mercedes, <laughs> the Rolls, the I Hummer. I imagine there's some sort of Fabio you know, he's, mobile. He's like, he's, like, he's like, whatever you're paying for the rental car, you pay me, and you take which one you want. I'm like... Okay. The convertible uh, Porsche looks kind of nice. Yeah, I'm paying for a, a <laughs> yeah. Kia Sonata, so yeah. I'll, uh, yeah. You know, and, and and then I remember driving this car around, and like I remember being at a stoplight, and some girl literally's like, hi, and throws her card over, the, you know, into my car, like, call me. And I'm like, I am the living epitome of, like, everyone thinks, like, oh, I'm in L.A., I'm successful, and then, like, I have no money. I don't know what I've been through. I still haven't identified. I'm, I'm just losing my marbles. You know, and luckily, uh, I bumped into a guy who had left the cult like six years ago. Ooh. Same, same, same cult. Same and he cult. was he was working at a restaurant, and I uh, I had gone to that restaurant, and his friend said, "Oh, I'm a friend of Dar, and, and he, you know, uh, he's told me about you." And I was like, I had to be very careful because I you weren't sure if you're being set up. Well, no, no, wasn't sure. I had actually come out to L.A. like about. 10 years before that, and he had been in L.A. because he would gotten kicked out and pulled him back into the group. So I was like, I didn't want him to think I was trying to pull him back uh, into the uh, group. Okay. Vice, so okay. I actually had to say to the friend, I go, just tell him I'm in L.A. and I am alone. And, and, tell, that, him, and tell him, please call me if you can. So three weeks pass, and he calls me from his therapist's office. He's like, my therapist said I should call, but <laughs> he goes, what's going on? I'm like, dude, I, got, I left. I left. And so... Um, but again, not, not knowing what it was, but, we, but he was, I was in the, you know, still living with Fabio. I felt weird about that. He was in a crazy living situation. So we moved in together and for six months, the first six months, all we did was talk about like, wasn't it weird when that happened? That was kind of fucked up when that happened. Well, kinda... that's great though, that you guys had oh, each yeah. other at least. Oh, Holy it, was amazing. Shit. It, was, it was such a gift. And through those conversations, like after the six months, I'm like, you know, people aren't saying it's a cult. Like, it's not a cult, right? And it's like, no, no, no fucking way. It's like, do you really know anything about cults? I'm like, I don't know anything about cults. Do you really? I'm like, I go, listen, I want to do a little bit of research. Just, I go, it's not a cult. But listen to me. So I cross it off the list, right? Just because it's, Literally I want fi- to figure out up. what happened. Yep, it's a cult. Right? So I go on the internet, and the best selling book is by this guy, Steve Hassan, who's now a good friend of mine, but who's in the Moonies. And I'm like, ugh. Fucking Mooney, you'd be an idiot to join it. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm like you're, you're shaming other I'm people like, for yeah, being exactly. in lesser I'm like, cults. I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. This is the best-selling book. I'm like, really? Like, ugh. I'm like, all right, I'll get it. You know what the hell? Yeah. And then the first 70, 80 pages was how he'd gotten pulled into the group. Exactly the same way. Just changed the names, and I'm like sitting there going, I am a textbook cult kid. 
Your, did your parents never say anything to you like you were in a cult? No, you know? no, no, no. Because it was you know it, 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 I was still kind of figuring things out. Didn't know what to talk to him about the whole thing. I was traumatized. You but know? Uh, didn't you say your brother tried getting you out? That was that was that was in that was right after the Vanity Fair article happened. My brother but did he and, did say you were in a cult and you needed yes. to get out? But you just weren't hearing it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, okay. he and a, a buddy of mine from Princeton, he was captain. He was manager of the football team. They staged. An intervention. It was supposed to be a boys' weekend up in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. My uncle had a house up there, and we were going to go there. And, and there was actually a staged cult and uh, cult intervention. And back then, you know, it wasn't like the the, the like where they would kidnap you and try right, to deprogram right, right. it. Yeah, it's yeah. like open door. And I left after like 24 hours because oh, I, I could okay. still call back into the mothership, you know, to, to the cult headquarters and like they're saying this and that. And, and, and they their, their way of doing it, because I now help families get their kids out of cults. It's a very different approach now. Oh, OK. It's a much longer approach. It can take like sometimes six months to a year and a half. Okay. But it's, it's a di- it, rather than it's, rather, not a, it's not this um, a quick fix. Yeah, because the thing is that situation, you're basically the person's brainwashed and you're trying to kind of replace one program with what you think would be a healthier program but you the more important thing is get their critical thinking back okay so it's, it's better to take a longer approach and it will come back and when it kicks in man it kick it's amazing like when you watch the light bulbs go back on the person will pull themselves out yeah you know it's it's but you just need to you got to figure out you come from every different point of view you can to just insert information non-confrontational just like the, i worked on a case with the kid who was in Scientology, and I would just talk about my cult experience, you know, kind of just as things that I had gone through, just so he could hear, you know, and could connect some dots on his own, like in a very non-intrusive way, where I'm not saying you were in this. I'm just like, oh, this is what I learned from what I went through, and and just casually get him information, you know, and that's what you're. So you don't know what's going to be like. It's like the the yop in uh in Horton hears a who that was going to break the bubble that right. sound, you know, right, that, you know. But it's like with any addiction, if yeah. the person doesn't. Like to right. get their critical thinking back, then all of a sudden they want out. Right. Exactly. You can't take someone out. You can't exactly. make someone stop doing heroin. They have to stop want they have to want to That's stop. That's exactly doing heroin. right. And 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 then the, the approach with this intervention was kind of the intellectual one. Like you know, you know when Frederick says this, you know, he's mash he's mashing together this idea from this book and this and another, it's completely about and and I was not a great cult member in the fact that I didn't really read all the books like us. <laughs> I was the You're fucking, like, guys, I got yeah, a modeling game. Yeah, exactly. Take I was, some notes. I was I'll like, be back I'm on like, Monday. I'm like, I'm here to save the world and like do all that stuff. But study? Uh, that's for college. Yeah, fucking, take yeah. it down a notch. It's like, come I on. Come on. It's like, you know, the, the guy who can memorize the scripture, let him do that. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> I'm the recruiter. Him. You know, I get to be tan. You know, I get to do, <laughs> you know, so, so, so in this situation, I feel like, the, the shithead because I'm like if I had done my studies I could be blowing holes in all his arguments man I could be fucking representing but because I'm such a fucking idiot and didn't study anything I am laying a melon here and it's just like this is hopeless yeah and the, and the, you know so the the people back you know it's still the cult and you're like just get your ass home you're fucking hopeless just, just leave yeah they, they kept giving me advice like say this and say that and I would just suck at all of it so eventually but there was just such an impasse because they didn't realize my attachment to the group was emotional, not because of this philosophical thing. It was an emotional thing. I'm part of the team that's going to go help out. You know, the cult leader had just died. You're throwing him and everyone under the bus. Fuck you. I'm sticking up for my friends. So I, I mean, they were, I, they were not going to get in, okay. in it to me. So, so you just, uh, so it basically there was a wall up, and yeah, it wasn't until yeah, this exactly. rediscovery later. It so, makes so, funny. but that being said, when I went through the epiphany, boy, 
first people I called, my brother and that guy from Princeton, and said, "Dude, you were a hundred percent correct. <sighs> Thanks for trying." Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, they probably—I I don't know how your brother or your friend felt about it, but there was probably an element, and they felt bad that they failed well, on no, some no, level but, of oh, like they no, couldn't get you. Absolutely, you like know, a and, loss. And, and like it was you one died. of the, it was one of these things of where. They were the best safety net because they had no because they had studied and had to do all the stuff. Find it. They were like they weren't like, dude, what's your fucking problem? They knew and they were just like, God, thank God, is you've come out that of this. You thing. finally figured it out that you got your critical exactly. thinking back and you were able to exactly. start asking so, questions. So they they were such a critical part and that and through those conversations, I got the courage to talk to my parents and all those sort of things kind of unfolded from there. So that's a huge part of it, you know, and and I feel so fortunate because of that and my. When you know, from even though I was not married long, but you know, when I got married, my brother was best man. You know, I mean, he and and for the, for the ten years after the failed intervention, through to before I escaped, I did talk occasionally with some of my other brothers. Oh, okay. You know, and uh, but I never saw my parents, but I would and I wouldn't see anyone. I think I might have seen one brother at one point, but my parents were completely off. I was I had it with them, but I remember um, my one brother. During that time, saying, you know, because uh, my, my older brother Rory is the one that did this, you know, and and they, like, you know, Rory really feels bad about what happened in, in Newport and, you know, he wants to talk. I'm like, it's my youngest brother, Garth. I'm like, Garth, fuck Rory. He thinks I'm in a cult. What an asshole. Why would I ever want to talk to him ever again? So you, you come full circle. And, now, <laughs> and, and, uh, and when I do the, the documentary, Rory's insights and all of it, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, he behaved like, the brother you would dream would be here because he, because he had gone through some conflict with my parents as well. Cause my, you know, my mother in particular was a very controlling, strong personality. And so when he had gotten to college, because he had been more of a kind of a procrastinator, he got to college. Man, he's like, I don't know how to manage my time. I'm building people's lofts. You know, I'm like doing, he's like an engineer, which is like an impossible major to begin with. Yeah. And he, you know, he, he failed out a couple times, you know? So he's like went on the 10 year college routine right and uh and so but a lot of that was a rebellion and trying to find his identity from this very powerful parental influence so when i was initially getting involved with the group he was cutting me at all the slack and the world's like okay it's a little weird but he's just trying to figure it out like i was like you know it's like we he goes i can relate like you know you know mom's intense and you know that sort of thing so when the vanity fair article came out he's like Oh fuck! I got this wrong. Like yeah. my brothers and this is a little shit. more than just he just needs to find himself. Yeah, He's just exactly. <laughs> and then, unlike anyone else, uh, I mean, my mother had done some study, but no other sibling. He's like, I don't know anything about cults, and he starts to hunker down and study about cults, and that's where he's like. We got to do something, and he and, and he didn't have a pot to piss in. He was working as a carpenter. He's still making his way through college. He was still, and um, and he begged, borrowed, and stole, and tried to get the money together to pull this intervention, and then it fails. And he kind of has to do it behind my parents' back because he didn't want to get them involved because they would not have been helpful in that environment. Yeah, I was, I was. They were adversarial. He was the only one that I, I hadn't been adversarial with because he was always like. Dude, it's okay. I don't know what you're doing, but whatever. You're you know? brother. Yeah. So, so when he called me, I'm like, cool. You know, I can talk. To, you know, he's, he isn't. You know, he's not the one that's saying you know, what I'm doing is bad, and that's why he was the one person I could reach out to. But then he had to go back to all of them and say it didn't work, and also I need some money. <laughs> Jeez. So I mean, it, uh. when you hear his story, like when I tell my story, you know, it it 
it's it's just it's it's so beautiful how people step up for each other and like that's what you would dream a brother would do. No, I'm assuming in the end you sold one of the cars of Fabio and you gave your brother the money. Is that how they <laughs> yeah. so now you owe Fabio money? No? Okay. No, well actually no, that's uh I did You're like, No, I did sell a car well, though. I'm this, like, Oh this is a unbelievable story, but I'll try to keep it brief. So <laughs> So Wait, I'm, versus I, the other one you've already is, yeah. So this uh, is going to be unbelievable. Yeah, okay, so, okay. So, <laughs> so picture this, guys. So I'm out living with Fab about three months. I'm driving the, the convertible Porsche. I've just started acting class because I'm like, I don't know what else to do. And, and, and it allows me something to at least deal with emotions, you know? Yeah. And, and, the, and the cult that always said, you can never act. You can barely talk. You know, you're a fucking joke. You know? Good friends, good friends. Yeah. Good friends. Uh, so I'm like, you know, I'm like, Fuck them. Now that I'm on my own, I, I, I always liked wanting that. You know, maybe I'll try. So um, there was this girl in the class who looked like young Michelle Pfeiffer. I had total crush on. She had a boyfriend, so I'm playing the like trusted guy, cry on the shoulder guy. Mm-hmm. She's going through the breakup. And I'm like, you know, playing the long game, right? <laughs> and and and, uh, and again, I don't know my head from my ass. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> in a, in heavy PTSD. But anyway. She has a birthday party, and I go there, and I got there early, and I'm kind of hanging out with her, a friend of hers who's this, you know, pretty blonde divorcee, and a couple other people, and and she arrives late, and they're going off to some nightclub, and I'm like, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of tired, you know, and I, I just, you know, I had drunk a little bit already, and I was like, I just get home, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, and then as I'm walking out to my, you know, to Fabio's car. Um, <laughs> The, the pretty blonde divorce. She's like, hey, were you going to the club? I'm like, no, no, I, I'm going to call tonight. You know, I've got a date with my pillow. And she goes, oh, that sounds nice. All right. And I'm like, okay. Um, Would you also like to date my pillow? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I get in, my, in the car, and man, you know, like, as a guy, my head's just spinning like, she's just totally, she, and she knows I like her friend and everything, but now, like, this is, that's but, probably why she exa- likes you. Exactly. It's, it's, I'm like letting this just simmer up. And then, and this is like at the beginning of cell phones. This is like 2001. And I remember the girl I liked didn't have a cell phone, but this girl did. And at one point they were out together and she had called me like just a few days ago to tell me about this party from this phone. And I'm like, I think I have that number on my phone. So I peel through and I'm like, I think that's it. And I call and she picks up, you know, the girl. And I'm like, so, what did you mean by that comment? She's like, what comment? I'm like, you know what comment I'm talking about. And she's like, well, maybe we should talk about it. And I'm like, maybe we should. I go, where are you going? She's like, oh, I'm going to this little party. You know, want to come? I'm like, yeah, I think I do. She's like, oh, here, you know, I'll give you the address. And so, and then, and then like, I'm trying to, like, rationalize, like, this is okay. Like, like and I'm, all I'm hitting is one stop sign, and I'm just blowing through every single one of them. Like, you shouldn't do this. This is your friend. You're like the other girl. I am blowing through every single mental stop sign. I get to the, the house. It's like one of those houses up on the hill with the tears, you know, kind yeah. of going up. Uh, like, it's kind of, you know, and so there's like a spiral staircase up to it, and it's like a platform house. So I, I go up there, and I'm like, doesn't look like a party there, you know? <laughs> and, and uh Hey, there's no other people. Yeah, so I get in there, and um, I mean, it's like something out of the movies. She goes, oh, hi. She goes, uh, and she's got like two whiskeys. You know, would you like a drink? I'm like, yeah, sure. She goes, I'm going to go change into something a little more comfortable. Okay, this is so far. Are you just making all this up? Because this literally sounds like a, okay. Right. stumble onto the set of a porno movie? (laughs) No, exactly. I'm I'm like, 
I come here with your pizza. <laughs> and so, long story made short, you know, cut to like 45 four, four, minutes later. Well, yeah, four hours later, like just porn star sex in the back room, having time, passed out, you know, and there's banging on the front of the door. Because I'm going, you fucking whore, you bitch, I'm going to fucking kill you, you fucking. Her husband. So, I. You know, these are the moments when you find out your true personality, right? My first reaction is like, I pull the cover, I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, 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 <laughs> he won't see me oh, under oh, here. Oh, like, oh, oh, oh. You, know, you know, and and I'm looking like, I'm like, oh, shit, is there a back? And just somewhere I can go out? Like, and she jumps out of bed naked, and, and she and she goes into the other room, and they're screaming at each other, and he's fucking, you know, yelling at him, breaking shit. And I'm listening, like, if he hits her, I got to go, go, go in. I got to go in. But otherwise, I'm not putting a face on the phantom. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm just hanging back. You know, and are it you getting dressed at this point? Or are you just still yeah, hiding I'm, under I'm, the? No, I'm, I'm trying ready to I'm, go. Okay, I'm getting the dress, the clothes on. You know, and but I'm just freaked out. And so, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this is what my life is because I've left the group. Like, oh this my is, god, this is, like, this is what I'm my being life's going to be, right? You know, like this. And so he finally leaves, and she walks back in, and I'm like. Uh, what the hell was that? Like, and she goes, well, that was my ex. You know, I'm like, well, yeah, I figured that out. <laughs> uh, what's he? What's he doing here? She goes, well, yeah, we're not really divorced yet. We're kind of separated, and you know, and he, um, he saw your car here, and I'm like, but it's like four in the morning. It's like, yeah, he's got a cocaine problem. That's one of the reasons. Like, he's yeah. up. And, yeah, and I may have met him down the street a couple. Yeah, of and years. I was like. But what what was all? She's like, and he had a gun. Oh, and I go, you know what? This is the part of the ride where I get off. Yeah, I go. We both act like this never happened because you know I like actually your friend, and this is really bad. Where I go, this is we should never have done this. She's like, you're right, you're right. I'm so sorry. You know, I should have been more honest with you and everything. I'm like, listen, I just you know I gotta go. And she's like, I just hope we didn't do anything to your car. Oh, oh God, oh God, Fabio's car. Yeah. The Porsche convertible? Not my car, right? What do you do? So I go, excuse me? She goes, yeah, I saw he saw your car into the, you know, the the that's what I'm like. So I go out into the out onto the patio and I look down because I can see down to the car. He's taken two of the patio chairs from there, thrown them down. They're like punctured the uh, the uh, the convertible top. And then he's taken the mailbox, pulled it out, and thrown it through the fucking front windshield. Jesus, this whole thing is a scene out of a movie. Fifteen thousand dollars worth of damage to Fabio's limited edition. Oh shit! That Porsche. must have been the worst drive home. Or, or did you not drive it home? I could so drive it home. It, 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 it was a windshield. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Mailbox. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, and I've escaped the cult. I have no money. And I'm just like, oh fuck. And I like, I got everything. This is what they said my life was going to be. Like it's my first time even attempting to get laid in in, in L.A. I'm like, oh. I'm just destined for hell. Like I'm so evil. And you so did I, the right thing, right? You just put a note on the thing, and you never talked to Fabio again. <laughs> yeah. right? you just, so and you I'm ran. living with Fabio. Go back to the house, and he doesn't get up to like eleven because it's like crack of dawn at this point, you know. And I'm waiting. I'm awesome waiting, people I'm sleep till eleven. And I then, get up at six. And then and then he. <laughs> Takes one look at me. He's like, "What happened to the car?" <laughs> <laughs> he knew. He knew. Like a dad and a yeah, son. Like, what did like, you do? Yeah. I'm like, so I'm telling him the whole story, and he's like, "Oh, it, oh, it, oh, it. You never go to their place." 
He goes, you'd never know the situation. Never, never go to the place. I'm like, Fabio, what am I going to do? Bring her back here? You're Fabio. He's like, no, no. This is because before cell phones. He's like, he's like, no, no. You, you, you come here. You drive around. They get confused. They don't know where they are. <laughs> he goes, come nev- here. Drive he around. Goes, get he get goes, confused. Never, never go to the their house. You don't know. That's the solid advice. <laughs> so luckily, she and the ex paid for the damages. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Well, I suppose because he probably didn't want to. He didn't want a lawsuit. Not a lawsuit, but he well, didn't no, want to file anything uh, over five thousand is a felony. Like he, he, that's, he that's what I meant. He yeah. threatened a lawsuit, and like he said, either you pay it or oh, Fabio so, took care of it. Yeah, or oh, okay. I was going to be responsible because I still hadn't told him I'm broke yet. So he's he's like, you sign here. Like if this all doesn't, if it all goes sideways, you'll handle this. I'm like, <laughs> you're not going to shave my head. So right? he didn't know. Yeah, that's so crazy that he didn't know anything about no, what you were going no. through. No, so still did not. Know. Yeah, yeah, because it wasn't until I moved in with the, this other guy, Dar, figured it out, and then I started down the recovery path. And you, which talked started with started talking telling. about but, but it. But this this thing led to me getting out of Fabio's. Like, yeah, he's like, he's like, I think it's time you kind of move out. Of oh, here. okay, well yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's fair. I'm like. Yeah. And he's, you know, I mean, hard holds no, no grudge. Right. Yeah. It's one, I mean, it's one of our fun, favorite stories to tell. I mean, I mean, you can imagine my friends are like, oh my God, tell the Fabio story again. That's dude, so amazing. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my, my brother in law has got two young kids and he sent me a still uh, picture of his kids watching me on the screen because they had dumbbells on the TV. And then he texts me 20 minutes later. He's like, and now everyone's really confused because you just got a boner for Fabio. I was like, oh, yeah. I forgot about the boner scene. He was like, thanks for the heads up, guys. <laughs> My kids have hey, no kids. idea what to make of that. Uh, I was like, oops. Hey, kids, it's Uncle John. But the fact that Fabio did that movie, he showed up. He was oh. there. You know what I mean? A low-budget film. Absolutely. And, you know, hey. and when I asked him to do that, he's like, oh, whatever you want. That's, I mean, that's how he is. And that when is, he was there, he showed yeah. no signs of, oh. like, yeah. Out of the way, I'm Fabio. It was actually like he seems to have a very good sense of humor Absolutely. about who he is. Yeah, you know, because he would pick up some stuff, but he what did, he said some <laughs> said some things that were fucking hilarious. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah. Um, so so I mean, you, there is a chapter if I ever write a book, you know, how Fabio saved my life. You know, because that that one year where he you know bless his heart never really probed or just let me kind of incubate was crucial because they I've learned that. When you've gone through an abusive environment, it takes at least a year, if not two, for you to be outside that environment before you can consider that it's not just you. Maybe that environment had something to do with how shitty you feel about yourself. Yeah. And But it takes at least that long to process through that because you're so predisposed to say, I'm the asshole, I'm wrong, I deserve this, God. I'm just bad. And it just takes a while to work through that. So, you know. I'm still trying to figure out where was the party you were supposed to go to that night. Yeah, yeah. Was, Did you ever find that the party? The party. The party was in my pants. The oh, party. Was. Was, the party was in my pants. And in that guy's yeah. cocaine wallet. Yes. Do they have so, cocaine wallets? Is that what it I is? don't think that's a thing. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> cocaine wallet. I don't. <laughs> so, so hey, don't forget your cocaine wallet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, everybody. Well, where yeah. do they take it out of? Okay. But, so, but I want to like. Okay, so. I mean, <laughs> my goal was to talk half cult and then half, but, yeah. but, but when did you, like, you took the acting class because again, you were like, I enjoyed the travel of right. modeling and all that and it, it being on camera and I could handle that portion of it and you were already comfortable with your body and all right. that. So when did you start 
like going out for auditions and like yeah, how I mean, soon it, after it, you left Fabio's? It, 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 it was um, it was I started doing like um, some of these AFI shorts. Okay. Because you know they had to use SAG actors, and I've been SAG since my first commercial because you know, of when, the, I, yeah, you know, when I was a swimmer guy you know yeah. like so uh, fake swimmer guy yeah, the just fake, so yeah fake guy who stands in the shallow end absolutely and fake swimmer guy uh and so that's where i kind of got my you know kind of confidence that i could you know maybe start to you know, but when i would start to seek out agents because during my modeling career like i had uta and william morris you know like you know you should, you should, you know, start pursuing a, um, you know, an acting career. But me, me, I'm in the cult. I know that can't happen. I'm making up all excuses, and I was making a lot of money. And there's no way I was going to be the pivot without the cult kind of saying, no, we can't just have our income stream just, you know, change like yeah. this. So when I would go back to these agents, they're like, dude, you're 37 now, <laughs> right? And like, if you've been out here when you're 20, you'd be a movie star right now. I'm like, well. It's not how it played out, you know. I kind of had a tangent, you know, and, and a tangent. Yeah, yeah, and a tangent, and a tangent, and they're like, "We're not interested." So I quickly realized, like, nothing was going to happen unless I made it happen because, um, you know, coming in a little bit later like that, you know, was, was just going to be a challenge. You're the Roy so Hobbs I, of acting. So I started. <laughs> I, I started. I the, the epiphany I had is well content drives the business so i should start creating content boom and i started writing i started studying uh screenwriting you know and i was just trying to do anything to kind of keep me sane and i you know was fascinated by story i was said you, you must have enjoyed that kind of work you must have enjoyed acting you must have enjoyed what you yeah, found yeah i mean it was a great way to start channeling <clears> through some of these emotions i had suppressed because i had so much pent-up anger like like during this period also when i finally identified it was a cult and I used to call down in North Carolina, like, you all fucking call the assholes, and you're all fucking brainwashed, you're all fucking, you know, you know, and, and not prank took, calls, you just would no, call and yell at them. They took and, millions of dollars. Yeah, I go, me. you're living in a house that I fucking paid for, you got businesses that I fucking financed, you know, like, I'm just going off. Now, I am becoming what everyone thinks you become when you leave. Like, I am the epitome of, like, see, the dark forces has gotten in, and all of that. So it's falling on deaf ears, but it was very right. liberating and healing for me to just go off. Yeah, because right? you hadn't done that to and, them. You, you know, and then, and then I'm like, I'm going to sue you and everything, but I had no money. So, like, hiring a lawyer and all that, I'm like, fuck. And they're like, we're never going to sell Frederick's house. Never. It's it's the sanctuary. And this and I'm like, you're all going to fucking burn. You know, I'm like, I'm, like, furious. And, uh... And the acting was a really great way for me to kind of process some of that stuff. I mean, you know, I would sometimes put a scene up in class and people were like, dude, where the fuck did that come from? And I'm like, well, I've been through a few things in my life. They're like, well, I, I thought you were just a model. I'm like, eh, it's a little more complicated than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. It has a whole new, more complicated yeah. meaning. So, <clears throat> so, so that's where it, it really started. You know, I, I became fascinated with story and wanted to kind of do it. And, and, um, and then actually, I, through one of these AFI shorts, this guy went on to make a movie, and he asked me to do it. And uh, I ended up doing like three movies from from doing those AF, meeting AFI directors. It was, it was a great little. Well, kind that's of fantastic. Venue. Yeah, and so this movie was called American High School, and it's this god awful teen comedy thing. Great title. I mean, I can't believe no one ever used it before. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, the trailer I think has forty million hits on it, like because everyone's like, "Oh, American High School." School. Yeah, Yeah. I went to high school in America. I'm sure I like this movie. I mean, (laughs) it's it's unbelievable. But on that set was Brian. 
Oh, no shit. Yeah, so Brian, uh, basically... Not I, me. Not no, me. no, yeah, not yeah, Brian. Yeah, yeah Brian Drolet. Brian Drolet, yes. Brian the other guy who yeah, co-wrote... the guy who co-wrote Dumbbells. So basically, at this point, you know, I was, re- you know, I was reading all these screenwriting books. I, I wasn't really writing that much. I would, I'd create... I did one... I actually... I was a little chicken to actually put pen to paper. I had written one script with someone else, and, um, you know, but it was like $150 million movie, which is the most retarded thing to write. But yeah, of course, you can't. It's yeah, like, yeah. that's the first thing I'm like, oh, well, this would be a cool movie. And then yes, you re- it would. Then if you we all had like, endless yeah, amounts of money. If you get, money. get to one of the three people in the who could green light a picture like that, which yeah. you, you'll never meet. So, <laughs> uh, so I, you know, I'm in the, uh, Brian's playing the boyfriend of, my daughter. I'm like the pervy daughter who's trying to bang all my high school. Your girl- pervy dad. Yeah, okay. Per- yeah. yeah, pervy dad trying to bang my girl, my my high school daughter's girlfriends. Brian's dating my daughter. His name is Johnny Awesome. <laughs> my name is Kip Dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> very, those are some great names, by the way. Johnny Awesome and Kip Dick. Why? Yeah. Why you would like Johnny Awesome? Yeah. Well, because all he ever says all the time is awesome. You know. So it's so we're in the pool after one of the shoot, and Brian and I. The script was really, really bad. So Brian and I improv every single scene we were in, try to and, make it and, better. And yeah, and and so we realized that we had kind of a mutual love of improv. So. Um, we're in the pool, just having beers afterwards. You know, and at this time, Brian, I'm thinking he's just a, a, a frat guy. I'm like, he's just, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's 15 years younger than me. But you know, in many ways, I am stunted from all this. I feel like toe to toe with him. I'm yeah, like, you know, yeah, that's a really so, good point. So you, you know, we're all stunted. Yeah, we live in yeah. Hollywood. So you know, he's telling me about um, this script he wrote and then made the movie, and he's in post production. And I was like, oh, you you you, you wrote a script. He goes, yeah, yeah. I go, what did you? Are you an English major? He goes, no, no, I was an art major. I go, you, so, so you just wrote, anyone can write I, a script? Yeah, I go, you just wrote a script and 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 you, you made the movie. He's like, yeah, isn't isn't that what everybody does out here? I'm like, well, no, no, it that's just not, ha- not it th- just hadn't dawned on you yeah, that yeah, that's how like, it could work. Uh, yeah, I was like, not that I thought it worked like that. He goes, yeah, I thought you write the script and then you make the movie, right? <laughs> I was just like, well, that would be the order to go I, yeah, in. Yeah, I was like, I was like. Okay, so you just wrote the script, and then you got your friends behind it, and then you went and made the movie. He's like, yeah. He goes, well, first we we're going to do it kind of like for $20,000, but once people knew we were making it, we ended up with one hundred and twenty, and we made you know made the movie. And I'm like, what the fuck am I waiting for? <laughs> Boom, right there. Yeah. Light bulb. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh, okay. He's, and, and I realized, oh, write something that's manageable that you could actually make. Few so, locations. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So so what ended up happening was Brian and I, one of the guys on, there was another thing, another guy in the movie who played like Brian's sidekick was going to make a movie himself on a script that he had written. And uh, he said, I want you guys to be in my movie. And we're like, cool. I'm like, this is great. You just do a movie and then you get and another movie. Let you you do get another movie. movie. It's like, this you is easy. Movies. This is awesome. So... So I was like, well, send me the script. You know, he's like, yeah, 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 you know, here's the part. He sends me the script. I'm like, not besides just grammar and typos, I'm like, it's not formatted the right way. I'm like, this is getting made? I go, I thought this is the type of script that gets thrown into the, the garbage, garbage because yeah. you can't even format it. Like page two, it's like, sorry, I can't read this. Wait a minute. Are you in the room? What do you mean? The disaster artist. Is oh. Over there. oh, yeah, yeah. So... So I remember 
calling Brian and I was tentative. You know, I was like, so um, did you did you read the script? Yeah, yeah. What what did you what did you think about it? He's like, yeah, it was it was bad, right? Oh yeah, oh my god, yes, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, I got his awful. Like, oh, I'm like, well, should we tell him? Like, I mean. We can't go make this movie like it's awful, like it's so bad, and and I was like, well, yeah, I'm like, well, I'm the older guy. Let me let me let me let me call the guy and like I'm like, hey man, uh, listen, I I noticed that you had some real formatting issues and some typos. Maybe I can you know um, clean it up, clean it up for you a little bit, and you know kind of you know you know maybe make things you know just do. He's like, oh, that would be great, you know. I said, yeah, and you know, in the first act, I thought maybe. There'd be a better way to set set up a couple things, you know. So I just want, you know, would you mind if I just take a, a swing at it just to give you some ideas, you know? And he's like, oh, that'd be great, cool, cool, whatever. So I tell Brian, you know, you know, I'm thinking about. He goes, he goes, well, let's do it together. I said, perfect, great. So we just sit down and I mean, <laughs> we rewrite the first like 60 pages of the script, Jeez. and it's funny as like we and we're having a time of our lives. And Brian's like, we can't send this. You know that. Because, like, this is a totally different movie now. I'm like, yeah, but this is good now. Like, this is fucking This funny. is the movie I want to be yeah, in. this is great. Yeah. Like, this is great. He's like, you know, you can't send it. I'm like, fuck it, dude. I'm sending it. <laughs> He's like, don't, don't, don't send it, Hoyt. And I'm like, you know, like, so I like, oh, he's going he's gonna to know it's better. Like, it's going to be obvious. Or he's going to go, fuck yeah, you, yeah, buddy. Which is kind of <laughs> what happened. So, <laughs> so he, he's like. He's like, what the fuck? You know, and I was like, well, you know, and then I'm starting to like defend myself. That's really, and I'm like, well, I just, you know, I thought, and we had spent like three, four weeks on this thing. You know, we had really, I mean, got, 60 pages is yeah, no yeah. small. And, um, and so basically I thought, well, this means we're both off the movie now, but he actually, you know, he definitely had bruised ego, but he's like, you know, we're sticking to the script, you know, thanks for, you know, the, the typos and that sort of thing. And I was just like, so then, the uh, at one point I get the, I mean I couldn't help myself I was I was that guy you know we get on set and I meet the director I'm like hey man I just want to show you this oh <laughs> you would not let it go I would not holy and, uh, shit but, by but, the way but, anyone but, listening don't ever do this yes don't ever do this <laughs> I mean and and it and we didn't get to change the way the movie is done but but what it did is it it ignited that Brian and I loved writing together and that led to us writing dumbbells and so that was a a really kind of a, a a sweet kind of silver lining to the whole thing. So, uh, <laughs> so I must. I mean, I met you pretty quick after yeah, yeah, you yeah. started writing yeah, and yeah. doing movies. Yeah, then. yeah, exactly. Because I I got to be honest, man. When I first saw you, I was like, well, clearly this dude has been in a million soap operas. Like you had that that handsome guy look, and then just like watching you on camera, and then de- like you know you were a, you were a character on camera and you're yourself off camera but you you were it was an effortless looking transition like when those cameras rolled man you were 100% every time without any like i was never like not nah, in by that line <laughs> i mean i watched everybody and i i'm just like and then i'd watch my own performance and be like oh my god and then when i had to be in a scene with him i'd be like well what the fuck is this now like i can't this isn't fair like it was you were so good that I was like, of course, this guy's finally getting a chance to make a movie role because he's probably been in a million and one things. <laughs> well, thank you. You're very <clears throat> kind. I mean, it. I, I the, the thing that's amazing about dumb. I, I loved comedy, but I knew no one walking in the room would let me do comedy. You know, so if it hadn't been something like dumbbells, because it's not something that people would immediately say, oh, that that guy could be funny. 
They're like, no, they're a soap opera guy, like, or or you know, action guy or whatever. Yeah. You know? But that's also you're handsome. If you were yeah. like a troll, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, maybe comedy's your thing, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. So it, it, it that, that's why I'll, that movie will always be my firstborn, and I'll <laughs> love it till end. And, and you guys uh, went through a lot to make that movie. Do you know what I mean? Like independent yeah. filmmaking is is no small task. And since then, you've done. I mean, God, I want. I feel like once a month you're in a new movie. Well, it's it. Well, it, I'm not, but that's. Well, not, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that my Facebook persona does that, you know, or whatever. Like that's what it's it, there it, for. If only it was real. Um, I mean, I do. I I have. Uh, I I just had a movie that came out last summer, which was a similar scenario because with dumbbells we had to actually uh, ask the director to leave because he just couldn't find the tone, and so you know, I, it was one of these things of by necessity having to learn to edit because there was no money left. Right. And, uh, and, um, but that was this whole thing of realizing besides writing the script and then producing the movie that the editing is the final rewrite and how much, um, li- how liberating it was to actually have the control over that. Because up until that point, like Brian and I would be in the room and making suggestions and the director would, was just kind of like, no, 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 this, and, you know, and we, and we did not have our confidence yet as filmmakers. So like, Oh, I guess we're missing something. We're missing something. Well, but, also when someone comes at you with a confidence statement, you're like, okay, maybe that's the way to go. Yeah. Like, I don't know, you know, and then, but then I've always been a big believer to test market, you know, and, and do screenings and that's especially with comedy. Like if people don't laugh, it's not funny. There you go. Like it's that simple. You know, comedy is very hard. Once you that, calm right? down with your theories, yeah. Time, okay. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's an involuntary response. Like when you have a drama, people can lie. Like, oh, dude, it's, I was really moved. I was <laughs> right. Yeah, but if they're not laughing, if they're not laughing, you know. And, and we did the first couple test screenings of dumbbells, you know, and it, and it just tanked. And I was like, I talked to one of the other producers. I'm like, listen, this is not working, and I think we just have to go a different direction. And um, I said, give me two weeks with it. Just let me fix some things that are so obvious to me. And so I, I got two weeks, and I made these changes, and we screened it again, and the, the score went up 20 points. And I'm like, I go. said, I'm just on to something. You two know? more weeks. And then and then, <laughs> so from that, you know, I got it for another, like, three months, you know, and then I was able to kind of redo, redo the whole thing. And But that was such a great teaching tool to say, you know, you come into the business thinking, oh, I'm an actor. You know, and it's such a limiting mentality, yep. right? And and when you start going, because I really am a big believer, like, it's not either or, it's both and. Like, it's great that you love acting, but why set the bar so low? Why can't I learn how to write? Why can't I learn how to produce? Why can't I learn how to edit? Why, like, the more I learn, the more of an asset I'll be on set. Even if I'm not asked to do that, at least I've got a point of view, and there'll be some respect because people know I have those skills. Yeah. You know, as the actor, you're in such a limited point of view. I mean, so I actually, I coach actors out, not only on audition, but if coach actors who want to learn how to write and writers who want to learn how to produce, because I'm like, great, you learned what you've learned, but let's expand. Why not? Like, you know? should never, if you really love the entertainment industry, there, there's no, there's no end to your learning. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And I, Absolutely. And, and there's so, and like you say, why be so limited in just like, I'm an actor. I'm a director. I'm a like you yeah. like as a director, you should want to be able to edit because yeah. editing is so important to so important. the final vision. I mean, it is the most when the Oscars was talking about taking out the editing uh, award on TV, I was like that is insulting yeah. as fuck to, totally. to the to the business because Absolutely. I hate editing. I can't sit and go over and over. It's such a tedious 
it's such a needed and tedious process that it, it, it should it should be it's the same it's up there with cinematographer it's up there with director it's up there like if you're editing together a motion picture and it's winning academy awards you're a pretty good fucking editor you better you know it. yeah and and i and that and, kind of and, stuff and, and i've watched movies transform through the edit like yes like, no no reshoots just take i mean the the last movie i did this movie uh intersection which is a romantic thriller um the original cut of the movie didn't work because there's this femme fatale who, when my character interacts with her, if you can't believe that he just gets swept off his feet by her, and she, because she's she's kind of spinning a web a little bit around, you know, but you don't want the audience to know that at first, so you got to buy into the fact because it all happens over three days, then the movie doesn't work. If you're suspicious of her and think that something's up, then nothing works. Cause right. then you think my character is an asshole in the home. And that's how the, the original cut was. So I d- went back into the edit and I literally, you, you can cheat stuff by going like, Oh, when they first meet, I'm going to hold on her face a little bit longer. So they're having that unspoken, <laughs> that kind of moment that people have when they've met someone they like, mm-hmm. you know, and I was artificially Frankensteining the, cause it wasn't even in the scene that we were doing, but because I had the coverage from both sides, I could extend those moments. I'm talking frames, but it, yeah. it's a thing that, you know, editing's a lot to me, like playing music. There's a, there's a discord and then there's a harmony. And when you get the right thing, it hits you emotionally and now it's working. <coughs> but yeah. so I, I, I don't have the technical school skills of an editor to know like the tricks, you know, maybe right. I'll, along the, the, the road, I'll learn more right now. I just have to feel it. Like I edit emotionally. If I, if, if it's working where I feel the serving the, the, the scene as the emotion I want the audience to feel, then I move on. But I won't. Oh, it's, this is slick. It's a great cut. We have to, I'm like, yeah, but I don't feel anything. Sorry, it's, yeah. we got. We, we're not stopping. You got to drive the story. You got to make yeah. it emotionally. Yeah. You got to make people want to care about so, the characters. So it's and you can learn it on Adobe, you know, Cloud. Yeah. It's it's just everything's a tutorial, man. It's just teach yourself. You yeah, know? it's like just takes time. Yeah. Damn. Uh, what are you working <laughs> on? What are you? What are you working Next on? Next subject. Now? Yeah. What are you working on? Now? We know you've put time into some things. Yeah, a little bit. Well, you know, a little catch up. Joining the cult yeah. takes time. Yeah, Being exactly. an editor takes time. Being well, you know, people say like, like, you know, do you have you know, issues with commitment? I'm like, no, actually, I have no issue with commitment. <laughs> I, my my issue is I'm too committed. It, it, it's committing to the right healthy things is really all. You know, it's like, uh, I'll commit to nonsense so, for twenty yeah, years. Yeah, right. Right now, I'm, I'm developing. I'm going to do a docu series about my cult experience. Good. Um, I'm trying to develop a couple TV shows in that sphere as well. I mean, I've told you about the podcast. You know, that podcast I, is a I great idea. I also think it could be a, a TV show where I'm interviewing these cult survivors, you know, and, and maybe even a show where people have just kind of recently come out of a group and they're still in that, that early stage of recovery and just giving them some guidelines of what they're going to be facing going forward. You know, like like catch them at that interim phase where it's, you know, getting some helpful tools to kind of negotiate the waters they're going to be going through. Um, I think that could be kind of interesting. Absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, possibly a show where I could talk about cults really from the point of view of how they operate and how they're, and, and how, what they're doing to the people rather than this constant focus on the cult leader. It's like, what are the techniques the cults using for the indoctrination process? you know, how are they kind of controlling people? How, if you have someone in that group, what's a good way to get them out? You know, kind of just start to identify these 
groups out there and how they operate so that there starts becoming a working knowledge of how, because again, like I said, it's, it's a more extreme version of relationships we've all had, but the information is just power. So I just want to get more information out there. And then I've got like a couple of scripted projects in that area, like one that would virtually be like the Sopranos, but it takes you through a cult. Like you go with your character into the group, you live in the cult life, you go through season three, they start to kind of realize things are wrong. How do they finally get out? Season five, they're fighting back. They're taking the cult down or something like that. Because yeah. you know, I was lucky. I got to take the group down. You know, I came through it. I identified. So what it's done. Going. Yeah, so I, I sued them You know, because uh, they tried to sell the house. And I'm like, you motherfuckers are not selling that house. I see. So there was an actual legal paper trail as far as ownerships and all that no, kind of I, stuff. I, or I, no? My name was on nothing, but I all I had just tons of money going through funds. You know, I, I couldn't d- determine where those funds would go, but I had. Tra- I, I basically there was a, a lawyer in our group who had set up a Cayman Island account. All my money from Europe would go into the Cayman Islands, and they would go into a Nevada corporation, and then make a loan to. One of our corporations in North Carolina, what? and that's that's kind of I'm using air quotes legal laundering. That's yeah, you know that's uh, they're avoiding c- taxes everywhere that, they're going. That, right, that loan never has to get paid back. Yeah. Like it, I, I'm sure the laws have changed since then, but you know it was um, yeah. So I I had a case there. I actually had more money, but I didn't have all the paper trail. But at least I had enough to kind of take them down. And what, they, when did they, when they you said to, take them down? When did it? Well, end? they had to liquefy everything. So so uh, the house got sold. All the business that got so everything just got just ripped. When? How long ago was this? 2003. Okay. What was so the name of the cult? We didn't even eternal ask. Eternal values. The eternal. Eternal. Eternal now, values. And when you EV, said it's kind of catchy. EV. Do you have eternal values? Do you have EV? Yeah. So let's. T- yeah. It's time. It's time to play lightning round on stuff here. Okay. So here we go. So all right. So eternal values. Earlier you said that there was only about 100 people or so that were actually in the active part of the cult, but you said you had a mailing list of 45,000 people. What does that mean? Is that the people you were selling stuff to? Yeah, exactly. People who had inquired, had had read that book, Aliens Among Us, and said, oh, my God, what are you guys doing? Can I get a life? Because Freddie had were doing these astrological life readings. It's kind of like an astrological tape. It would be like an hour and a half. Um, And uh, so they would, you know, and it became like a two-year. He was absolutely pathetic at doing them like you know he would take the money and then procrastinate and he was something you know i come to find out he was doing like fucking cocaine sometimes and we he's like dear i never need to sleep and you know we're like, okay. yeah. like <laughs> now you know no, why we had no idea like, like he was pulling so many fast ones all the time and um yeah so so we had to like refund a lot of that money you know after so they died. were baby you basically marketed to those people to get money from them yeah and we had a we had a, we had a a um we would sell books. These were books that we had not written, but we, you know, you could make a you know kind of small commission on that. Kind of you know, like uh, you would pay, uh, um, what's it called? You know, bargain. You know, and then you would you pay at a retail with a discount. You know, oh, you'd up, you'd, you'd uh, mark uh, market value, and then yeah, you'd exactly. So so we were up. like a distributor. We we did some money that way, but it was mostly just um, also giving them information. We had created some some. Audio tapes, we'd sell those. Okay. Um, we had this TV show, which is, like I said... God, uh, you have footage of that? Unbelievable, yeah. That's going to be great in the docuseries. Oh, yeah, but yeah. you would not classify these people mm-hmm. as members. They were just right. subscribers, if you will, in using modern-day terms. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Cause the, 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 I, I would call a member someone who... Um, you know, actually kind of cohabitated okay. in some form, you know, okay. and, and participated in, like some people, there was a family that was involved, um, and they would come to events, and you would, you would, you know, kind of say that they were a member, but, 
uh, when, when I say 100, it's like the people that are kind of at one point kind of lived within. We had a loft in Queens that could keep like 25 people there. Okay. So there was a constant turnover of people. They'd come through town lost and, you know, seeking and like, oh, well, go to you know, the, the loft and uh, you can work for Christopher Pratt and he has a painting business and we give them work and, you know, kind of that sort of thing. Okay. It, it was kind of a, a food chain of like you would start. But not Chris Pratt, the actor. No, no. Okay. So, no. and, and with the, that would have been great. And, and, yeah. and with these people. Who I did, adore. I think he's a great, great actor. I just, yeah, he's oh, good, yeah, man. He's yeah, good. He's good. Yeah. I love Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. With these, uh, so w- with this, with the, well, again, just to clarify, with these people that you're talking about, that that you did outreach to, did you guys also go? Did you did with, were they asked to do outreach in their communities as well, or that had nothing to do with? They were just more of a buyer stuff. We're moving yeah. on from you. We'll keep in contact with you. We yeah, want to sell exact- more stuff to you. Exactly. But it's they were not asked specifically to spread the word, if you will. No, no. Okay, we're got really, it. We, and, and, could, and also, by the time we were moving towards something like that, that's when Freddie was getting sick. You okay. Know? You know, and so, that kind of just never yeah, really... It, it, okay. it, it really, you know, it was like a, you know, like a, you know, what do you call the, you know, the the, 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 the stars that burn out really fast. Like, mm-hmm. a, it was really kind of like that. I mean, five years, like, <laughs> okay. it was gone. And then, like I said, it became much more of a underground dysfunctional family thing going okay. on. And we used to... Usually it'd be like one person a year would literally escape out the window like like <laughs> I did, you know, like just someone would just like handle yeah, yeah. it. And the, to me, the most tragic part about it that still exists out of that hundred is probably three, maybe four people that can call it a cult and know what that means and talk about it. That's what I was going to so, ask you. What so became other, once you shut the, it down? The, what became the other of most of the people? Six are still in a form of denial, trauma, delusion. together. No. No, some of them still keep in touch with each other. There's no group. For okay, them so anymore. they're no, okay. But they recently actually they had a little get together of like half a dozen of them. I'm like, I'm like, so what do you, what do you talk about? Like, like what? yeah, the end times never came. The spaceships never. Like, like how do you pro- like I I've got obviously a rationalization system because I've got you know without questioning the kind of science behind my take on it, but. You know, how do you, what do you talk about? I mean, do you just not talk about it? Or are you just, you're just kind well, of reminiscing like, wait, this is the good times? Are you, you communicating with these people? No, no. Oh, I, you're, you're saying out I, loud, I, like, I, what I, are you guys? I know, I know some, yeah, I know someone who kind of plays Switzerland and kind of. Okay, co- so there, so you can, yeah, you I, can I get, informate. I'll okay. get a few kind of, you know, and, 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 and I think that's been one of the things. I, I didn't, I haven't been uh, public about it with the intent to necessarily Ex, you know, um, get those people to hopefully come around. But, but you know, I, I would be lying if I said I kind of hope that someone, you know, because I've done like a lot of pad, podcasts, I've been on, you know, interviews on TV and, you know, and I've talked about it a lot. So I would have thought, I would have just hoped, and it only happened once. There was a girl who was involved with the group when she was very young. She was kind of a peripheral player, really. She was only 15. She had met the cult leader when she was 14 in San Francisco. He invited her to come spend the summer in New York, you know, so she lies to her parents, says she's going up to Lake Tahoe Jesus. with a friend, hops on a plane, comes and spends the summer with us. I had just gotten there from, from Princeton, so we that's when we met. And she came the following summer as well. She came like one Christmas vacation. And then she kind of started to go to um, Cal Berkeley and she kind of faded away. And then Vanity Fair happened and she kind of backed off. Uh-huh. And then literally 30 years later, she Googled my name one night. And I get this Facebook message. She's like, hey, do you remember me? Was this really a cult we were in? 
And I <laughs> email her back going, yeah, 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 it is. And if, if you want to talk about it, I'm, she's like, yeah, I, I would. And so we start talking and literally a month later, I was going to do a film festival, which was like in her area. She's married, has a, has a kid. And um, so she came down and met with me and we just talked for like three hours and um, it was great to see her and, and you know she's started you know, she's basically be, you know started down her recovery path which I had a 15 year head start and then she comes to the premiere of this movie I was I was doing and one of the actors was there and you know I've been like transparent about this so I, he knows that I was this, got this cult story so we're all in line to get popcorn and um, he's like so how do you guys know each other and I go oh, oh Kim I've known her since she was 15 she was in the cult with me and she's like Oh, she wasn't. Oh, she yeah. wasn't prepared to yeah, be so. She's like, she's like, oh my god, what, what have I got myself into? Like, because you know, for thirty years she had not taught her parents. Still, until a year ago, didn't thought even, she went to Salt Lake City. Never or whatever. knew about. I'm yeah. assuming for some people also they don't want to talk because they feel like it's a stigma. People will look at you, well, she, right? Like they just sure. Like, but but but, I'm, but that that's exactly right. But that's exactly why you need to talk about. Right, right, right. It's right. like addiction. But, People, it used to be a thing that you never mentioned, you never talked about, but it turns that, out... And that's the shame thing. Talking you know? about it is actually a good thing. Yeah, that's and, exactly and right. Because the, the, the shame is fed by the idea, if I talk about this, you're going to think lesser than. And 98% of the time, that's not the case. Right. And the 2%, well, then that person's really revealed that they're not someone you need to talk to anyway. There you go. Right. So, you know, it's a, it's a great litmus test. You know, if you want to just, you know, talking about our demons, if someone's going to then judge you for that, fuck them, man. <laughs> Boom. Fuck them. I agree. You know? Some more questions. So you, <laughs> you touched on, so you touched on um, uh, Andy Warhol and Truman Capote. So you've seen these two icons of, of um, American pop culture face to face, in person, and interacting. Are they what we have manufactured them to the? Uh, do are, are the myths true, or are or, or is the, or have we turned them into something more based on your personal experience of what you've seen? Well, well, describe describe to me the myth of Andy Warhol, and then I'll tell you whether it's well. Or I mean, uh, the Doors movie that I think is a good like um, just a kind of a disconnected artist who was uh, in his own world. Yeah, that that was uh, <laughs> that's pretty accurate. I mean, again, like yeah, I'm I'm talking about. You know, less than half a dozen times I've really interacted with him, had dinner type of thing. I never, I ne- like I like I said a little bit earlier, I never felt like I ever had any in-depth, connected yeah. conversation with him. I guess just in the big picture, when when you talk about people like that, the the the, the longer it goes, the further away we get from them, mm-hmm. it, it almost gets to this mythical proportions of these people. You know, they have just this this aura. This overriding command of rooms and everything that they do, that people are just kind of stopping, shock and awe, almost in a weird way, going to go meet with the cold like thing, where yeah. everybody just kind of like gravitates towards those personalities, and everything else stops. I just, I, I've always found that I've never really ever seen that in a human being. So one has to wonder if that's just a little bit of a of a romanticizing I, I, of how I, someone. I would agree with you because I think I think what I've learned, if, if nothing, you know. Um, if when you eliminate the human element, you're you're doing an injustice to everybody, and it's just not accurate. You know, it's like I, I have a friend of mine who's a wonderful filmmaker, uh, Philippe Mora, and he's an Aussie guy. And and uh, when he was very young, like he's living in London with Eric Clapton, he's got an amazing kind of history, done a lot of really interesting horror movies and things. But 
at one point he was just starting out doing documentaries and and he would just find existing footage and, and cut them together he's a really great editor and he had done he was fascinated because he's got a uh, I think half of his background is Jewish, and his, they come. They had come from France during the war, and you know, you know so he's got this wow. whole interest in the Second World War. War, and um, so he wanted to do a a documentary about Hitler, and he found Ava Braun's home movies. So he cut Jesus. a lot of footage together that of you know, you know the stuff we've seen before, but then he cut in Hitler with puppies. Yeah, I was gonna say Hitler petting a dog. Yeah, yeah, you know, being a human. Yeah, you know. And he took it to Cannes at, at 1973, and people walked out, and they were outraged. They're like, this is all fucking lie. They, they could not handle it because they want to believe he's the, de- he's the, the, the devil and the monster with the mustache that you yeah. see a million miles away. Which he, which he is. Well, he is, but, <laughs> but, but it doesn't... That he doesn't, became that's, that. That's exactly. He I, became that. You're doing, a, you're doing a disservice to someone to say, that's how they appear. Yeah. Because there's an evolution involved. So, so, and I just know that, like, I I understand how the whole country got behind Hitler. I went through a microcosm of that. You yeah. know? So, so I get it now. You know, I, they I, don't just show up as that thing, is what no, you're saying. No, exactly. And, 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 that. and yeah. like we were saying, they, they don't show up and start talking about spaceships. But like, there's an yeah. ease in Hitler everything. wasn't yeah. like, hey, everyone, going to run for public office, kill the Jews. Yeah. And everyone's like, right. no, he yeah, like exactly. eased into that it's, and it's, sort it's of became more insane thing, as but, he went. But it, it's very. It feels very comforting. It's a defense mechanism. I, I've watched it all the time because you know when I when I have volunteered these conversations to people in social environments, you know there's there's occasionally I get the person who's like, well, let me tell you why I'd never get involved with cult. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, yeah yeah. yeah. And uh, and I understand that point of view because it's like, please tell me I'm safe and I need to kind of somehow kill the messenger because I'm not comfortable with the message you're giving me right now. Right. And you know the the truth is, you know, I can I'll listen to them. I'm like, well, actually. All those reasons you just gave me, you could find in a personality that would agree with every one of them, and that could be a cult leader. So I'm telling you, um, it's much more complex than you ever imagined. Yeah. And, and as long as you think, like you're saying, that it can't happen to you, I go, that's where I sat. I said, and I would have been right next to you telling you, not a fucking chance. Yeah. So I'm telling you. Yes, there is. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, know? and if it's not you, it could be someone near you. And the more you perpetuate that, you're actually, you know, putting yourself in vulnerability and other people you care about because it's just not accurate. I said it's that simple. I said it's not comfortable, but I said you're better off looking at it realistically than the safe zone, which is really inaccurate. Yeah. So, so uh, I'm going to jump all over the place okay. here because we're in the speed round. So you said you traveled a- around the world quite a bit when yep. you were a model. Uh, some of your favorite places to be that you never thought you would have uh, found to be uh, interesting to you? Seychelles Islands, like paradise incarnate. Um, the North Pole. I, I I parachuted onto the North Pole for a modeling job. What? Wait, 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 wait. Hold that's, on. That's like as extre- part of it? Ex- extreme model. there. Extreme <laughs> modeling. Yeah, but yeah, but, yeah but that was part of the shoot. They weren't like, and then we're going to send you to the shoot. We got to push you out of a yeah, plane. Yeah, that's right. The that, only way to get there is <laughs> bye. They, they, they had a guy with a, like a football helmet with a camera on top, so it was okay. a jump out. You know, I just did tandem. It wasn't like I, you know, I, I did. Three jumps, two in, in, did you get to wear in, clothes? in Belgium. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. I mean, it's on the minus jump. 70. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's you like were known we, we, didn't we didn't know what you were modeling. We didn't know you were modeling. It's like what they went through in um, in uh, Chicago recently. I was going to say the yeah. Midwest two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. It's it was it was like minus seventy. And 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 what about know. it that, that do you does it st- in in the North Pole? Just to, and yeah. I'll let you back to your your question because when you bring up the North Pole, yeah, we've all heard of it. 
But when you get there, you're like, okay, this is really different. Like, I know I'm in like a... It, I am. it is so anticlimactic. First of okay. all, it's only ice. <laughs> Such as water. And... That's it. That's it, yeah. And no then the, the, everyone workshop. brings in that stupid pole. It's like the little arrows <laughs> going everywhere. Oh, let's do a picture. Like, it is absolutely... So wait a minute. They're just making up where the North Pole yeah, is exactly? Yeah, I mean, basically, <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. That's over here. No, that, that is, it is exactly like that. <laughs> and of course, going into it, I'm thinking like, oh, it's going to be like an Indiana Jones adventure. It's going to be amazing. You know, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be cold as shit. And, first, and it's dangerous in the sense that you know the, the 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 North Pole is, is dark for uh, six months, you know, which it get where it freezes, and then the light comes out for six months, and you've got about a twenty day window where you can land a helicopter, which is the only way you get off the island, you know, off the ice, you know. So because then it get, the ice gets too thin, it can't support a helicopter. So there's really only been like thirty five hundred people who've actually been to the North Pole. Which wow, I, which I thought at the time was so cool, and now I'm like. Dude, you could pretend the North. You can take a picture of any ice with a blue sky and say you were in the North Pole, and there's no way that I could say it wasn't. But I got more about this one. <laughs> there's a couple things that'll tie into all the yeah. storytelling here. So first off, where did you? Where did you? So how long was that shoot, or was it just one day? You went and you went out, and how uh, far away are you from like any civilization of to what you had to yeah, do? Yeah, I mean, it's, it was interesting in the sense we went through uh, Russia, so I flew into oh, wow. Moscow. We then had to go up to we'll uh, edit this part out Katanga. of it because of the modern times. We can't have yeah. talk about Russia on this podcast. <laughs> we, uh, we flew up to Katanga, which is an old gulag in Siberia. So that was interesting. Now, this is like, yeah, by the way, everything the sounds cold to, to me so yeah. far. Everything oh, yeah. you're saying sounds 1995, cold. So this wasn't that long after since the you know the wall had come down and all that you know and so it was really strange being an American in what was an old gulag. Yeah, and um, and. We were delayed in going because the plane that was supposed to take us from Moscow to the place had crashed on the way, so they had to get a new plane. Oh, oh okay, that, cool. Uh, you've, heard, you've heard about the maintenance over there not being great, so that, that was, would make me feel good. Yeah, that makes. You get paid and, well for this one? No. Okay. No, this is just for the thrill of things. Like I'm thinking, like, oh, this would be awesome. Um, so then, uh, on the, the they get like this big army plane to take us up to the North Pole. It's like one of those things you see out of the movies where <laughs> it's like. Loud and 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 hulking, and it's got a big door that opens in the back, you know, so you can take out fifty people at a time. There are only one hundred fifty of us. Like there's an American team, there's a European team. I was part of the European team, and then there's a Russian team. And I remember we get all this. We're in this fabric called tactile. That's it. We're taking tactile to the extreme, like Gore-Tex. You've heard about, like tactile is even better. And we're parachutes made out of tactile. All our clothing, underwear, everything's made out of tactile, <laughs> other than our boots. So. We're going up there, and um, I'm all dialed in. We get in, and the plane is so fucking hot. I am just sweating my balls off. Like, like I literally had to start disrobing. And it's like a nine-hour flight from Siberia up to the pole. Jesus. And so I'm like, well, might as well just say like, kill some time. So I go up to the cockpit. They are cannonballing vodka. And they're like, hey, what's up? You know, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, it's like I'm like, Wow, this is a whole. You should have said yes and taken all yeah. of it. Just yeah. thrown it out the back window. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then I'll never forget because you know we did this training, and then you know I've got to be the first one out so the so that the uh, you know the photographer can kind of get the pictures. So um, the door opens up. It's like you know it's like the old um, you know movies like spies like us when they're like they're not going to make us jump. not us. We're like the ride. And so I get out there and I'm just like, okay, here we go. And, you know, we've come this long distance. 
my goggles because I'm so fucking fog up. I mean, there's like there's like a little sliver at the below. I can't see a damn thing. I'm like, on the I've way down this far, and I can't see anything. Uh. You know? <laughs> Luckily, I got cold very fast, and I could start to see. But at first, I go bombing, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I can't see a damn thing. Not even going to enjoy the view. Not even going to see. Mm-hmm. And and you have to avoid there's like blue spots in the ice because that's where the ice is thin. You do not want to land there because you go right through. And then we do land, and the Russians carve a hole, and they're all jumping. And they say, and they're all saying like, "What you don't want to do? Don't get in the water because the water will feel warmer because it's like minus seventy. It's, it's the air. You know, I don't know what it is, wind chill, but I mean, literally everything's crystallized. Like everywhere you look, yeah, you see like you throw hot water in the air. It's going to turn into oh, yeah. snow. Yeah, and and people's eyelashes would freeze together, so you'd kind of have to cup your hands and blow hot air onto them so they could even open their eyes. People like got were trying to take pictures of the camera. You watch frostbite, they, their hands would go black like in a 30 seconds. So you had, it was, it was super intense. And I'm looking at this and they're basically saying, we're going to be up there for about 10 or 12 hours. And then the, the, you know, the helicopters are coming and I see the shelter they brought and there's maybe shelter for like 50 and there are 150 of us. I'm like, if a storm came in, we're dead. Yeah. Like there's this is where I'm like, I don't think I thought this through very well. It seemed like a and, good idea. Uh, yeah. And uh well the, yeah, actually, you know, I've thought about that would probably be the title for my book is like seemed like a great idea. Seemed like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's like go save the world. Go, you know, <laughs> like become a, a better idea. person. But yeah. now I'm gonna bring it back yeah. to something else that you said. Okay. So you said that the end of the world was gonna come when the polls yeah, the polls adjusted. Right. So you were there, yeah, um, and you actually had one of the polls. Yes. Um, did so you, see you in any theory, of the evidence of that happening? You, that should have been your moment I where you're like, I've been to the North Pole, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> ain't we no, moved, ain't no moved. shifting going on up there. <laughs> yeah. We moved that damn thing all <laughs> over the just place, just and nothing happened. <laughs> Might as well be Northern Wisconsin in yeah, January. Yeah, I never put that together, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I moved the pole, dude. Uh-huh. Yeah, guys, I did it. <laughs> watch, watch, the pole's going to shift right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, my um, God. So that that's cool. Uh, some of the uh, coolest people you got to work with? Uh, some of the great photographers. I mean, I've uh, I worked with Helmut Newton. Okay. You know, I worked with Avedon. I worked with this guy, Horst. Um, that was really... I mean, people that were iconic and kind of at the later end of their careers. Then I worked with some of the modern greats, you know, there's Bruce Weber and Greg Gorman and, and uh, Peggy Sirota and Nadir. I mean, I could go on and on, you know, but it, it, the... And what about talent? Some of the talents you know, that you yeah, got excited worked, to work I with. I got to work with all the, you know, I got to meet all the girls and, and you know, consider them friends, you know, like Cindy Crawford and, and you know, um, uh, Claudia, I don't know that well, but you know Christy Turlington and Naomi Campbell, and um, so you get you could walk by each other on the street and they go, yeah, "Hey, how you doing?" Yeah, 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 yeah and you absolutely. Go, hey, how it, are it's you? kind of, it's kind of a small sewer, you know, the whole thing. You know, it's like um, well, yeah. sewer is a weird. Well, I mean, it's because it, because it, it's something you don't really understand unless I, I, unless you I go call down it a fraternity, in it. like like yeah. like the you know the men's business in particular is different. You know, like I said, you're a guy doing the woman's job. So the stakes are so different because in a woman's career, you can make $50 million a year. So a guy, it's just not even possible. So the guys were as much more of a fraternal in the way, like, well, as long as I'm making my rent and you're making rent, let's all have a good time. And actually, just this past weekend, I got invited to go to New York 
there's this fashion designer, uh, Philip Plein, he's a German designer, has a line in his in his uh, clothing line called Billionaire. That he oh, has I saw all some these of pictures, old, yeah. older models come like so. I, mean, I really haven't modeled in almost twenty years, and so they, he invites the guys back to run, you know, run, you know, walk the runway, and it was absolutely hilarious because because everyone really for the most part they're all good guys, and 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 you know we're all for a night trying to recapture this life from twenty years ago when we just you know didn't have a care in the world and didn't you know you don't you don't ever think it's going to end. And it's fascinating to see where people end up. And uh, I mean, I think we were worse than the girls, like with the selfies and the photos. Like it, yeah. was, ab- <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious, but it was wonderful because, you know, the the um, you know there there was a real camaraderie, and there was, you know, it, it was it was this type of thing of I've met many models who I've never worked with, but the fact that they were models, you know, and I say met you know male models. The fact that they understand that lifestyle, there's an immediate bond because it's, there's yeah. no way I could explain to you what it was like being a male model. It's like trying to explain to someone what an orange tastes like when they never had an orange. Yeah. Or starting stand-up to somebody who's yeah. never done stand-up. Exactly. Well, I'm sorry, I was the um, a wholesome bread boy. If I can just go grab my... <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, we'll definitely yeah. post a... Oh, okay. I, can't, I can't find Brian it did right some now, child right? modeling, but <laughs> no, one wanted to, no one recruited him to a cult, so his parents pulled him but out. But it really is fascinating that there's a kinship, you know, that yeah. it's just... Like I, I hear you. It's a brotherhood. Crazy. Easy life that we live that we no live. one no one would possibly understand. So it's fine. Yeah. The uh, uh, um, another question I have uh, is you talked about uh, learning when you the Italy thing, like they take a month off. What were some of the other eye opening thing, like the worldly things that that you are really glad that you were able to experience that you that you carry with you to this day of things that you learn that there are different ways to live. Yeah, life I that, mean, I, I spent a lot of time in England. Okay, and and I really was taught friendship through my English friends in, in a way unlike any other friendships had been to that date. And I've used that approach to be the foundation for all my friendships because I went to school there for a year and I was a uh, public school is the only American. The public school is actually like a boarding school. That's, okay. a, that's their word for a boarding yeah. school. Yeah. And, um, and so a lot of these guys have been together since they were eight. You know, it's like, I, I can't fathom sending my kid to a boarding school at eight, but that's kind of the way it was. So they, they were really like family and brothers. So I got put through the ringer when I first arrived, you know, New guy. because yeah. And, and you know, you're, you're, it's, it's, it's not like hazing and an initiation. It's just kind of test marketing. Like, do you have the capability to be as honest as we have been with each other, because that's how we've survived together. So it's like I had to use the F word. Like, how do you feel about things? And I'm 18. I'm like, we don't talk about. Don't this have feelings, you in America. <laughs> you know, we don't talk. You know, and they would talk openly about like masturbation, go wanking. I'm like, we we don't even. Well, we don't. We, we, we don't even admit. admit. What? Women don't, don't poop and boys it. don't touch like, anything. Yeah. We did not admit it. Yeah. Man, I was in because, eighth grade, freshman year. If you met masturbation is for gay people. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll never forget because that's also I, I, I didn't okay. that's gay. I didn't uh even understand foreskins. So when I first arrived, my uh, the first night I just passed out, but the second night I was in a room with five other kids, you know, we we're uh, you know, probably all I think eighteen or you know, between like seventeen and eighteen, and I start hearing this noise. I hear this <laughs> He's having a wank. Yeah, and, yeah, and that—that's exactly what they said. Because I'm like, first, first, I'm like, what's that noise? And it's like, oh, it's Luke. He's having a wank. And I was like, oh, I yeah. No, what's uh, wank uh, again? Is that like yeah, some sort and, of macaroni and, and, and cheese? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like right, a stern right, macaroni yeah, yeah. and cheese. So and then I and then I start figuring out what's going on. I'm like, 
oh my God, where am I? Like, like this guy is jerking off in the bed next to me and everybody knows and they're okay with it. I'm like, what have I gotten myself yeah, into? Yeah, what kind of weird and, sex party is And then as the this? year goes on, because, you know, I became very, very close to these guys, you know, and then it'd be like, you'd go into their their study, they're like, oh, good thing you didn't come in five minutes ago. It's having a good wank. I'm like, you know, you don't have to tell me that, like, that's cool that you did that, but yeah. I don't have to know. I don't need to know. Can so I are you saying that no, the, I that, the that the Puritan values that landed in the United States, which in theory would have come from where you were, yeah. we're even more hardcore than they are. They are exactly, and 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 like I said, and they and they and you think of the the British as being very uptight. They're yeah. not really. They they've got that kind of very proper kind of thing to kind of use as humor and cynicism. But they're actually the, some of the most warm and kind and loyal people I've ever met. So I learned from that that. Friendship is something you take seriously. Friendship is something that you should look for as a lifetime relationship. And that whenever, like when I started to travel as a model, I'd always try to come through London wherever I could because a few of the guys were still there. And um, and I would always see that, because my schedule would change constantly, so it would be very last yeah. second. I'd be like, listen, I'm going to be coming to London for two days. Any chance you guys are around? And they would always make the effort. Yeah. And that's what I really taught. I, that really taught me early on, like, if you get a chance to connect with someone that you have a friendship with that you care about, you have it's on you to kind of make that effort because it might be a hassle, it might be expensive, it might take time, but when you get there, I have never been disappointed ever and you and and it actually is a way of reinforcing why you care about each other. And and if you don't do that, friendships die. So I really learned that that is the way you treat it. You don't just it's not a casual cavalier thing. It's like a friend is something you work at, and so you endure it. And it can, and it's been lifetimes. I mean, the the seven of us that were all there in school together. Now that we're all, you know, they're kind of getting close to being empty nesters. I mean, I never had a nest, but um, we get together once a year somewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. We go together and spend like ten days and just reconnect. And you know, and and I've got a few friendship groups like that, but this one in particular was the beginning. And so that whole sense of family and the way they treat. Friends is is very different in Europe, so that really has framed the way I've looked at things differently. And uh, um, I'm just grateful. Like I said, the education you get from getting outside these borders is something you just can't put a label or tangible value on. It's just something I am just so grateful for. Yeah, you can't get a degree in it, but man, it's to to understand other cultures and other people and not be sort of bubbled out in, in, in it, one place, and yeah. this is how we do it, and this is it. Yeah, like, I, I actually don't think I could get very emotionally involved with a girl who hasn't left the country because um, there's that's such a huge component of my life that even if I'm... Because I've watched people sometimes get... Because I just tell a story like, oh, there's a time in Rome, and you know, I was Roman, and we were kind of doing this and this, and I watch someone go like, roll their eyes like, oh, he's in Rome, great. I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to tell you a story. I'm not like making a You're big not, deal. Yeah, yeah, I'm not like yeah. making a big deal being in Rome, but I'm just trying to like context. I like, was having pizza yeah, at the Coliseum. Yeah. Okay, next time you say it, you go, all right, I was watching this episode of Big Bang Theory, and they were in Rome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then they go, oh, you're telling yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, right. it all with stupid but, but, American but TV. So, so it, 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 it's, but it, it's one of those things that I've, you know, come to learn, like that's just been the fabric of my life. And so yeah. for me to be able to like, I, I would need to have someone else who understood that type of international lifestyle because it's formed who I am today, you know. And I'm so and so I feel so be- you know beneficial to have kind of had that that 
I wouldn't want to you know, talk about it and feel like that's uncomfortable for someone. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm going to hope that it wasn't the North Pole when I asked this question. Where were you? Where did you go uh, in the world that you felt completely out of place, maybe a little bit intimidated? It was so culturally different, but you 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 figured it out, and you actually it it was one of those ones where you're like, you're so glad you found yourself there. Great question. Um, a couple places come to mind. Africa was really you know I've been to Africa probably um, more than a dozen times, and and um, I remember. Um, I got to know a South African model at one point, and you know, I kind of had a little bit of a snooty American thing, like, oh, what are you guys doing down there type of thing. And yeah, he's like, have you ever been to South Africa? I'm like, no. He's like, you have to see it. What, you know? And it uh, turned out one of my English buddies, you know, I was just referencing, married to the South African girl, lives down there. And I remember the first time going to South Africa and really, you know, you know, I went to Cape Town, which is beautiful. I love, I've gone there probably half a dozen times. But that first feeling of what it really feels like to be a minority, you know, in a country, you know, where, you know, and there's, the, you know, obviously race plays into that from the point of view that you just look different. But then there's this kind of awful history that's there. And it's something that even though they've made gigantic strides, it's inevitable for you to just not be affected by it. And, and, it's one of these things that if you don't actually feel it firsthand, it's something, it's, it's what he said to me was very accurate. It's like, you got to just be there and see like, this is the difficult situation, you know, and um, this transition to kind of allowing the people that are more indigenous to this lands, you know, take control. It, it's, 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 it's complicated. It's a mess. And there's a lot of history and a lot of bad behavior and a lot of stuff going on. And it's so easy to be from afar and just kind of say, oh, yeah, these people should be doing this or that. But when you actually talk to the people that are living there, I mean, my one friend for a while, he's like, I think the, the whole government may destabilize. And I'm like, dude, no way. Like, South Africa is the most, got the biggest infrastructure. No one's going to let South Africa collapse. Like, you know, that would be a cat catastrophe for all of Africa. He's like, dude, you have no idea what how things get down here. And, um, and that was really, really extraordinary to kind of just recognize, like, we just don't know, you know, and and then and, you know, and that you think you watch something on TV or your movie, and it's like, oh, I get it. Oh, I know what France is like. They got the Apple Tower. It's, like, <laughs> like, it's like it's just so not so. So I I just I think one of the greatest things you could do to kids is give them a chance to kind of go out and uh, and see the world. And I've actually got a friend of mine from high school who um, was a Navy SEAL, and because. Of uh, you know, he's a wrestler. He's like amazing athlete, and we were very close. And then he um, he was a seal for like six years, and then he became a teacher. And then he started a school down in the Bahamas called the Island School. And it was all under the premise that if you empower teenagers, watch the magic happen, because so much of the teenage years is quite often using indoctrinating kids like how the way things should be, and you know, do do do. And, and he had come from teaching at a school called Lawrenceville, which is like not, not like kind of outside of Princeton. And it's kind of one of these schools that, you know, we're going to prepare you to go to an Ivy school or a really good school. And, and, and he was having difficulty there. So he's like, I want to do it differently. And so down at the school, um, he basically teaches them sustainable living, you know, so they learn about like how third world countries like fight for water, clean water, you know, they all live in barracks. They have to, you know, the kids have to, you know, it's basically catered to like 16 and 17 year olds 
and you go down, you can, you'll go for a semester or there's a summer intensive. So it's like fall and spring. And, um, it's amazing how and they, he takes them through like exercise, like some of the, you know, not hardcore SEAL training, but all the leadership exercises force these kids to talk about the things they think are flaws, whatever, in the group context where they, they really learn to embrace each other and recognize the things that they think are their flaws and yeah. the things everybody loves about them. Yeah. You know, and my nephew went down there, which is why I got to go down. Um, because I'd heard about this for years, and like anything, you just kind of like, oh, I got to go, and you never go. But then, you know, my nephew went down there, and he was kind of an aloof kid, a little cocky, and he only went for the summer intensive, which is 30 days. And I got down there, and I first he looked me right in the eyes. He's like, hey, you know, and we started talking. I was like, wow, Sawyer, cool. And and his whole cadence and speech had, had changed. You know, he was wow. very open and talking about his experiences, the friendships he had, and what he'd been learning. And I'm like... What is this? This is remarkable yeah. what he's doing, and it's kind of like a a deprogramming for the entitlement that is such a you know a, an issue with, you know with within that realm of like the private schools and all of that. And it's it's so wonderful that he's doing something like that because he, as a seal, like he went into the seals. He told me because I wanted to hear some of the dirt, but his family was around. We didn't really get to hear all the stories, right? But he's basically like you know I I love the physical training of it because he'd always been an athlete and the challenges and he goes, but I realized like I wanted my life to be about, you know, empowering lives, not taking them. And he goes, at a, wow. cer at a certain point, my moral compass just couldn't take the job anymore. Wow. You know, so, and then he turned it into the school. That's just, I'm telling you, I went to the graduation. It, it transforms kids' lives, you know, and, and these are friendships. Like I feel like they will have for the rest of their lives, you know, and, uh, you know, it's it's this type of thing that even a lot of the counselors are there where ex-students that come back and want to be a counselor, and then they're saying, you know, I came down here wanting to give these kids the experience I had, and I found from being the counselor, they taught me more about me than I could have ever dreamed about. So more. there's this, this whole yeah. thing that happens, and I was just like, this is pretty amazing. So that's where I realized, like, for me to, you know, that the opportunity to see other places or recognize that this thing we have, you know, it comes back to my theme. Like, I think, uh, I, the, me, the most tragic thing about America is that there is a overwhelming brainwash mentality. It's not intentional, but it's just unfortunate that, you know, we got such a massive country. There's so much to see that there's just a temptation not to get outside the borders. To simplify what you're saying is we don't celebrate differences. We celebrate similarities. We, right. we find similarities, and that's a comfort zone. Like you said, we go to the right. safety zone. We, 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 we talk like we celebrate differences and diversity, but it scares us yes. more so than anything else. Yeah. Less of the mean spirited, but it scares right. us. Now I got one last and probably <laughs> the most important question for you. All right. Have you ever been somewhere where you've seen yourself on a billboard, stopped in front of it, done the same pose, looked at everybody right in the eye and said, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, but I, you know, if given the opportunity, I think I will. And I'll probably yeah. take, take a selfie then. Too. I would love, <laughs> I would love to be walking down the street and you just in front of a billboard with you. I'm be like, what is happening? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, you know, I had a friend of mine who, uh, he became uh, a Calvin Klein model, and they put a big poster, and, you know, literally people were, like, having car crashes, women, you know, and I said, I said, I said dude, that's kind of screwed up, but it's also kind of cool. You gotta, yeah. Yeah, like, come on. Yeah. You know, I, you know so... So uh, you're either that hot or that ugly that people yeah, are crashing right. cars because of your big exactly. billboard. Yeah, it, it, the, the whole billboard thing is a little surreal. You know, I mean, it's the same thing you even see in a movie sometimes. Say, yeah, it's the same thing. You know, it, it, it's it's a lot easier for me 
when I've produced it and edited it, where I've watched it five hundred yeah, times. Yeah, you know so, exactly what's so happening. So I have a different, you know, it's it's not because when you, when you're just an actor for hire and then you go, then it is kind of that magic. Like, what's the movie going to be like? And you know, and I really haven't done like a big studio movie, so I think that would probably be cool because you're so much of just a. Like, like you know, a cog in the machine, and when you get to see the finished product, and yeah, it can either be something awesome or maybe yeah. not. Or oops, and, but yeah. I got paid. Thank yeah, you. Right. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hoyt, man, thank you so much, <laughs> dude. This is. Uh, whew, yeah, that, thank you. That was no, uh, my pleasure, guys. That I'm, was fantastic. I, I, I think you guys are a lot of fun to talk to, and I appreciate you. Well, thank yeah. God you were, because otherwise you wasted your time here today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Well. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, well, uh, you know, Instagram at Hoyt Rich, even though Rich is not really the best term to call me these days. But uh, <laughs> join the club. Uh, so you still have a flip phone. That's good yeah, to know. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And um, Twitter is at Hoyt Richards. And, you know, you can find me on Facebook, whatever. I'm not a huge. <laughs> no, no, you're not a huge social media guy, but but you are definitely uh, an interesting and worthwhile human being who well, I am. Very great. Take, takes one to know one. John. Well, dude, thank, thank you. you. But I mean, I yeah. I feel very fortunate that if nothing else came out of dumbbells, <laughs> I met some people that were pretty fantastic, yeah. and you being the top of that that heap. So, well, thank you. Uh, and I know Jen Murphy wanted me to say hi. Oh, I love Jen. Um, yeah, yeah, she's yeah, great. Yeah, she's she's also in dumbbells. Yes, I and know. Basically, that. I'm saying Jen, go, go Jen, rent dumbbells. Jen, Jen kills it. She's so funny. Yeah. I, I mean, we actually Brian was playing with a re-edit, and he put so much more of. Your character Todd Beckett. There's so much That's gold. That's what I'm talking there, about. Dude. So much gold that you did, dude. It's so funny. <laughs> we he's just re- need the movie really Todd. Yeah. That, that movie I'm needs to come you, out. I'm Todd. You killed that. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much again for Absolutely. coming, man. This was uh, really Brian, enjoyable. Brian, great meeting you, brother. Nice to meet you, too. Yeah. Thank you for coming to the basement. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for listening, it's guys. Up, it's only up from here, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You got to go up the stairs to leave, technically. <laughs> All right, guys. Have All a right. great night. Thank you for listening, everybody. All right. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually, at John Huck, and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe.